Greetings ladies and mental gents and welcome to this patch video for there is no epic Lucia, only puns taken from the website Royal Road. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Please don't forget to do all the usual YouTube stuff as that helps the video and the channel with the algorithm. There is no epic Lucia, only puns. Chapter 101. How to be a dungeon. What are you doing? New asked as Delta made a window and began to write with a finger as a pen. Rough squiggles and chicken scratch transformed into an elegant Victorian cool type calligraphy with large flourishes and loops so grand that they could drive a car through them. Delta snorted. I would love to write like that, but let's be honest, she tidied the window. The text blurred again and changed into a simple black text. Delta smiled and turned to New. Well, the whole thing with bro happened so fast that it'll just be a ton of questions are coming to me. Like, you can hardly blame me. I was kidnapped by a tree and rescued by the world's oldest annoying sibling, she complained. She pointed at the first line. Like, for example, did I choose my name or was that some compulsion? Since Alpha, Beta and Gamma were around, that means all four of us went with Greek lettering, were our numbering. That's unlikely to be a random thing, she stated. I can ask if you want, Sis is mostly doing patchwork and working on her inter-dungeon communication project. Delta hesitated but decided the nagging feeling of never knowing would be worse than just knowing, no matter what the answer was. She could learn to deal with it if she knew. Delta would never be able to heal her mental trauma if she refused to learn. Please. New was gone before she finished speaking. Delta, however, hovered over the core on its platform and eyed the glowing four inside. She was latched onto the name for the longest time due to that symbol. It felt like so long ago, like the beginning of a book that had too many chapters. She distracted herself by adding more questions to the important questions to ask next time kidnapped list. New reappeared. I have returned, he declared with almost no sarcasm. Delta made a little wave of her hands to celebrate. Sis said that you were simply named 1, 2, 3, and 4. However, when making the vessels for each of your beings, some of which took longer than others, Sis and her brother took to considering what you all knew, summing up what language and what ideas all you knew and the combining them to prevent having to make four different language modules. Extra was stored for when you were all ready to absorb them. Most of you knew the common language and many ideas, one of which was the words Alpha to your own name, Delta. So, it wasn't a compulsion as much as you all having the other languages and ideas delayed at the beginning. You all reached from the same pool of knowledge. So, not mind-controlled, just being uncreative and thinking we're cool, Delta summed up, and you shrugged. Uncreative? Sure, let's go with that. Sir still it slip that one called Alpha named himself due to the state of the system. He was the first around and had the Alpha state, as she called it. Interesting, but... If you weren't called Delta, what would you call yourself now? New asked, interested. The question surprised her, but the answer was quick to come. Darth Fluffy, the destroyer of mankind, a deliverer of muffins. She said easily. New merely turned to her list. What other questions did you have? Delta stuck her tongue out at him, but read off the next one. If Bro made monsters, then what are domains and why do monsters go for dungeons if they're supposed to be working together? She mused, like the Spider Queen. I doubt Sis can answer that. 
I do not have a direct link to brother, sadly, but we can speculate. Brother may have made them to search for these spores of the lost sibling. They are created with instincts and desire to feed your sources of spores, even if they are previous experiments. And one dungeons are a step up from doesn't mean that they know about it. Monsters are created by mana, but they are also breed and mutate. The brother designed them to survive regardless of what people did. No doubt, perhaps feeding over the dungeons is something that they themselves don't understand. Maybe, in some way, they sense themselves in dungeons. Perhaps they sense the spores that the dungeons have or echoes of them. Hard to tell. Damn, New was good at this. But I have only killed one person, so I don't have a lot of spores around, she reminded. Yes, but you are removing them from the people's endurance. You are taking their purpose one way or another. Also, I hate to remind you, but we are sitting on the pit of insane people who worship the lost sibling. Their spores may be very ripe, alluring. Perhaps that is why they were even attacked. Data frowned. Kinda wish that you would ask the Spider Queen, but I kinda... Oh. Data blinked and then specked her head. I absorbed her remains and her kids. I should be able to sift through the memories or something. She said and knew was quiet. Could be risky. So is being here and being bored. Slap me if I start charting backwards and grow extra legs, she beamed. Do you even know how to lock onto the previously absorbed remains, or are you just going to wing it? Delta answered him and closed her eyes. Right. She was Delta. She was the air she floated in. She was the ground around the her. She was the very light that touched the rocks. She was the world around her, and she was no longer just Delta, a human-shaped girl. She was everything. To go from seeing with two eyes to being a dungeon aware of every bit of movement and sound was always going to be weird. But the cool detachment allowed her to focus on her goal. New also vanished and seemed to be a part of her spirit. A sliver of purpose and distrust, not towards her, but towards all that wasn't Delta. He went with her like a sparrow perched on her shoulder. His presence bore comfort, despite Delta knowing that she didn't need it in this mindset. Delta began to move through her logs, her human nature making it sorted by time instead of importance or usefulness. It made flipping back easy. She felt more tortures of warmth as she refreshed herself on the previous day's events. Biting, slimes, explosions, jack. So much had happened, but she flipped back and found the moment that she had uh, slightly exploded the queen. Her form, her soul at least, had been devoured by the dungeon and refunneled into the queenie, who was in Paris bar, drinking shroom pop, breaking him down into an option, but Delta discarded that thought with ease. No, she would have to do what the pale limitation. Queenie was worth ten spider queens to Delta. She focused on the exact moment the spider queen had been devoured, her dark, ugly being that was burning. Delta weaved her manner together and did her best to restore what her dungeon had eaten. It was like building a 3D jigsaw puzzle, with half of the pieces cut in half and no picture to guide her. A shriek of arrogance and awareness came from the puzzle and Delta nearly snapped that particular piece of black in half. She wasn't interested in the squaring off with the dead queen unless she had no option. No, Delta was focused on the part that was shaping up like a web, her memory cortex of the queen. It was an intricate thing and Delta saw it as a messy and incomplete. Even her best attempts to rebuild it, the damage had been great. Still, the silver, like bees on the web, powerful memories did cling to it. 
Delta was quick to move through them, most were the queen's eventual evolution paths, from tiny worker to beautiful queen, in her eyes. Strong stuff, but Delta had to work fast before she became a little too detached. A few memories show the battle of various people, one of them being Rudy, a very young Rudy. She was adorable, and she had exploded the spiders and cut more in twain. A recent memory revealed a distorted image of the queen and her army being pressed into submission by a figure with a horrible grin. He was sucking something in from the queen with a jaw. Delta watches the queen reward, holding out its last bit of darkness. The man walked away with ease. From the fraying of memory, the queen despaired as the loss of darkness, but what was left led her downwards. The queen was severely weakened from the man sapping the dark cloud, a cloud of spores from her. Delta had faced off with the weakened queen. Delta returned to herself, back to her human mind and shape. She blinked slowly. That was confusing, she blinked. The spider queen was not a purifying of the spores. She was hoarding them. That the spores had affected her, it's disturbing. We know so little about spores and that is dangerous. Delta frowned and crossed her arms. Can't we ask this to hold on to one of us, or something? She suggested, and he was quiet for a while. His screen slowly filled with text. I don't think so. I think that is the reason that the menu system shuts down when people come into the dungeon. Why I disappear and you can't bring up any windows? Sist must be making sure that those parts won't be around people where spores might gain access. Valid idea, but Delta was thinking quick. But what about the challenge windows? They appear before people and even talk through them, she reminded. They are conjured by people approaching the room. Their own manner activates the window. Let's be honest, I'm not supposed to be doing these things. But there is one way that we could properly examine the spores and maybe see what makes them tick. Delta raised one brow and waited for the idea to merge from New's tricky brain. You interfaced with Dio, you searched his frame and did one-on-one connection. I hadn't considered it important or impressive, but you interacted with an outside being on your own. And I have a bunch of them coming to do a mock fight with the dungeon. I could just invade their personal and physical space and feel for a spore. I'm sure that'll go down well, she replied dryly. An idea for another time. Any other questions you plan to ask? Delta thought about it. Nothing earth-shaking, but I kind of wanted to know if I was allowed to not work with Alpha and the others if they turn out to be bad people. I'll do my best to put my own issues aside if it saves a ton of lives, but I hope that I have some right for myself to not have to work with them if it comes down to it. She blew out a sigh. Newswinder shook slightly as if chuckling. I have a feeling most of them would struggle to be more than a pain. I think between your monsters and the monsters who pretend to be human endurance, you really don't need three saps who haven't even broken the system according to brother. Come on, you did that on your first day or something, please, such amateurs. Delta hid a smile from news complaining on her behalf. She floated in the stairs and hummed, maybe... But if they turn out to be okay, I could give them some tips, she giggled. She was sure that she was beginning to grasp the dungeon thing. After all, she had made it to the floor three in her first month. She had tons of rare monsters and a circus. Did Peter have a circus? Delta doubted it. She snorted at her own cockiness, but decided her little holiday was meant to be fun, so she floated back to Wyme's room and thought of how she was going to be pretty damn good for a sappy human. 
and memory hit her and Delta paused. She looked down at the ground with a frown. Delta just remembered that she hadn't apologized for vomiting on Bro's tunnels. She hoped that he didn't hold it against her. Brother was poking at the orange patch with a stick. He hadn't known what to do with the remnants of Delta's essence, but it seemed to have its own ideas as it slowly crawled along the inner paths of his body as if searching for something. Getting interesting, amusement and fondness at the same time, Brother teleported the sand about 34 miles in the direction that it was heading. Nothing was important between there and where it had been. The stain seemed to pause and then carry on its way an old series of pillars and pulsing images. Then each pillar was a set of very old, incredibly potent words of power. The verbal equivalent of ruins. These simple words would enable an individual to bend existence. Brother had tons of these ruins where the words of power hummed and pulsed all across the world. Each one had a particular purpose like gravity, or soil richness, or poison ivy. The last one deserved its own spot because people who actually enjoyed sleeping in the wild should be punished. This particular set was very large, one of Brother's biggest. It controlled the monster species balanced at creation. The orange splatter seeped into one of the pillars and began to turn the picture from a dull brown to a brightly glowing orange thing. Brother stared, his smile growing even wider. This was going to be fun. Sure, the stain had only had enough to convert one style of monster and only a tiny fraction of it. But still, Brother was loving it. On a grassy plain, far above and under the gentle rays of the sun, a batch of slimes bubbled into existence out of the pure manner to start doing what slimes did best, eat. Except the smallest one in the new batches was still. It looked to the sun and a small round body and a black button eyes blinked a few times. Pew, it yawned, as its bright orange body glittered like a jewel. The little slime didn't feel hunger as strongly as it felt something else. Curiosity I'm sure it's no big deal, Delta explained to Wyam. Of course, my sweet creator, no big deal, but this boy, this brother, seems like a cur and you need not worry about him. But I am vastly interested in this upgrade you mentioned. I do love being slightly immune to things. She smiled wickedly, and Delta shot her a look which made Wyam shrug. I'm a tree. I like to not be set on fire, she said with no shame. A fair point, Dalta had to imagine. How would you put it? I'm not... Inflammable? Wyam tried, and the sheer pain at the attempt at a joke was clear in her voice. Dalta stared. Inflam... Oh, oh! Dalta's smile went wide, and she felt laughter rising up in her chest like a fuzzy burp. That's a good one! She said a new look between them in disgust. I don't even get it, and I hate it. Wyam nodded. It's a play on the word infallible where, she began, and Dalta waved her hands with a slight cry. No, he can't explain it if it's not funny anymore, she protested. Wyam frowned and Dalta did some quick thinking. Imagine the sheer torture but not sharing the joke. She encouraged and Wyam poked up like Dalta had given her a gift. Oh yes, I can imagine that very well. I shall practice more cutting remarks than add salt to the wounds. Puns. I shall suffer them to my foes and will die from them. She cackled and her branches erupted into thorns. She saw Dalta's flat expression and she cleared her throat. I mean how they will groan in traumatic pain for years to come. Alive, unmaimed, she said weakly. Dalta guessed that that was the best that she was going to get for a while. 
Maybe after a few real fights, one would call off and take up knitting sheaths for swords or quivers for arrows or something. Data could only hope. Let me talk to Maestro first and since this affects the both of you, she asked. A few mushrooms scattered about the room twitched. I was listening to this lovely gaggle of girls, and I, the amazing fabulous maestro, agree to the upgrade. A chance for more of my fans to see my glorious self in person. Honey, put the pen away, I already signed the yes box with a kiss. Excellent, the mushrooms and the tree are all in agreement. We want to be upgraded. Grime gestured, and one lowly willowy bronze as if encouraging Delta to hurry. Rolling her eyes to the needy houseplants, she brought up the menu and purchased a hefty 200 dp upgrade for them. The dungeon was quiet for a moment, when Wyme's bark began to crack and a deep light flowed from them. The mushrooms were pulsing and shaking as Maestro's sing-song voice became a tremble with surprise. By the sweet mercy of Mama, this feels intense, he said, his voice shaking as if vibrating. Wyam exploded like a caterpillar escaping from a cocoon, using a heavy dose of C4 and dynamite. Woodchips were sent flying in the storms of leaves that made Wyam into the eye of the storm. Before her brownish bark looked a shade lighter, but now it had tiny pulsing green veins that were turning orange. Her face, which had only been shaped somewhat like a woman, was now perfectly detailed, as if it were sculpted by an artist. Her lips pulsed as ivy and the thin moss made waves of hair that cascaded down to the tree's navel, which even had a new belly button. She stretched, feeling out her new form. Delta covered her eyes. Wyam, you're really detailed all the way down, she yelled, face going red. Wyam's legs still merged and fused with the roots of the trees, but her body, which looked smooth yet natural, with leaves and mushroom caps as decorative accessories, as her arms split into dozens of branches. Mmm, yes, I see that I have a rather subtle size now. Wyam said pleased. That was not what was concerning Delta. She peeked and saw Wyam shaking her head and flower buds grew and the vines exploded into a bloom of a vivid red with white blossoms, as if the flowers had been stained with red. I'm just teasing, see? Wyam's soft fur of a voice tempted Delta to look once more as she sighed with relief, as the tree had now had a thin veil of leaves that acted like a thin cloak or a towel. Her shoulders were bare, and her attempt at decency didn't seem to be a very good one. And when Wyam moved, the leaves parted to tease to show what was any given time. Still, Delta respected her monster's choices in the long run. If wanted to be... Natural in her own time, it was only fair to respect that. But if she was going to be fighting young men and women, and then see this respect them too. Do you want to taste my sweet fruit? It's bursting with juice and one nibble can make it leak. Wyam offered, leaning down. Delta gaped, and the tree blinked confused before her words seemed to catch up to her. Instead of shame or embarrassment, Wyam seemed amused, her arms glowing to show her orange peach-like fruit. Delta right them. Why are they peaches? She began and Wyam cut her off. Because they look like butts, and I like making you flustered. She grinned. Delta pointed a finger at her in a scandalized look. I saved you from Seth and his wandering words. To think that you were just as bad, she accused. Wyam merely hid her smile behind a branch. I am naught but a child of Delta. I am innocent but delicious. Bite me gently, sir or madam. She cooed and Delta covered her ears. 
I can't hear this, she yelled. William's clear, bell-like tingling laugh sounded out. It wasn't a cackle or even a mean sound. It was just something rare. General amusement and affection. You are too sweet for this world. How I worry for you, William smiled. I didn't sign up for the seductive murder tree, Delta grumbled. William leaned down and wrapped her branches around the space where Delta stood. You can't often choose the people we consider family, but we simply have to do our best, hmm? Now I suggest you go and check on the drama king. He is being far too quiet for my liking, Wyme suggested. Delta had to agree, but she narrowed her eyes at Wyme. We could have kids coming into the dungeon, and one kind of sweet girl. You are to be on your best behavior, she commanded. Wyme blinked three times. Oh, lovely creator, Wyme, tree is about love, didn't you know? She giggled and stretched her full length. Delta was beginning to think that this was an upgrade had given Wyme something to make her feel good. Either that or Wyme was getting her torture johnnies from somewhere Delta had no idea about. Higgy, as Beta often called him, was feeling ragged. Not only had his very soul been singed so bad that it hurt, to be hurt to think, as his attempts to track down Delta's back to her source had been met with uh, something he couldn't quite remember. But he had a fleeting images of round spheres of screens of a girl and her furious expression. Then the paths that he had made for invading areas had simply ceased to be. Gone and lost. His memory somehow also cut loose as if the girl wanted no stone unturned in her attack. Iggy was furious as he retreated to lick his wounds, as it were. But what was worse than the damn feeling of uh, others? He was the world tree. There was power in that title for Iggy to play with, but he sensed two others now. Two new potential world beings. So tiny, so pathetic, but still growing. And one of them was a semi-aware of him. It radiated mockery and cruelty at his fury. It seemed to grow and sigh at his own rage built. He was the world tree and this tick had taken his power. In the mockery came the name that made Iggy feel both cold and curious. Wyan. That was not possible, but there was another that just seemed content to sing and demand as if most tunes weren't stuck in Iggy's head. He sulked, peeled, and blotted. Delta eyed Wyam in a good mood only seemed to get brighter. Odd tree, very odd. Delta decided to get to the root of her other issues and left Wyam to start her own branch of bad jokes. All this excitement was getting to Wyam eventually, and she was going to need to lay down soon for rest. Delta had to stop in the middle of a jungle as a fit of giggles tried to escape her. Yes, I can see it now, you truly were meant to be the deadliest dungeon that ever existed. News words were as sweet as ever, and Delta couldn't help but flutter her eyelashes at him. I knew you would understand. She grinned. News glare was powerful despite having no eyes. Delta took off flying, her laughter making the jungle come to life with echoes of joy and noise. She couldn't wait to see Maestro. End of chapter. There is no epic lucha, only puns. Chapter 102. The Dance of the Dead and Fabulous. Maestro's room was cast in shadows. The usual glow of moss and twiggling starlight mushrooms had been dimmed, and the effort had been made, the cavernous room was set to rest, a place the world had forgotten, all chose to leave in peace. 
strips of roaring water sounded like musical notes as the peaceful calm of the room swam over Delta. She floated gently up to the stone stairs, past the slumbering gutrots, starlights, tasty mushrooms, and others. She wanted to call out, but the serene, peaceful aura had stolen her voice. Delta didn't want to ruin the wonderful feeling with something like mere words. She reached the summit, and the shadow maestro's huge form was also still. It lay wrapped up in many roots on the ceiling, so still. That was odd. Delta had never seen Maestro still, let alone quiet. He didn't seem to be in pain or at odds with the roots. In fact, he looked like a deep comfort and safe. Delta let herself space out and saw his roots. Maestro's very thin mind expanding into the odd spaces between the floors where things didn't quite make sense. His roots buried deep and began to find spots in the floors below. Potential stages, like the menu had informed her. He shan't be long, came the good-natured voice of Lord Mushy. Delta saw him resting in the shadow corner. She had unconsciously felt him there and didn't flinch when he spoke. Looking out for him, she teased and Lord Mushy hummed. I do worry about his flamboyant sibling. One tends to worry when family goes on a rock and roll. I dread the after-parties to come. He mocked and sighed. No groupies until there's at least two years old, Delta said calmly but firmly. Lord Mushy gave his hearty chuckle once more. I shall make sure he is informed, but I dare say that we are unlikely to stop that, as we can stop Soir playing with fire, or Bori eating mushrooms, or Bacon giving them back in a gaseous form. He said brightly. The mushrooms around them started to stir, and Delta looked up, excited to see Maestro and his new potential upgrades. Maestro's form cracked like an egg, and Delta blinked straight up with a wide alarm, and then it split open, and green fluid rained down like a waterfall, and Delta gave a shriek as it passed over her and into the floor. The room promptly got rid of it, since it wasn't supposed to be, but there was a scent of lingering cooked mushrooms, and her hair felt oily. From the shell that was Maestro came a glowing green mist that sparkled in the light of the starlight mushrooms. The mist showed a smaller shadow emerging. It was about two feet shorter and maybe a little thinner, connected still by dozens of roots. Its figure lowered itself and Delta saw it had legs and feet. Fancy black shoes that looked nice until she saw that they didn't have a lace or show a buncle. They seamlessly merged straight into the black snacks as the figure continued to be lowered. The form remained shrouded by the deep green mist. Ladies and gents, both and neither, and of course, all of the above, I welcome you tonight to the unveiling of a star reborn. The mighty has become mightier, the sexy became sexier. We avoid looking right at the star if you have a weak heart. Delta Dungeon Inc. is not liable for any medical issues sustained and staring right at Monsoir, Maestro, the figure said proudly. Delta held her breath wondering if the princely gentleman that had been born from Maestro would soon grace them. Maestro touched down and Delta went pale, going limp and silent at the creature before her. The white shirt and dinner jacket with the beautiful red mushrooms in the jacket pocket was nice, but everything shoulder up was a nightmare. He flexed his wicked long fingers and now his black tips and gripped the cane as he walked forward, his massive roots trailing behind him and life support. His mushroom cap had remained and the odd hair inside trailed down his back and a sleek black neatness. 
His face had two wide, deep holes with dark red lights that gleamed like twin fires in the dark, much like a creature luring an unwary to a quick death. At odd times, his inner glow filled both eyes, or jumped between one to the other like a demented tennis ball, while his opened his mouth was wide with spiky, wormy tongue and like tiny holes all around it. His jaw was rigid with needle-like teeth that stood where his lips should be, and each one gave off a high note as if they moved independently of each other like a centipede's legs. That was when her four other limbs emerged from his back and showed tiny snapping mushrooms' heads at each end. Each had the same black as his jacket. Dalton suddenly got up before excusing herself, walking calmly down the stone steps for a moment. Oh, she's getting emotional. Moshi, isn't this super? Maishro gushed at the lovely voice of his. Well, he wasn't wrong. Delta closed her eyes, focused and reached out to feel the joy of life that was Maestro, the monster that she had known and regularly sang songs with. It was still him and she forced herself to open up her eyes and march back up the stairs. She faltered as Maestro's red eyes, expectant smile, God, those teeth, and she moved jerkily forward like a zombie with arthritis. She raised her head to meet those red eyes. Sing a song for me? She pleaded, Maestro bowed with much grace, and she felt like a peasant. Worse was when all of the extra limbs' heads bowed as well. Shall I go into a familiar clubs, or shall I spruce your heart up and ears with the hidden carabarets and secret ballrooms? He smiled. Surprise me, she squeaked, and glared at Mushi, who was hiding deep chuckle. The thumping beat was followed by a long draw of the piano. As Maestro slid all the way down, his stone temple onto the edges moving at an impossible angles. Each piano note seemed to light up a step as Maestro passed it. The red steps, blue steps, flashing neon green steps. One step would just blink hot pink, and Dalta tried not to look at the one Maestro tapped his foot. Every mushroom on the room, every mushy, began to sway at his step, like a dance routine that they had all practiced. Drums! Maestro commanded, and the walls itself pulsed with a playful boom. Then he turned to the roof, Strings! He flicked a long clawed hand at a hidden spiderweb, began to twang and twing. He gave a mighty bow, and the stairs lined with mushrooms, and the stairs just slid down. Percussion? Back up, choir, if you do please. He grinned, and the nightmarish image was only a little better to deal with after the third sight. The mushrooms stored by species began to hum along to the beat, and some echoed with instruments. Delta giggled a little as each of them was still doing a little jig to Maestro's beat. There is a sweet little girl, a little pal of you and me. You may know her as Delta, a sweeter princess than your Cinderella. Maestro crooned as he began to climb up the steps one at a time. Each step began to flash exotically at his foot. Delta felt herself blush as she was laughing now. Soon, she was pulled into a swing by Lord Mushy, and Delta ended up forgetting to be scared as the song played on. Ruli watched as her mum swung her red sword. It barely made a dent in the table when she tried to put effort into a swing. The thing must be demon-friendly, or it just doesn't like me. Mila huffed and placed the weapon back on the table. I can't imagine how. Magma is such a sweet thing. Ruli answered, and she shoved the old cheese on the bread to her mother. Mila hit her on the back of the head. The sword has a sharp as your humor, the woman said gruffly. 
Rudy reached for the blade and was cut off when Mila spoke. If you cut my table and make a point, I will hunt you, she said calmly. Rudy decided to reach for another sandwich instead. Well, I can confirm it's demons made. Feels like the knife your father once showed me, Mila sighed. Rudy frowned, trying to remember the story, but came up with nothing. We were not hating each other. Well, I wasn't hating him, and in the middle of some romance. He threw up a dagger on me. He claimed he was stabbed earlier, but forgot to remove the blade, and he saw his body had taken a natural action. I accused him of being an immature demon man-child, and left, Mila explained. First off, ew. You're old, and you don't need romance. Second, do you still have that blade? Rudy asked and her mother snorted. Lost it when I stabbed the royal knight who called me Demon Whore. Somewhere between his third and fourth rib, I think. Mira smiled at the memory. I'm lucky to be as normal as I am, Rudy mumbled. Magma glowed and her cheese sandwich became cheese toasty. Oh, the mighty cooking sword. I heard the mystical single tool of the sagely kitchen was lost. Didn't know that I'd found it. She grinned and devoured her sizzling cheese snack. That was a rolling pin, and I was found in some stupid cooking tournament where the food literally had to be bad for causing inappropriate reactions with people. Mila sipped her coffee and thought about it. I heard that it had been corrupted after being used to club an ogre's heads in. But that info isn't hard to confirm. She added, shrugging. Well, my sword toast stings. What does your sword do? Rudy taunted, feeling cheesy like she was ten again. Her mother snorted and gestured to the room. Which one? I've got so many and I end up finding one in an unused sock drawer. I swear, I found my slicing heaven spear when I went looking for my spare broom. The older woman shook her head. Rudy smirked. Broomstick flying was outlawed due to littering by the king. She said and was hit again by a book that her mother had thrown. Rude child! came the old retort. The book easily missed her, and Rudy's mother hadn't aimed at her, but just threw it to warn her. Rudy called the book and flipped through the old pictures taken with the memory stone and sketcher. Cheap ones could only do black and white while coming out grainy. Rudy was surprised to see crisp, colorful pictures that spoke of a good model stone. The downside to the stones over the huge, unwieldy cameras that were slowly being brought into creation by smarter people than Rudy was that the memory sketcher couldn't sketch the person themselves since the memory would be the first person. But until these cameras could do more than just one picture every 10 minutes and didn't need chemicals and brute to work, people would use the stones. Pictures from her mother's view were flipped through. It was obvious to see which memories were close compared to the hazy ones that came out half-suggested and sometimes white in places. Memory stones were too easily misled like that. Memories half-formed were never right, and people could swap in really vivid imaginations over memories, making them pointless in any court. Ruly blinked. Damn, Mr. Jones is haunting me, she whispered, trying to empty her head of pointless knowledge, like that to make room for beer later. She slowed her picture of the three men, a rather goofy young Haldy, a strong glaring pick, and a towering man who beamed at her mother with such an earnest feeling that the space around the man's face was a little blurry, as if Mila almost didn't remember it right, or avoided it for too long. The picture had a neat writing underneath it, me and the idiots, and I would die for them all if I don't kill them first. Rudy read and Mila snorted. 
True words were never spoken, she agreed. You never told me about how you lot ended up here, you know. Rudy said quietly. Mila chopped some vegetables in quick efficiency. Mila took time to mull over the words over and over. Would you believe it all that started with hunting some horned rabbits? She said dryly. Rudy gave her a long look. Horned rabbits are made up. Their biology sucks so much to be real. It's like centaurs. If you think too much about it, rabbits with anywhere near long enough horns could ever burrow or eat properly. Rudy argued. Mila pointed at the kitchen knife to add a daughter. You're welcome. I helped wipe out those mistakes of nature, she agreed. So, getting rabbits led to you making a town. Rudy frowned. Mila pushed her grey hair back and her yellow eyes blinked once slightly. In a sense, me and my idiots ended up being kind of successful and a little bit famous. We were recruited to the knights and we laughed the offer off and we, recruiter, ended up sticking around for drinks. That damn porter loves their booze. Mila snorted at the memory. Rudy began to wipe down magma with a well-used cloth. The sword was warm to the touch, but Rudy knew that it could burn her fingers to the bone at any second. It was like a wild animal who took a liking to Rudy. Well, the recruiter had some personal issues and we ended up meeting some creeps who tried to kill the recruiter. We barely blinked and they were dead. Law Pinky, that's my name for them, was strong. I was impressed, so I tried to smash her face in for the hell of it. Mina scrapped her cutting board into a broiling stew. I woke up three days later and Pinky was still around. I was bundled into the back of our wagon and covered in a blanket. I could have died from an infection or bleeding or out of boredom. Whatever, but Pinky had a talent for keeping people just barely alive. Mila said calmly, as if not speaking about her near death. Well, one thing led to another and we ended up here. Mila said and slammed the potlet on a stew. Rudy gave her a long look. I think you skipped a few pages due to your old age, she said kindly. The air dropped in temperature. Well, I guess that's the story for now. Now will you stop your damn sword that's melting my table? She asked bluntly. Rudy looked down to see the magma sinking into the wooden table like a hot blade in butter. Bad sword. Melting is for flesh of the enemies and toast. She sighed and yanked the blade out of the wood and the wet noise. Now the stew will be about another hour before it's right. You can go run errands for me. Mila said and Rudy stared at her. Excuse me, I'm not your bronze one errand girl, eager for some coppers and a bottle of sink water for a reward. Rudy stood to leave. Shame, I was going to throw in dessert and a bottle of my 55-year-old ogre whiskey. Oddly, the same ogres that might have been clubbed that I had mentioned before. Mina's voice froze Rudy's leg and she tried to overpower the temptation. Having to bribe your own daughter is pretty bad on your parenting. Rudy said between clenched teeth. Mila snorted. Bribing your kids is parenting 101. It was taking you out and hunting gold-ranked beasts that was bad parenting part. Her mother said dryly. I actually like that but Rudy said and turned back to her mother who had a list of requests. Elder duties go on despite rain, snow, and recently falling spider parts. Mina smirked. Rudy glared at the mundane tasks. Elders go on despite age, time, and reason, she muttered. The first task was simple. Collect five yellow flowers and blue leaves and deliver them to Mr. Dabagast. This is demeaning, Rudy informed her mother. This is having a mother and a sweet tooth, came her curt reply. Rudy really couldn't argue with that. 
Dad would have let me kill a 10-foot demon eating plants for this sap. She tried going for the oldest weapon in her arsenal. Your father would have had an army following you and warned the plants that if they had harmed you, he'd make them into chairs and give them to the glutton demons for the stress testing. Now go. Her mother waved a spoon at her. Ruth's expression was sour and she left the cottage. She made it to the road and let out heart of durance. Between being imprisoned by Mr. Jones and beating up the army in the dungeon, Rooney hadn't really taken a look at her home. Her red eyes traced patches of flowers that were springing up. The sounds of songbirds seemed distant, but faintly coming closer. The air smelled clean, and for the first time in ages, the weather wasn't mundane, pleasant, and it looked like it might actually rain. Dungeon Manor was invasive, and depending on what dungeon you lived nearby, different things would happen. Delta had made things come to life like before, but there was something just a little different. Rudy couldn't quite put a finger on it. A bee the size of an apple wandered nearby and gathered some pollen before floating off with a merry buzz. Rudy gave it a long look. Dungeons were supposed to make monsters appear nearby or horrible mutants. Delta just made happy bees, she snorted. Still, she might need to warn Kuss that things might be a bit weirder. She kept an eye out, and after ten minutes in the field, she found the flower that she was looking for. Ruli was sure that it was the right flower, but it seemed to be double the size of the average kind. Ruli decided that in case that she should only have to gather half the amount then. She whistled, and Magma easily removed the plant. After this, Ruli had to go collect ten crabs from the river, and then fetch a sturdy branches with no reason that Ruli could see. It was sad that the bronze rank folks lived for this kind of work. She looked up to see someone heading towards the other's place with an apron on and a defeated posture. Wait until they saw the bar. That'd cheer them up. Excuse me, I need a shift here. Please, please don't be angry, Shy Nina asked as the webs around five feet away from the room entrance. The webs parted like curtains and Nina dashed through, covering her head as she ran into the wall in her haste. She bounced back and stumbled through the actual door. The spider court all shared a look, and one holding the tripwire slowly down, climbed back up. Thank you, Shy Nina said, and faintly as she walked on, staggering from the blow. Queen Dreamweaver III decreed that extra webbing would be used to soften the wall in the future. There was a customary vote dance where they all agreed, and then the celebration dance was passing the vote. Shinina didn't see this, and she took a small seat in the pond room. Owie. She held a bump on her head. Why couldn't lazy Nina go? Or paranoid Nina? Why me? She sniffed. Gruff Nina told her why. Because under the Ninas to form, she was the least likely to cause more trouble for Miss Farah. There was something black in front of her, and she pulled her legs up in the rock, and the duck stared up at her. Shy Nina didn't have great memory, so the original trip down was a little hazy after the great split in the bar. Then they met this thing before. Shoo, please don't bite me. I don't have bread, Shy Nina whispered. The duck gave her a long, piercing look. Nina retreated into her safe ball a bit more, her face almost hidden behind her knees. A quack once and waddled off before turning back to stare at her. Shy Nina was feeling it was waiting for her. Shinina wasn't sure what she should follow a random duck. Quack. The duck said firmly, and Shinina shrieked and jogged up to catch. I'm sorry, she bowed her head, and the duck walked off and led her down the hallway, away from the mud pit. 
The duck led him into a room of as many shells. It looked like a dead end, and Shinina gave the oddest snoozing mouse inside a bowl of jelly a long look. That mouse gave her a bad vibe. The duck approached the back wall and opened it on its own accord. The air flowing out of this dark space was hot and made her senses grow a bit hazy. She wandered in as the duck turned once more and red eyes had gone, a little softer. The duck assured her. Shinina had gone mad and her madness was a duck in a dungeon. Well, after the calm monster, which all Ninas remembered quite clearly, how bad could this tunnel be? She walked for some time and an odd mist began to curl around her feet. The heat seemed to seep into her body and she soon stood up before a stone building of some sort. I dare to say that today is a good day to be you. You come, my little maiden, to see the fabulous rising star in action. Come closer and see the debut like no other. The man seemed to call from the top. Nina could handle this, it wasn't so bad. She took a step forward, sleeves covering her face and engineered the stranger. He took a few steps down, and he seemed to have a thick vines attached to him. Or roots. The mist thinned, and the walk down with a cane in hand. Shinina's body went rigid, and the eye bounced between eye holes. The odd hat that she thought was wool was part of his head, and then the rip of his face opened and the dancing needle legs. Shinina fell back and landed hard on her rear as she stared. Eyes wide as her mind turned itself off to protect itself. Starstruck, I can hardly blame you. Welcome to the number one dungeon in the land. I shall be your man of the hour, Monsoir, maestro. The thing bowed and Shinina turned and saw the duck was gone. P-p-please, she stumbled on the verge of tears. The monster leaned down and it looked demonic in its nature. It went for her and Shinina prayed it would be quick. She felt something light pressed into her hands, and she looked down at it. It was a bizarre piece of pottery with the words, I met Maestro, stamped on the side with an elegant penmanship. You need not beg or look so happy with tears. Of course, you can have my autograph. The man said cheerfully and pulled her to her feet. My brother made the pot, and I have yet to ask for the paper and ink from Mother. But she has ever so busy sometimes. The creature nodded. It spoke and those needle lips clicked and twanged with music notes as if the insects were conducting from inside. Shinina forced a question out. Need work, Farah? She gasped out. Maybe if she was under Farah's protection, she would be safe. The man pressed her forward and with the strength and strong enough that she was actually lifted off the ground, almost gliding across the ground. Ah, yes. The lovely last mentioned hiring an outsider. A very juicy gossip. While all so excited, the thing Maestro said and leaned out. Shinina nearly broke into tears at being so near his face. Mother will take care of you. She is very fond of people, and if anyone gives you hassle, you tell Maestro here, and I'll bring down the wrath of the likes never seen or heard of before. Or I shall tell my brother and stand smugly at the side as he lectures them, he said errantly. Shinina felt the crushing of her body would be too easy for Maestro and his mist. It seemed to come from his body like an aura, and it made things hazy and a shine in his head. For your first shift, I shall dedicate the music for tonight to your effort. What blues sing to you? What pop makes you bob? Tell Maestro the wonderful, what music sings to your soul? He pressed and had her in one-armed hug. 
It was so sudden a question, Shai Ninsa just answered it. I like orchestra, she said and covered her mouth in horror. The demon man's face broke into something that had to be a smile. That smile was going to be in Shai Ninsa's nightmares for many days to come. She'll be fine. Maestro is not that bad once you stop looking at him head on. Daza promised Rennie. The mime gave her a black smile that tore open his face. Yeah, sorry. After Maestro, you're downright handsome, she said dryly. Rennie dropped the grin in a huff but gestured curiously at the circus before them. I'm taking a day off from battling the forces of evil and unspeakable horror to decorate, she explained. She opened a menu and browsed the options. I'll share what I can do and see if we can make it closer to your home. She offered him the mime, looked away for a moment at the statue of his father before he nodded. Circus, the act of a lifeline and afterlife. A circus left underground and fallen into disrepair. The echoes of good times and bad times can still be felt. Available options. Skeleton clowns and performers. Ten skeletons in clown costumes and other dress will become a low act and basic workers of the circus. This option was unlocked after absorbing skeletons in the slime lab. Here these workers have no intelligence or attack power to speak of. DP-20 Strong nets and ropes of various acts, made from spun spider silk and woven by spiders. These threads offer the best safety net and rope swings 5DP. Food station had a connection to the bar system to allow food stand just outside to sell popcorn, low quality, and various fruits and drinks made of jungle. Increased food and all of the other floors connected to the system. 20 DP. Ticketmaster, Queenie, allow a rare monster Queenie to open his gates to allow ticket owners to pass without issues from his tunnel that connects to the outside. Tickets may be purchased from Queenie as well. 25 DP. Create a performer on stage to allow Maestro of the first floor to appear in this place. His job will become Code Ringmaster. Able to promote shows, create music, and capture the audience's attention. His form will be hidden behind a screen for the sake of the audience. 25 DP When the show is happening, promote Rennie to Ringstar. His class will change and he will gain new abilities until the end of the show. The more successful the circus is, the more power Rennie will have overall. 30 DP Dalton read out these options and Rennie gave her a long look. His features didn't move, but he held up the finger, and then no more. First option, or one at a time so that we can see how it goes. She inquired, Rennie motioned to the second option. Delta grinned, eager to see how this would turn out. Dungeons could have deadly traps or godly monsters. Delta had a circus, and thus she won by default. She purchased the skeleton crew. There was a slight rumble and Dalta looked around to see if she could see the monsters forming, or more likely, the skeletons would be considered critters and not true monsters. Then, as if in unison, ten bony hands broke through the ground. Rennie walked over, hands splayed, as if commanding them to rise. Nearby, Maestro's mushrooms began to tremble with the tune. Oh my god, she whispered, and the skeletons rose in various dirty articles of clown dress and loose leotards. They stood in a rough triangle formation and many flexed his fingers, like casting a fishing line, and each of the boned creatures began to stomp forward in time. Rennie, the circus is supposed to make people happy and delighted. Not have nightmares, she cried as Rennie marched his warriors forward, their firm movements in time with the beat. Rennie waggled his finger. 
The mime is right. The circus is supposed to be unforgettable. The maestro laughed with delight. What kind of people want to visit a circus with dancing damned? She demanded aloud. Von frowned as he recounted the coins. The vampire banker was not happy. People coming to the town meant an easy job of counting money that never changed was now becoming a pain. He might need to make a go for this soon. All of this manner in the air was making him peckish, but he had made an agreement with Mila. Von was good, but Mila was, well... Von didn't like the word fear. It didn't quite explain things. Admired cautiously would be better suited. Still, a man had needs. Before when manner was low, his powers barely needed food. Now he was itchy. He could fly to the capital and grab food, but those nights were so bothersome. He tapped a finger on his chin. Durrance was off limits. The capital was annoying. Von needed more than one's average blood. The problem of being old enough to have been around before some mountains was that the body tended to need a bit of more spices than his meals. He opened the drawer and pulled out a contact book and addresses and dates. Regal? Oh, he was beheaded a few years back. Never understood why he loved cows. Lily vanished into the ocean after climate change. That she didn't believe in. Eroded her cliff. Good riddance. One returned the page. Edmund, his creepy and stalks teenage girls, reported him ages ago. Roger would help, but I don't think that I know where he is. Desiree was staked on her own dancer pole. Hamish got lost in a castle and then it collapsed. Morian went on a vacation into the abyss. Lucky woman. Jolene was killed after she took a summons man. I swear vampires are dying a breed, he sighed. He paused at a name. Sarah. Now that's a pity case that I haven't thought of in years. I wonder if she ever got those mirrors working. Her castle could be beyond the capital and in the woods. Well, it was either her or crazy vegan Victor. And I don't know how he turns trees into ghouls, and I don't want any part of it. He slammed the book shut. Mr. Bond got his hat, his coat, and his apprentice. He had trapped in the basement to fight some rats. Master, they're bigger than horses! She screamed from below. He merely looked down at her. I still hear chittering. Kill at least two more and I'll let you out, he said kindly. He went to make some calls. End of chapter. There is no epic lucha, only puns. Chapter 103. Pop goes the slime. Poppy turned a page. Gently came a deep growl from the book. Poppy turned to the book around, and a blank expression met the cover of the book, where an etched face made of symbols and ink glared at her. Tom, I can't go any gentler. Waiting for a breeze to turn you is taking forever, mnya. Poppy sighed, and the book floated up of its own accord and shut at the same time. Most people would pay a kingdom's worth of blood and gold to peek at even one of my pages. He thundered and then sniffed. Reduced to a child's entertainment novel, how drowl. He sighed and flopped back onto the bed. Poppy wanted to remind the book that it had done nothing but waste away the bookstore in the middle of nowhere for many years, but then decided it wasn't worth another lecture. Tom, or Tomb of Eternity, was a rather grouchy book at any given moment. Poppy sat on her bed and poked him. Then how do I read you? She asked, trying to put some actual curiosity in her voice, and she was due to a nap and couldn't help but yawn. Magic, powerful energies that would let me reveal secrets to the user at appropriate strength. I highly doubt you'll have much luck. Tom began with enough smugness to make Poppy's classmate Grim look humble. 
Oh, Poppy could try that. She really wanted to read Tom. She stimulated the feeling of being big, marking the highest score on the exam, winning the race with Dio, finding the best skipping stones. Superiority. Power. No peer to be found. Her mouth cracked slightly as she grinned, with fangs and her eyes went black and slitty glowing yellow irises. The feeling of being a queen of all monsters and more pitiful ants. She was a dragon with no equal. She slashed at hand and the book gave a yelp as it turned to the middle section filled with words. Poppy slowly began to push herself back to a calm state. Endless white, no hint of anything but just sleep and peace. She felt the heat fade and her manner popped like a soap bubble. She sniffed an eye at the curtains which had turned into cinders as her bed looked blackened. Yeah, she'd have to go get a new one now. What in the Dickens pose? I demanded a reasonable explanation for that. Tom questioned, voice high like a small boy. I ate a dragon tail once. My dad cooked it with spicy herb from a volcano, and it was nice, she shrugged. She leaned back in to read Tom's blustered and sputtering. Are you some blue mage? What kind of child gets access to those types of meals? He screeched, but Poppy was too busy reading. The pages were powerful monsters almost like a bestiary, and it spoke of where and how to find these fearsome beasts, their abilities, what Poppy could gain from them. Boss, she sighed and turned to another page. Tom was mumbling to himself furiously. The next few pages came in, and it showed the human girl with a glare on her face. The page filled in as Poppy found herself disliking the girl for some reason that she couldn't quite understand. Beta. The monster that devours monsters, given the ability of purple magic with complete control. Poppy said and she stared at the picture of the creature in human skin. Rather new addition, if I'm correct. Odd creature. Usually these things are not so sudden. The great king of monsters usually takes time to release the unnatural things into the world. Tom hummed. Poppy drew a moustache from Beta's face. Tom didn't even notice. Who's the king of monsters? She asked as she added curls to the face hair. He is the physical agent of brother of old. I would surmise that he is the first monster, and one that appears when monsters are pushed too far. It has been a long time since he has appeared, Tom admitted. You think a king would be kind of hard to miss? Bommy pointed out. Tom huffed. The king of monsters breaks down into mana and is reborn when the imbalance is skewed too far in either manner. Tom lectured. Poppy poked at the book. Show me what he looks like now. She poked harder. Tom huffed, but his pages turned. If he's even around, there is no promise that he... Oh, he is around. Tom's voice went odd. Poppy stared at the page. That is not a king. That's adorable. She smiled softly. An orange slime was rolling down a grassy hill, bubbling in cheer and delight. It came to a stop in a bush of wildflowers. The slime bubbled as they danced in the wind. It giggled as a bee buzzed at it. It buzzed back, and its body shaking like jello, and the bee flew off, nonplussed. It hopped along the tall grass and hummed out the warbling off-note song. The path behind it burst slightly into a beautiful flowers and grass as the imprinted manna left behind soaked into the ground. The little orange blob stopped as it stared up at the massive tree and dangling apples. Usually you're a bit more on fire and brimstone with lots of people screaming. A voice came from very far away. The blob turned and tilted so hard that it fell over. It gurgled and blew bubbles. 
True, the balance is sort of fine. I didn't expect you to be born as a slime, but you always were an odd duck. Amalicus. The father asked, the slime thought about it and thought hard. It was weaving deaths and monsters and humans. The balance of the sword against claw. It was fire and blood. It saw where life should be stamped out new, and life the forest fire. It removed the old and gave away to new, but it also saw something else. A girl with a tie and bright eyes, laughter tempered by wool. It bubbled and began hopping again. I'm not sure what that means exactly. The closest dungeon to educate would be Yarl, and I don't think he needs to... The... Actually, ignore that. You should totally do that. Rather instructed, the slime bubbled cheerfully. In fact, according to your auntie, there is a group of people that you should use as meat shields. Well, let's call them helpers. You need to show them your wise and totally not the end of all they know. See if you can lead them to the duh. Well, you'll know when you get there. The little singing ball of slime made a comment. Getting feisty. Fine, fine, you're the king. If you want to be called a jerk, go for it. His voice faded and the slime cheered in agreement. That's the tale of Mule. The little slime that could do a lot of damage. Brother hummed as he fished his hook out and naught to show for it. Did sister say to mess with the princess and yell or to leave them alone? At this crucial step of the dungeon human relationship understanding, he mused, he shrugged and stretched. I'm sure it was whatever I did. I'm always sort of right, he admitted. Skeletons in colorful clothes and makeup was a little distracting, which Dalton guessed was the point in their favor as performers. Red stars over empty eye sockets, scowled smiles with no lips, leotards with no muscles or stretch to them. All of them did the same routine of dancing. It was like a workout video with the from Hal that was on the bargain bin. Delta weakly applauded and a couple doing knife juggling. One went too far and fell right on the empty ribcage where it rattled on the inside. Well, Delta guessed the workplace accidents would be pretty hard to come by. Rennie began to correct his forms for movements. He snapped at the skeleton who tried to climb a high wire with furious clicking at the safety net still rolled up. He pulled a confused skeleton out of the color cannon that had remained unlit. Dalta was sure that he had done the mime any favors by unleashing these boneheads on him. But as she reached out, she blinked at the slightly glow around Rennie. He radiated annoyance, as expected, but there was also excitement and surprise. He felt busy for the first time in a long time, and Dalta hid a smile and went to get his food stand ready since people would be arriving en masse from the second tunnel entrance. It would be a good place for the food to be sold. She spent the DP and formed the ground rose metal counters and swinging door. Mass formed together to give the rise of various jugs and colored fruit juice and a quiet popcorn machine that was visible through the glass under the service counter. Behind, posters frames rose and only one had anything in it. It showed the skeleton crew in a triangle pose, like cards stacked upon each other. There was a single line at the bottom. The circus run by a skeleton crew. Come tickle your funny bone. The food stand was to the right of the entrance that had red and green stripes everywhere that it could manage. The cash register was a grinning skull atop of the popcorn ad. Next to it was a little bit of ominous. Delta's popcorn, it's to die for. All because of... But what was it even made of? Dalta asked aloud and nearly shrieked as Sparrow answered her.
the goblin had just appeared from under the counter like a damned ninja. What else? Mushroom booths and unspeakable horrors. The goblin grinned. Is it uh, going to kill people? Delta had to ask, for a slight hesitation was telling. Not a lot. Just the old or sickly, she said calmly. Delta glared at her and dragged her menu open. She scanned the menu and her finger found an option that she was looking for. Upgrade, upgrade, she chanted urgently. Upgrade popcorn to come. Upgrade popcorn to go. Upgrade popcorn to grey. Upgrade popcorn to undeaf. The popcorn that glass window began to give off a bright yellow glow. Delta blinked in the menu quickly, said its message, as if panting to keep up. Popcorn has upgraded to unknown quality. Popcorn of the standard does not exist in the natural world. Uh, one bag is enough to change someone's life. Its cereal popcorn is now for sale. The local food deity gives the snack an 8 out of 10. Delta lifted a finger off the upgrade button and carefully closed the menu. She closed her eyes. Nothing bad will come of this. I didn't do anything weird or strange. It'll be okay, she said in a calming tone. Ferris snorted. You keep telling yourself that, she said, snacking the food and going a little glossy-eyed. Poppy blinked as her father paced in his kitchen. His wild-eyed and fingers trailed over many jars and tins that he had collected over the years. Dad, she asked as he spun, scary gleam in his eyes. Poppy, it has happened. I sense it. A powerful rival has created food beyond compare in this field. Tell your mother that I shall be uh, busy. He clapped his hands together and lighting the four stovetops in the room at once. Poppy closed the door and yawned. Dad is such a weirdo, said Tom, who was stuck under her arm. According to my pages, that man is a fabled demonic chair. Tom almost squealed before Poppy cracked him open. Show me something cool, she said and settled into a good armchair. Oh, you... Fine, let's see. How about the Tale of Silver, the Fallen Dungeon? He offered the tall spire silver forming on the blank page. Sounds depressing. Anything happy? She asked and looked at the photo on the wall that showed her friends, Amister and Dio. How it made her feel not as blank. Mm, well, let's see. Ah, how about the tale of the black witch that fell in love? He asked. Poppy thought about it and then nodded. Once in the dark forest when only evil and cruelty would grow. There once was a witch with thorns. Poppy settled in and listened as Tom indulged her. One day, she fought a knight of glutton and was badly injured, and that was when the man who had gotten lost by following the robin found her. She growled, Envy, or you shall be dead very soon. Tom said in a horribly voice acting. The man said with no fear, I cannot die twice, for you already have taken my heart upon my chest with your enchanting looks. The story went on and Poppy wondered what kind of dysfunctional couple this was. Tom went on about the witch guarding some dungeon, and the man nearly dying from her, but Poppy drifted off to sleep before long. Tom didn't seem to notice at all. Thank you, Rudy, Mr. Dabagos beamed as Rudy handed him a cut flowers with a glower. No problem, how's the family? She asked Mr. Dabagos, looking even merrier. You know Holly, absolutely mad over a garden, now that the manor levels let her grow some, uh, interesting things. He flushed. He hummed as the sounds of childish fighting erupted above. The kids are kids. My eldest is currently floating between being a tree or a person. Teenagers. He laughed and Rudy gave him an odd look, but wasn't sure that she was equipped to handle this line of conversation. 
Trees are pretty uh, tall, she said weakly, and Mr. Tabagos nodded and leaned in. I'm sorry to bother you. I know that you're busy, but you wouldn't happen to know any talking trees. My eldest is nervous, and Holly is taking very teacher-like approach, but I'm a softie, and I wouldn't mind trying to get her support. He asked quietly to make sure that his wife didn't hear. Well, there's one in Delta's joint, but... Rudy was cut off by Mr. Damagost's face lit up. Really? Oh, that's fantastic. I need to go tell my daughter. He said excitedly as the door shut. Rudy still had her hand up in protest. She's kind of a nut job, she said in a defeated tone. She paused and then scowled. That damned orange bird. Nut job. She's a murder tree and I'm making puns. She sighed. I hate quests. She turned and walked off. Delta was good to people. She would control the demon tree. Rudy wanted a drink, and she wanted it now. Her mother would know that she'd skipped on the other tasks before Rudy even made it ten feet towards the pub. She wished that she had a way to do tasks and drink. Hi, Miss Rudy, came the voice of the boy that could be told to do anything. Rudy smiled and slowly turned to Dio. Ah, my little helper, she beamed and leaned in. How would you like to borrow an epic sword for some mighty questing? She asked and Magma began to steam in protest. Shut it, and I'll get you cheese later. She hissed and the sword went quiet again. I would love to help. I'll get all my friends to help as well, Dio said, red hair bouncing and a smile turned up to eleven. Perfect. It was like bribing one minion to get three for free. Dio, your heart is too pure for your own good. For the good of mankind, Rudy said solemnly. Well, she was half-demon. Her nature had to kick in sometime outside of battle. Taking advantage of innocence was just one of those ways. Delta carefully stepped back inside of Ferris seemed to vanish into a trapdoor that uh, took her back up to the first floor. Delta tried to peer inside, and the space that had been twisted to be almost blackwoods stared back in tears. She didn't know what else to do, so she threw some popcorn into the darkness and whirled the trapdoor to shut itself before the distant burp echoed into the darkness between floors. Renny finally had some skeletons doing some basic routines, and Delta had to admit the ghoul was good at it. The skeletons didn't speak, or neither did Renny. It was really, really quiet in the tent besides the clatter of bones and Renny's finger snapping. It was bad enough that the visuals were hard to look at. The sound didn't have to be so spooky. She flushed some DP on Maestro and waited for the shaking earth or ear splitting apart, or maybe even Maestro rising up from the shadows in his new form. But instead, Delta watched as a thin paper barrier was lowered from the ceiling on unseen ropes and pulleys, and then the shadow of the door opened on the far side and lights light up and gave a clear profile of Maestro climbing up to a small platform. His insect-like limbs had barely visible chittering mouth, made Delta's neck hair stand up in goosebumps. Did someone call for a romance to their ears? I, the forever dashing star, have answered the call, but it's so sad for the children it shows to come. I am behind the paper wall. If they wish to see my full gloriness, they'll just have to find me properly. He laughed, and tooting his horns sounded out with the jingling bells. Rennie walked over and vanished behind the screen before his form stopped for a moment and Maestro's purr of the voice sounded out. Even the cool soul of Rennie can't stop admiring my elegance now. Now, now, we have a job to do.
Maestro leaned down to Rennie. The mime nodded jerkily and staggered back out of the screen towards Delta. I warned you, she said blankly. Rennie just stood there as Maestro made a haunting pipe organs breathe and jump and beat like a heart monitor. This is Maestro. He cackled and the strum of the electric guitar made the skeleton shuffle in unison. Come on now, boys and girls of every age, would you like to see something strange? Maestro's voice went high in a demonic glee. The skeleton's eyes glowed with a supernatural red, as if the music gave them power. Two began to flip and land in unnatural grace. Another one landed on the shoulder of another before they were launched to a seesaw into a barrel. Delta wished that she could hug Rennie and cover her eyes, but the scene, while making her shake, mesmerized her. Something about the antics that the show captured her eyes. The horror of the performing turning into the existence, into art. Delta saw Rennie wanted to control them or direct them, but they seemed more in tune with the music than his own commands. Delta could fix that. She opened a menu and tapped him. I can make you the ringleader if you'd like, she offered. She didn't want to push the upgrade on the mine without his agreement. Rennie pulled outside so that they could have more space and silence to hear each other. She repeated a question and Rennie froze. The pale face turned slowly until he was staring fully at the memorial statue of his father that Delta had made for him. Under the many glinting starlight mushrooms that acted as stars, the statue looked mysterious, if not gentle. He wandered over to it and stared up at the stylish moustache with excited eyes. He touched the top hat, grasped in the man's left hand, and howled onto it like the side of the statue. I think he'd be happy to know that you carried on his legacy, but you shouldn't feel trapped by it either. Delta told him, and the mime turned to her and closed his eyes. Delta felt a small tug as the contract bond between them seemed to vibrate with his feelings. Conflicted hope, sadness, fear. Delta saw Rennie's father in her memory, and she looked out at Rennie's eyes as the much younger ghoul stared up at the man. He was handsome and had a wicked gleam in his eyes that promised adventure and stories to tell for years to come. He seemed to put his top hat on Rennie's head and nearly swallowed Rennie's head due to being too big. You are my son, be it a ringmaster or a free soul. I shall be here. He tapped Rennie's chest and irradiated with warmth through Rennie. The ringmaster then picked up his son. Come, we must see the new snake charmers. I heard that being half-snake lets the woman dance like no other. Charms the tips out of the crowd, no doubt. The memory was strong and Delta had to blink away. The sudden wetness in her eyes as Rennie looked back at his father. He was a great man, she said with a little doubt. Rennie nodded and then turned to her. He got down on one knee and did a one-armed bow at the same time. His wide grin revealed back gums and teeth stretched wide. It said as clear as day, Do your worst. No backouts, she laughed and hit the upgrade button. The flash of light swallowed Rennie and even the circus stopped its music for that moment. It seemed to breathe in as ascending its new proper master. Delta squinted until the light finally faded away and she had to give a long whistle. Rennie, you look like a showman. She laughed in the light, clapping her hands. Rennie rolled his new black top hat down his arm before bouncing it with his wrist up to his head. The cane he leaned on had a crystal mushroom adorned at the top of it. His dark red jacket was crisscrossed with orange buttons and string. 
His dark pants and shiny shoes made him look like he had stepped out of a ballroom. His face had a dark fibers that acted like a hair for ghouls, trimmed as so tidy into facial hair like his father. His beady eyes remained and the grin Rennie had now could pass off as human if you ignored the star-like rose that glinted in the low light. As stretched out his arms and gave Delta a full smile and Delta twitched. It was like a gaping moor of fangs and black flesh. Let the show begin. He howled and the tent behind him erupted into light and music, his new temporary power-up already fading without a show to keep the ringleader persona going. Ready would be a mime again soon. Still, his voice was captivating and would draw anyone's attention. Delta wished at the customer's luck. She also needed to get new to make some legal waivers for customers to sign because this was not going to go well. She gave a good-natured sigh. At least Rennie was happy, and that's all that mattered to Delta. End of chapter There is no epic lucha, only puns. Chapter 104, Spring of the Soul Delta left the deliriously happy Rennie to whip his new performers into shape. She walked past the snoozing Wilhelm and back into the jungle, in time to see the tiny, scampering pinky mushrooms running by with the new popcorn in their hands. She cleared her throat. The three little creatures froze and looked up at her with wide, round eyes. Their masks turned to the sides to allow them to better rub the popcorn against their faces. Are you lot causing trouble again? She asked, voice intentionally blank. One squeaked and hopped a few times. The middle one squealed as well and dealt a new while they didn't have mouths. They were able to sort and toot the air in caps and compressed spaces to make noises. It was like passing gas, but done conversationally. And you have no intention of luring poor folk off the path with popcorn, she asked as the words translated in her mind. But if the cute fawns or mind-numbing teeth-cracking horror, Delta could hold conversations with any of her monsters at this point. The pygmies explained how they wanted to collect the golden balls of deep desire for the tribes and share it with a new friend. They raised alarm bells until they described he of the golden fibers on fire. Delta's alarm bells turned into whistles and groans at the thought of Chris interacting with her adorable little devils. These little guys were the biggest troublemakers in her dungeon, and she had goblins. But the fact that they were bonding with Chris showed a remarkable improvement over their previous behavior. Delta guessed that it paid to have a firm with them at times. She let them go and they vanished into the distant underbrush with more singing out of the caps. How could something so cute cause so much trouble? Delta honestly wasn't sure that she'd ever make something that would rival their cuteness or their penchant for mischief again. Mule watched as the forming murderous giant wolf bared its teeth at him. The domain it had set up gave it power and minions to control like puppets. It had yet to form a proper intelligence, but Mule goggled at it. It was Fluffy. Delta would have liked Fluffy, but he was picked up and flung off by the master wolf and tried to rend him blob from blob. Mule waited until he was sure that the creature was confused, and then formed two black eyes and blinked right into the wolf's red ones. He goggled. No, this Fluffy was no good. It had too many seats in it. Another domain gone wrong. That's why dungeons were so easily much better. Delta would have made so much cooler wolf than this was nice. Mule's orange body shifted and he left the happy piece of himself that Delta had created to be overtaken, protected by his true nature. 
something he hoped to slowly introduce to his Delta pool of mana. It was definitely odd to have two souls, but it was also a new experience. Mule didn't get to feel those all that often. The thought faded as a new emotion surged forward. His black beady eyes snapped open and the red slit cut its way down the black orbs. The eyes of the king stared out at the beast holding him. His body turned red and grew, breaking the wolf's fangs by sheer mass of its went. Damulecus rose and rose until he was king once more. He then removed the small forest, and a few moments later Mule chirped as he hopped out of the sizzling wasteland of heat and blackened trees. His shrinking orange form once more. He had a new goal now. Find a Fluffy. That one was nice. It was good to have goals. Delta was glad that the Pygmies were the worst of her troublesome creatures besides Wyam. While the tree woman seemed calmer, the bloodlust of hers seemed to bubble to the surface a lot. She froze as the stalls of mana and DP sharply rose and new popped into existence. What did you do? We just got an energy from kills. Delta gaped at him. I didn't do anything. I only made a supernatural popcorn and created a circus of the damned. I'm innocent, she cried in her defense. Mana pumped into making more random rocks and hanging vines with blossoming flowers nearby to make sure that she didn't get too close to the upper limit. Mana maxing sucked. I'll ask Sis. No, wait. I got an update. Sis said that it's nothing to worry about. She said Brother sent someone to mop up some rogue domains and had no use for their seeds himself, and he had plenty of resources, so he donated them to the cause. This Brother seems mighty efficient. Perhaps we can swap siblings. New was turned into a horrid shade of neon pink. He trolled in alarm. I was jesting. Put down the glitter black drop program. New was spinning in panic, and Delta didn't do anything as he deserved taunting from the system herself. New was reserved to his preferred blue and deflated, shrinking to a small window as if he'd been scalded. You're going to say something wrong to her one day and be forced to speak in rhymes for the rest of yours. Don't mock or tease the powerful not-god children. They're nice, but they know how to get revenge, she said. Aren't you knowledgeable about the vengeful siblings? Well, I did have a younger brother, she beamed. New screen went blank and Delta was about to ask if something was wrong. Her words died as her mind replayed her own words, so innocently spoken. I have a younger brother. I have a younger brother. Younger brother. Young brother. Brother. I had a brother. Breathe. Breathe. Focus on my words. New screen was right before her face and the light made it out of darkness at the sight of her vision faded a little. New, I had have a brother. She gasped and a dungeon suddenly felt too cramped. It was as if no matter which way she turned, she saw walls and no way out besides the white barrier in her entrance. She struggled to breathe before she let her mind dungeon a little. The detached version of her dungeon pals was able to filter out the chaos for a moment. She had no idea what had happened. Why was she suddenly remembering things? She moved, not bothering with flying, and instead commanded herself to the core room. Her pedestal orange orb was still where she had left it. The sea of orange looked the same until she glimpsed something. A small moat of white. It seemed to swirl like a snowflake. Frowning, she turned to the dungeon sensors on her core, and the sheer complexity of the sight was staggering. It was as if a dungeon was flowing lines of numbers and perfectly structured moats of orange manor. 
Her core was a little white hole. It exploded out with waves of pulsing orange, a liquid so thick in this room that it made it hard to see her own hand in front of her face. It seeped into the walls where it was siphoned off to the countless processes needing the energy. Delta's core was thousands of interwoven lattices of thin crystals and symbols, each one pulsing in time with a rhythm, giving an overall call to the appearance of something alive. A heart that falls of the brain. The shell holding a being. The white snowflake bounced off a symbol, and it seemed to jolt a single symbol on another layer. Delta felt like her head was pounding, but she focused on the white moat. It was... Rennie. Her mime. The moat was that scene that had shared over the bond. The scene of love and endless affection for his father. It had formed a physical aspect in Delta's core for a moment and was breaking down every second it bounced around. The flakes jolted a lone symbol that looked like a sideways W, but the ends were twisted. She looked at the symbol and under the crackle of orange manor, there was a faint hint of white. Like the sea of bed under the ocean, the flickering memories of siblings that rose from those. Delta tried to grab the symbol or do something, but she was utterly unable to affect her own core. The memory was fading. While she would have the information of her brother, the memory linked to him would be buried once more, and Delta couldn't stop it. It was... painful. Her mind buzzed, and there was a soothing noise, like an echo of a voice on the wind. Delta snapped her head up as a manner was weaving by someone unseen, and the core began to open like a lotus flower. The world felt very odd, the moment as the complex core was blooming before her eyes. Delta felt peaceful and serene as the being she now knew was cis manipulated the ruins, and the symbol she was after rose like an island to the outer surface of the core. It blazed white and then slowly orange. The core released itself. The memory was back, and it wasn't fading, and a window emerged at her side. By reaching a high-level bond with your contract, Rennie, you were able to unlock a fraction of yourself. The system has been able to solidify the rising piece and reattach it firmly to your core. This process must not be rushed or tinkered with. The loss of one symbol could create a chain reaction and cause rapid corruption. I don't, I... Thank you. How do I do that? Delta tried to hug the window. Sis just helped her save her memory. New took over, his blue screen shade appearing over the orange box. You can unlock your memories by allowing powerful feelings or sensations or memories to be given to you. This is most easily done through contracts. Normal monsters cannot give you this, as they lack any outside influence to cause pieces to stand out for now. The system has no reward. I don't need them. I just having myself back, even slowly, is amazing. Thank you. The both of you. Arthur laughed and knew looked lost at what to say in return. Here, let me show you, she said with a big, bright smile. She used the weird pushing sensation of her dungeon powers towards the menu and the system. A flash of a young boy, his features blurry and hard as he appeared. I don't want carrots, so you can have them. You like them? The boy said, lying through his teeth but trying to play it off as cool. Delta fell in step with the leading her to the core, laughing and crying. Her head hurt but her chest felt heavy, had a lone memory. Delta would never forget it. He seems like a proud brat. Delta snapped her head up and covered her mouth with a burst of delirious giggles. New went quiet for a moment. Sister's happy for you. 
Her cooing and noises are like drowning fish, make me assume that she's crying like a sap. Hurrah! Wait, Sis would like to share something back. Delta blinked, oddly, as her vision went dark and she found herself on the plane of flat darkness. Up and down had no exact relation to this place. Delta watched as two things moved ahead. It was like a spiraling galaxy that turned on its axle, and then the end to end, the beginning of all. Delta saw the potential and destruction. The two shapes abruptly shifted to a small girl and a familiar smoking boy. The pressure on Delta's mind eased off at the same time, like the sight that she had been looking at should not have been seen directly. The boy was brother and Delta turned to the girl with the white, simple cotton dress who was sniffling sadly. That had to be Sis. I won at the guessing the number. You really have to stop picking ten. The boy chided. The girl wiped her eyes. It's the first two-digit figure. It's cute, she said sadly. Well, that means I get to create the next monster. Bro announced, and the blackness below, Delta folded out the show of the world below. A long beam of energy was surging up to the moon above the several long streams. Emerging from the flat world below were several locations. The two siblings were hovering somewhere between. I think a double-headed lion that shoots ice and fire could be awesome. Or maybe a snake with a head at one end instead of a tail. Bro rubbed his hands eagerly. He slowed his smile and just sniffed again. He rolled his eyes, looked again, and grunted. Actually, I think a rabbit would be so cool. He gritted his teeth and forced each word out, but Sis seemed rather oblivious to the falseness and looked up at him with her yellow eyes alight with joy. Do I want to have a unicorn rabbit, she pleaded. The name made Bro twitch as if he was tasting something vile. Horned rabbit would be fine, I guess, he said, and they grasped each other's hands and they began to shape a form. Delta never got to see the end result of this vision ended. Bro is such a big brother, she smiled and Do shuddered, shaking off the last of Sis's powers. She must have used him to transmit the vision to Delta. Are you going to sit and grin at yourself all day, or do you have something else planned? Her surly friend asked. Delta hummed as she thought about it. How's the third floor? Any changes? She inquired, and Nu took a second to answer. Some attempts to breaking your symbols, but nothing of note yet. The empty space of the lab needs something added in, but that can wait until you've enjoyed your day off. The gargoyles are standing guard on the two trolls, along with Jack. I have little fear of anything trouble cropping up. The news was pleasing. Let's go see what the hidden jungle garden is doing. Delta decided and left recall, humming and feeling like the world was bright and lovely once more. Everything was horrible. Shinina filled another tankard as deadly boss Sir Fran did his best to outdrink the smoking soir. The fire goblin had been exploding the fortress room and came in boasting about how he was the true dangerous goblin in the dungeon. Fran was nearby and decided that he couldn't let that slide. So, for some reason, only known to the goblins, they tried to drink each other under the table. The problem was that they drank so fast. Shinina had to rush back and forth like a rabbit to fetch the drinks. Wash mugs and handle the other orders as Lady Farah cooked and handled the other floors. Another, Bran roared. Face purple, his cute little pig friend snorted and gave off a massive passing of gas that made the dangerously evil-looking Billy, the ranger goblin, pass out in shock since he was right behind the pig. 
Shinina had learned to use a rag as a mask to pass through the cloud and slammed more ember whiskey down at the table. It was some concoction using actual ground fire crystals. That stuff was potent enough to kill a human if ingested, and they would burn if they didn't simply die from the poisoning. She had no idea how Farrah made it drinkable or smell of cherries. Honestly, both facts made Shinina more afraid of the female goblin. Between the forbidden shroom pop and the series of drinks that looked so much like failed potions, Shinina hoped that the spa wouldn't get anything more dangerous to serve. It was playing havoc on her nerves. She ran back and forth and stopped to give the deep sniff and a half sob at her fate. The room went deathly silent. The next thing she knew, she was in a chair, and Fran was looking into her eyes. His purple cheeks at odds with his firm eyes. My lady, please forgive us. I had become too wrapped up in our game to see that harm that we were doing. He began and Soir opened his mouth with a smirk before Fran lightly pushed the back of his neck and made him bow his head enough to be bust his nose off the floor. I apologize, now let go of me. The fiery goblin hissed and Fran sighed. Making a lady and will find Sir Cry is something the mother would absolutely detest. I am to be better than that. Please do allow me to cover for you for a break. Madame Farrah would not protest as you are legally entitled to an hour's break in your shift. Fran nodded seriously. I get breaks here? Nina asked. All the goblins shared a look. We have legal rights? Swan asked in a more alarm and dismayed by the news. Feel free to wave your own to continue your right to explode stuff, Ran said dryly. This seemed to cheer up the fire-loving goblin greatly. I'm not sure I should, Shinina began, but Fran was already behind the bar. I've seen Pharaoh do this many times. Sure, a boss of my school can do this all as well. He began and then grabbed the bar wiper and then cleaned chemical and the bottle of the burning shots called Goblin Tears. Surely, the more types of one drink is the better. He mused, and the glass that he had begun to fill with many types of drinks began hissing like an animal while it filled. She had a bad feeling about this. The garden had been busy. Delta stared in awe as a sheer wall of life. She moved through the bundles of flowers, plants and fruit, and the other things all flourished over the man event. A vent that must have reached Brother's stolen eye somehow and leaked to the surface. The garden took some excess manner from you when you were overfilled from the Spider Queen to help out. It may have been many days ahead of expectations. New offered as he too took in the scene. Anything of note? Delta asked and New went quiet for a while as he stalked through the recent logs. Delta took in the time to enjoy the scenery and move about. A spreeze of many flowers, some weakly magical, but they've already begun to seed out in the jungle due to the bees. Some herbal remedies. Numbing tulip, a flower whose sap can numb the skin on contact. His medical uses. Happy sunflower seeds, seeds of a grown happy sunflower, causes general good moods, can be addicting if overused. Dream root, a root that causes drowsiness. Energy root, a root that is grew inside out, has the opposite effect of dream root, may cause days of sleeplessness if overused. Buttercup, petals melt above the room temperature into butter, used to attract insects during summer, but it is utterly low in saturated fats or artificial flavorings for all of the health nuts out there. Delta Bloom She snapped her head at the box in excitement. I have a flower named after me. She beamed, and her mood was even brighter. She turned and looked for it, despite the fact that she had no idea what it was. 
darts a bloom, an orange poppy that smells of wet fungi, infects other breeds of flowers causing mutations. If consumed and distilled into large quantities, it may do the same to beasts or people. Delta froze, looking straight down at the small patch of orange buds that had no flowers growing around them within a foot radius. Bad mutations or cool ones like in the comics, she asked in a small voice. Unknown without test subjects, may I suggest poisoning the local water supply and observing the results? No, she said with an appall in her voice. I'm just joking. The flowers seemed to mingle by pushing mana into nearby life forms. It would take years of contact to cause any real change to the location. If consumed, the human body would purge it naturally if they didn't keep drinking it. It would be equivalent to rub-on tattoos. Harmless. Delta knew her luck was both too bad and too good for this to be harmless. How harmless, she pressed. There is only one way to find out. He told her and Delta and felt bad for a moment when she agreed. It was a little mean. The question of who was the strongest goblin on average at the base strength had been answered by the time Delta appeared in the bar. Vera threw Fran into the wall with a scowl. She marched over and dragged the terrified boss monster back to his feet and in the center of the room. You wasted valuable drinks and mixtures. You wasted my personal mix. You created things that I had to burn. She yelled and Fran reached for Bacon for help, but the pig was too busy trembling under the table to see his master's fate. Delta stared at the chaos as the shell-shocked Nina looked haunted by something that she had seen and one side of the room looked like something had violently burned into it. Trails of crusty slime coated the stone. Ferret turned to Delta and huffed. You want a test subject? Fran just volunteered, she growled, and the boss shot Delta a pleading look for help. Is Fran sure? Delta asked after a moment. Ferret nodded. He is. I'm sure he's eager to help out as compensation. She said tightly as her first floor boss, Monster, nodded in defeat, not wanting to say anything that could draw attention to himself. Delta decided not to get in the middle of goblin politics. She created some of the Delta blooms when Farah took a great delight in mixing with what little drinks that she had left. The result was a spicy orange drink that fizzed. Bottoms up, Fran, she grinned darkly. Fran, never wanted to shy away from a challenge, took it and downed it in one gulp. I didn't have a chance to look at it. Delta said and was worried she was about to see her first four blasts explode. Fran smacked his lips a few times. I don't feel any... Urgh. He hacked suddenly and shuddered violently as his eyes began to bulge in surprise. He grabbed his head in surprise and Delta was about to try and help him when Fran did explode with hair. His bald head suddenly began to flow with long golden locks that weaved and danced until it reached his lower back. The hair was the purest of gold that moved in the wind that didn't exist. My goblin just mega evolved into Fabio Goblin. Delta shrieked. Fran gingerly touched his head and followed the trail down. I think getting into a helmet will be a bother now, he admitted. Vera was grinning like a hoon. Fran the knight who swoons the maiden's hearts. Be sure to pluck a few from my cooking. She cackled, and Fran turned to Nina, who was staring in wonder. I'm sorry my own hair is now longer than yours. I mean no insult, he said apologetically. Delta needed a drink. N -n None taken, it's very pretty, Nina said in a weird voice. Delta decided that she would just take some shots instead. End of chapter.
There is no epic loot, only puns. Chapter 105. Dulce's Day Off. Fran didn't keep his Fabio hair. It had fade as new promised, but oddly, the goblin actually seemed to be a little sad to see it go. Nina left after a while as Farrah deemed her first day amusing. Delta wished the girl luck as she headed off with a pouch of random herbs, mushrooms, and a fruit as a day payment. Delta really needed some kind of official currency to work with. She had the first floor a quick check over, making sure Maestro was still peachy with his new form before she turned to her goblins. Hub and Gob had been pretty much just gathering things, but they seemed to be bored than ever. New job, the two of you. She grinned and the two siblings shared a look and they seemed eager. Grab some random things around the dungeon and take them to Durance. See if you can sell them or trade things. Listen to Quiz or Rudy if you do not know what to do. You are to follow the law and not steal anything, she instructed. Gobbo's to become merchants, Gob was interested. Honest merchants, Delta agreed. Not sure to make lots of money being honest, Hob admitted. Morally honest, Delta amended. No ripping off poor hummies, no selling slaves and no drugs unless approved by the local government. Gob listed. Delta stared. We learn from Delta. Ideas come into head sometimes. Hob beamed. Delta was glad that she didn't have to teach goblins how to better humans and then a lot of humans. She focused and the slow formation of wheels came into existence. Give me a moment to get this right, she said cheerfully. We want a sign as well for the shop. Hob yelled and Delta nearly added the Mobius strip of the cart instead of a wheel in surprise. Like what? she said. The goblin shared a look. Durance had seen a lot of things. It was an epicenter of weirdness, most residents would admit. There were warriors of great renown, wizards of many forbidden and bizarre arts, many monsters passing as human, and even things that didn't bother trying. Durance was weird. So it was not every day that people stopped in the street to stare at something. Come and see Hob and Gob's Bits and Bobs. Fresh dungeon loot without having to dungeon. Come, spend your human items for great dungeon treasure. The small goblin yelled, waving an orange flag with a weird triangle on it. The cart had been loaded out with the growing orange ruins and blazing with the same triangle symbol. The large pile of mushrooms, flowers, jars of honey, and raw fish were on display. The cart itself had a sleeping duck on the one side. It had a little sash that said, Security. There was a silence broken only by the excited yell of a child carrying many flowers of his own, being followed by a shell-shocked girl in a cloud robe and an amused giant woman known as Rudy. Delta's friends, is it? I, Dio, welcome you to my home. I'm glad that you finally came to visit. The boy beamed and the goblins waved at him lazily. Yo, Delta sends regards and gives all previous good dungeon delvers 50% off for the first purchase. The goblin said with a grag, greeted, Quiss is going to blow a lid when he sees this. Rudy grinned at the duck. The people watching quickly shuffled off to those words. The local peacekeeper had a temper not many liked to encourage. I'll take all your fish. What do you want for them? Rudy asked the newcomers. They shared a look. One thing of worth? One of them tried to offer weakly. Rudy pursed the lips. You're gonna need help. Stay here and don't sell anything. I'll go grab smalls and happy. She sighed, and Dio looked up. Who's happy? He asked, still holding all of the flowers and items for Rudy. At the name, all the nearby businesses shut their windows, closed their curtains, and Rudy looked at the quiet street. Happy is a merchant of death. 
He's the kind of guy that turns family-owned bakeries into multi-city monstrous factories of product, she said dryly. He sounds helpful, Dio beamed once more. He just has some quirks that makes him pain to get involved with. But I owe Delta for the sweet as I mean, cool sword and I have now. Rudy said seriously, What kind of quirks? How items need to be used more sooner than later. Brother Hop here thinks maybe two days max, the other goblin announced. Happy tends to, uh, be excitable about everything, Rudy said with a pained voice. The goblin shared another look, but everything went quiet as Quiss turned the corner and froze. The duck on the cart opened one red eye. You, Quiss said with a heavy tone. The duck stared straight back. They'll be fine. I mean, Waddles is scary enough to handle most things. I'm sure that my gobs will be perfect gentlemen, Delta said to an unimpressed Vera. And I am a dainty princess locked in a tower. Vera said blandly. Delta could give her that. Things would go wrong, but Delta was lucky. It would go wrong in the best way possible. The circus is on its way. The secret garden is doing just fine. Maestro and Wyme, I got a shiny new upgrade. I don't know what I should do next, Dalton mused. It's your day off, why do anything? Fran asked, and he flicked his hair. He had drunk another Delta supply shot, as Vera had dubbed it. It was funny now, especially when his steed, Bacon, had the same flowing locks on his own head. Maybe because they were one unit, they shared the same mutation. Like, if there were any challenges, you'd turn them down because you had your day off. Delta teased. Fran flicked his long locks with a smirk. A warrior work is never done, he said casually. Vera placed her hand on the counter and leaned in. How about giving old Vera a tune-up? I got three food areas to manage and only two hands. Maybe see what the girls can have to aid her. Hmm? The bartenders hummed and Delta nodded, flushing a little. She had dumped a lot of work on her recently. Delta focused on Vera and opened up her specific menu. It had a lot of options. Vera, room guardian of the tavern, manager of the food hall kitchen, manager of the snack stand circus, bartender cleaner, head of hiring, goblin disciplinary committee. That was just her titles. Delta gave for a moment before she quickly checked the rest of the box. Allow Vera's dishes and pots to be enchanted to self-work and clean when inside the kitchen and out of view of outsiders, gained from book discovered in the library, 10dp. Which one was that new? She asked brightly. The art of creating automatic killing swords and other sharp instruments. The spell was adapted after some work, sadly, to fit a much better in the line for this work. Right. Dark cult library. I shouldn't expect romance novels or cheesy hero books, she sighed, and new blinked wines. More of those than you think. Oddly, Jack built an odd altar to them and a crude drawing of someone's mother in a bathrobe. I think it's a woman, but hard to tell with Jack's art. We shouldn't judge Jack's religion. Anyway, she said and went back to the impatient-looking Farah. Allow Farah to hire, read as force, other goblin types to take on her job and gain half of her skill for an hour, 20 dp. Any food or drink made by Pharaoh rises in rank of quality up to a certain level, 15 dp. In an attack mode, all goblins in the same room give Pharaoh a boost in power. Pharaoh may gain abilities from each goblin, fire from Swan, brawling from Numb, and even Franz boss's powers, 40 dp. 
allow for a deep knowledge of coffee brewing using energy roots and other similar ingredients along with egg frying, perfect bacon and fish, 20 dp. Learn a rune from the delightful gentle soul that is fairer by summing up her being in an image, 5 dp. Delta was at a loss. Ran was supposed to be her scariest goblin and Farah here was angling for Superboss. She meekly purchased the enchanted helpers and the breakfast combo for now. Some help and coffee for Farah to prove for herself to make sure that the goblin didn't rebel for a pay raise or hold her core hostage for a pure Farah rage. I can learn a ruin from you. I'm sure it won't hurt, Delta requested. Farah was already mixing things when a grinder. Sure, Ma, I can already hear dishes cleaning themselves and stew stirring on its own. Do whatever you like. This goblin is one happy cookie. Farrah grinned, and she met Delta's eyes with a Delta saw. Under the gruff and scary layer, there was another tougher and crusty layer. But below that one was a soul that truly loved Delta. Promise me you won't be super boss and take over the dungeon if people annoy you too much. She asked and Farrah crossed her arms. I make no such promise. I will try not to remove so many heads from my wall, but that's all I promise when it comes to idiots. She said and went back to grinding coffee beans, or something that looked like coffee beans. Shrugging, Delta purchased the ruin. Vera flashed before her eyes, and Delta seemed to meld into the goblin for a moment. Vera. 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 What was the Vera, though? Tough, grouchy, even a maybe a little mean. Vera disagreed all of those words and broke the nose of the one saying them. Vera was pure, blunt, self-love and confidence in one's own home. To be fairer is to be proud. There is no greater insult to fairer than to look down on her work or insult her mother. Vera's heart was stone but inside were veins of love for her family, golden rich and of the highest purity. But her love was her own treasure. It was not a bauble for others to admire or pluck. Fera's love for her home was the very existence. Food to be made idiots to calm down guests to assure. Fera did these things with pride and ease because she was created as the hearth to the swarm family. She would burn those who would dare to try to take them. Delta snapped back to her own head in a daze as New gave her a nudge. Rune created... Vera's light, a flickering rune that gives warmth and ease to those in range. If power to the max may cause a radius of intense light which will cook foes, rune cost of the basic light, 10 mana. Rune with full light ability, 50 mana. Vera is... She's a good goblin, Delta finally said, and one of Vera's ears flicked, and she said nothing to indicate she heard this. Delta smiled to herself and floated off to ponder what she had felt and gather her thoughts. Swa sniffed as he eyed his empty glass. Ma is always doing weird things, right, Farah? He called and the goblin turned slightly at his call. Swa almost coughed as he saw the red rim to her eyes and a single tear to go with the runny nose. Oh, you're crying! Swa said as he was pulled over the bar and out of sight as Farah knelt down. One word and I'll throw you to the pygmies as a cleaning rag. She hissed, blowing her nose in a rag. Calm down, jeez, what got your gobbo in a bunch? He grumbled as he sat up. I saw her, Ferris faintly said. At Swan confused and looked and rolled her eyes. Ma! She looked into me and I looked into her. And Swan, she said, and the use of his name freaks Swan out more than the crying. Ma is beautiful. 
so much light and heart, so much she keeps to herself for our sake. Vera shook her head. She's a dungeon core. I bet she knows the secrets of the universe or things that'll break us. No big deal. We all know that. Swan said with a shrug. Vera smacked him. Don't be a dolt. Some things I saw, she began, and then both froze, as Nude floated above him. Some things you saw better kept to oneself. Delta has many problems and spreading them like a gossip isn't fair. The tone was frosty. New was like the cold earth to the warmth of Delta's sun. Hard and firm in its words, but reassuring as a leader. Delta was the brightest that gave them life. However, no offense, Menu. Mar can decide that. Vera said, and Swar shot her a wide-eyed look at answering back. Today is Delta's day off. Problems don't take holidays. She's constantly giving and giving, and we don't give back. So, be like a menu you are and keep your own business. If I want to talk to my ma, I will, Vera said with a hard ignorant. Delta allows much freedom in a dungeon, but acting too far out of order may still have consequences. Again, Ma can decide that. You need to get it through your system. Then Ma doesn't work like that. Consequences. Sure, but Ma is fair. So stop acting like you're in charge. Vera slammed her fist down on the bar and everyone went quiet. New screen was blank for a long moment. What makes you think that I can't be in charge of you? The challenge was simple but Vera leaned in unfazed because you waited until Ma left before speaking up. I think that says all it needs to, eh? She said casually and turned to make coffee. The box moved into view. I'm just trying to help her. Isolating her is a stupid way to do it. You think Ma wouldn't like to know that people want her to open up? For the smartest thing around, you really suck at understanding Ma, she snorted. You and Wyam are becoming far too headstrong. It's worrying. Ma makes family and people. That means you have to live with some family that annoys you and of something fierce. Welcome to the family, new, Ferris said and walked away. I wouldn't like to be unadopted myself, please. If we could, I would do it to that idiot, but alas, we're stuck with each other. Ferris jabbed a finger at Swar, who had his hand stuck in his glass mug. My existence unravels to the meaningless part of data strings every day here. Well, knit yourself some big boy pants and get a grip. Ma, here's a home and you're lucky to be here. Vera announced. Goblin cheered at this. New. Ma's voice came from the tunnel. Go and enjoy being her assistant. You have the funniest job around. Vera shooed off the box. I do enjoy seeing her make physics and rules cry. New pondered that as he vanished. Vera wondering where the beings that controlled her very existence had come so emotional. It was good look for Ma. Not so much for New. The pools of honey around the bee spire hive were quickly becoming like a pond of a hundred flavors. With every new flower or herb the delta grew, the bees seemed to figure out a way to convert them into sweet honey. Watching bees snoozing like giant puppies was like the bomb to delta's soul. Watching the other giant bees zoom past on energy root infusion was worrying. She looked around but didn't find any honey pool or delta blooms. Her bees were quiet enough without extra stingers or heads. Delta slowed and bit her lip. She was very tempted to give the bee some Fabio hair. The sight would be worth the potential world-destroying bee that she might create. Really, one little super bee would be no big deal, right? If the world could have Rudy and Quiz, surely Delta was allowed some scary things as well. 
She giggled at the thought and floated to the hot springs where Happy Rail and Giant were soaking in the streamy waters. Truly, this has been the great day for Frogkind. Your strength is a pleasure to test. Rail said cheerfully. Giant nodded slowly. I will win next time, was all he said. Luna moved about with her robes and delicate gestures. She offered drinks to the frogs and smiles as Giant submerged himself in shyness. They all looked up at once Delta approached. Rail stood merrily and Delta closed her eyes. Rail was humanoid enough that there were things that she didn't want to see. There was a smacking noise and a splash. Have some decency or you're bad. Luna chided at the submerged rail as he flailed before bowing her head to Delta. Heyo, Momo, she greeted. Her hostess attitude dropped to reveal her punk underneath. How goes it, Froggos? Delta waved back as she settled in on the edge of the female side. She felt her feet might be feeding some warmth. The mighty giant and the lord of the river, Rail, have clashed in the most wonderful tale. Her epic monster began before Luna cut him off. They hit each other until one of them fell down. It went on for ages, she summed up. Delta could see that happening. I think the roots and herbs that I've been growing should be the things that you need for your key duty. Delta told the elegantly dressed frog. This got her a huge gasp of excitement and some hopping from the female frog. Oh, is it a death bloom? Petal of a thousand bites, devil kiss. Oh, 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 the essence of a suffocating moon. Luna demanded with an unnaturally bright eyes. Delta long looked, made her chuckle nervously. Roots of nice hugs, she tried. Noom must have had a hand in your creation. Delta sighed good-naturedly, and she brought up the hot springs menu to see what was available. Hot springs, soak away your weary bones and money. Allow a supply of variable herbs and oils for customers. These range from smelling nice to having slightly increased muscle relaxant. 15 DP. Allow Luna to flash boil customers who attempt to harm other customers. 30 DP. Allow Luna to set ambient string melody with the aid of Maestro. 10 DP. Enable the use of a special mixture of dream root, energy root, tears of wine and rich royal honey to create a spiritual sap that, when burned, creates smoke that gives those who inhaled it a vision of self-discovery. Those who succeed will wake up with a key to the boss door. 30 DP. Add a jet bubble function. 15 DP. Allow Squee to sell hot spring tickets that opt customers out of monster trials and puts a limit on them moving up and down the floors. Violence will cause the ticket to crumble and summon an escort to bring them back to the exit. The escort will be the pygmies under Luna's control. 20 DP. Delta gave a long list a long stare. Some of those are... You know what? I'm just going to roll with it. Delta said aloud and her frogs all stared in silence. I need to inform you that the pygmies will be given a little ninja outfits when summoned. Not sure why Sos thought that you needed to know that. Newest confused box appeared. Delta purchased all of the things. She had DP for days and Luna deserved. Bubble jets and body lotions and just maybe some personal assassins. But Delta wasn't quite sure of the last one. There was a slight rumble on the stands and the various lotions and herbal mixtures appeared and even some bath bombs. Orange Tingle and Bee Knives, Maestro's Lullaby and Franz Courage were but a few of the named products. A little door was carved out of the nearby boulder with a sign above it that said, Employees Only. It was only big enough for the insects and pygmies to use. 
daughter was sure that she had been a good idea. Most of her ideas were good. Quee moved along the ceiling as more bundles of paper appeared. He sniffed at it and smiled. Nice. Auntie Muffet told him that he had a job now and she expected grandchildren within the next hundred years. He flipped his growing hair out of his eyes and grunted. Muffet gave a sharp somber spins to him and that translated into don't sass me young man. He gave a grunt shuffle which he knew came off as rude but he still went back to his nest and slammed the webbing shut. He put down the tickets and hoped that he would sell some soon. Having a job besides guarding would be fun. He looked up at the rough sketch of a dancing skeleton with a mushroom cap, something that he'd drawn himself. It was assigned by his hero, Maestro. He was going to become a star just like him. He hugged his web pillow close and he rolled around on his bed with the idea of them duetting before Mum and Delta to see. He giggled quietly as his face lit up in joy. It would be a dream come true. They came with the setting sun, six ships that descended into the bowels of the dungeon. Grim took the lead with a grim expression. Remember, death or glory, he said with a group. Bobby yawned. I gotta get back before curfew, she disagreed. Amster held a bone staff and frowned behind his rimmed glasses. I have agreed to no such silly deal. It'll be success or go home, he corrected. Gammy looked around before she glanced back at the tunnel where the girl waved cheerfully, promising to camp outside for her. Success and or friendship. Dio is here to rule with a golden heart. The air rippled and Grimm's eye twitched. He turned to the last member. Vass, any remarks? He asked through gritted teeth. I do not have a soul, per se, so death is mostly temporary until my master puts me back together. So I see no issue in your words, Vass said calmly. Grim turned to the dark tunnel ahead. Glory or friendship? He said with no energy. Team Holy Pot Hero or whatever was here. Grim supposed, if nothing else, he had a ranger to settle the score with. He licked his lips and his tongue tingled. End of chapter. There is no epic loot, only puns. Chapter 106. Delta, the Darkest Dungeon. Delta had a hand to her mouth, hiding her grin when no one could actually see her seem silly. But in her own mind, Delta just didn't like being rude. Her aspiring raiding party was here at last. To be honest, they were exactly what Delta needed before taking the rest of the silence. The reminder that good and light existed, the innocence of children, the reason why Delta had developed the way she had, and the budding potential of the life outside of the dungeon. Oh, and Grim was here as well. She wondered what to do as they talked about their strategy. She didn't listen, as that would be cheating, but she was happy to see Kemi still participating. The sight of Kemi and Dio together as friends made her giddy enough to float in a bliss for a few moments. New would be lurking on the lower floors, all through the challenge windows. It reminded Delta to create more challenges for the second floor. The group spread out and examined the signpost popped up by New. He had gotten uh, creative with his words recently. Getting is bad. If you need to learn morals from a dungeon sign, this won't end well. There are no traps in this dungeon, honest. Mushrooms are sacred, please praise them for better luck in this dungeon. Remember, there is no I in team, so have no original thought and pretend that you're a lemming. 
Yeah. New had only gotten more into his sign-making hobby over time. Delta wasn't sure that she would ever be happy that he, too, was getting part of her Earth knowledge. But she decided that it would make for some good inside jokes and enjoy it down the line. As usual, everyone dropped something more into the tribute balls. I drew you a picture of Rudy catching a dragon and then riding it right after its wing. It's called Harvey the Dragon, and Rudy loves him. Dio explained calmly as he placed the piece into the bowl. Delta was going to frame the damn thing above the bar. Gemi put in a few cupcakes. I bought these from the local cheese man. He's nice, and I think either his cheese may be reaching forbidden levels in the kingdom, or he may be highly wanted criminal who traumatized the king. Kemi explained, sounding more faint as she went on. Grim snorted. Haldi is just a harmless guy. He made me cheesecake when I got the ups, no, uh, too focused, on my training for my tenth birthday. Nice, but he always seemed like he was far away until recently. Grim said Kemi hummed as she thought about it. If this area was only just gotten mana back, powerful people would have faded to the shells of themselves faster than plain average folk. Haldi might have just been suffering from mana drain to keep the pressure off of everyone else and to give you kids enough to grow. She theorized as she smoothed down her cloudy robe. Haldi. Delta wondered if it was like Quiss and Davagost. Delta wouldn't mind meeting him at least. His cheese sounded magical. Kids, you're hardly more mature. You're hanging out with us. Grim reminded. Kemi blankly looked at the beaming Dio. Not of free will. I'm no hostage, but I'm too scared to leave in case I upset him, she mumbled. Lady, we're all here because of that, except Poppy. I think she actually likes him, Grim admitted. Amonster put in some holy water, Vass put in a vase, and Poppy finished by putting in a few old books. Grim eyed them for a few moments, sticking his tongue out, and Delta was surprised to see that it was a bright orange. She peered at it with a dungeon sight. Grim looked like mostly normal except for the tongue, which became filled with orange mana mixed in with his own. Symbols impossible to see with the human eye danced across Grim's tongue, and Delta got a headache just from looking at it. She had no doubt that a notification would have appeared if Sis hadn't turned the menus off to prevent infection via little brother's spores. Delta had been a core long enough to guess that she lacked understanding or close enough bonds with Grimm to fully understand the ruins on his tongue. Oh no, what a shame, Grimm is such a nice boy, Delta grunted out loud. At that time, Mushi appeared in the tunnel and pleased expression. On a guest, welcome, welcome. I see you are all eager to begin your harsh raid into the dungeons below. He rumbled as his moustache twitched. No one spoke, but Dio was nodding with excitement as Poppy repeated the words. It seemed that the boy had trouble reading Mushi's words without an actual mouth to read. That kind of sucked for Dio. Delta wanted to think of some way to help Mushi, noticed first. He began to move one hand in a series of rotations with subtle finger flicking. It was sign language, but some very mini version of it. Ah, right, the universal translator. If Dio had any signs with his parents, the dungeon would know it. Being a dungeon is kind of cheating in the most service-minded way possible, she mumbled. I wonder if we can communicate with the blind, deaf, and mute people with various mixes. Like if a blind, deaf, mute girl came in, would I just telepathically be connected to her, or would we soul speak? What are my limits? Nalta said as she eyed her own hands. 
I can pun in any language, and I can feign ignorance. I must abuse this, she said seriously. Before we begin, some ground rules, and then we can be on our way, yes? Mushy looked around pleasantly. Mother would like you all to only take the first floor today, and only spend some time on the second floor to adjust to the manor to make sure that there are no uh, incidents. Mushy eyed Grum, amused. Makes sense, even if I get sick if we go too deep too fast. Kemi said shyly. Delta wanted to pinch her cheeks at awe and cooing noises. Second rule, Mushy went on, ignoring the fuming Grum and smoking Amonster. The bar is a rest zone and not a combat zone. Waddles' room is empty for the moment, so you can also rest there if you wish. Mother would like to also say that my adorable little brother's room will also be a rest spot, but cannot be forced that one. I dare to say that it would be more healthy not to challenge Maestro. Mushi chuckled. Kemi turned her head. Maestro? Kemi echoed. Her eyes lit up for a moment. Was that the singing voice? she asked. And Dio nodded. He's so cool. He can make my mum want to sing, he boasted. He is also a mushroom creature like yourself, Amonster asked politely. Dio's smile faded a little. Well, you could say he's like Mr. Mushy, he deflected. Poppy hugged a book to her chest and Delta felt something odd from it, like a slight nagging tug. She was almost tempted to push them to Maestro, but she shouldn't be trying to traumatize kids. Mushy went on. All within the dungeon have been informed to use the least lust force as possible. He began, and Grim narrowed his eyes. You're treating us with kid gloves. I may need artifacts and tricks, but Dio is going to blow them away. He's as strong as he is sincere and annoying, Grim demanded. Amonster and Poppy looked at him blankly until he sighed. Poppy can either be scary or need a sled to get to her anywhere. An Amonster can call down holy wrath, but he's wasting his skill by raising mouse skeletons because he's gothic, or something. Grim said with a grunt, Oh, you're a necromancer, Gemi blinked at Amonster, who was decked from head to toe in black with skull rings on his hands. Is that going to be a problem with your deity? Amonster asked slowly instead of answering. Gemi shook her head. I'm a follower of truth, so long as you're honest about why you're using them or where you got the bones. I'm dandy. My goddess isn't like the light of God or life goddess who freaks out over such natural deaths being used. And the ground eats the flesh, the bones, and nature to soil, and the soul passes on. It is no more wicked than using a bone as a weapon or an organ transportation or being a funeral director, she beamed. Oh, that's cool. I was sort of expecting a fight with the priests when they started coming. Amister went pinky Kemi's words. She nodded as if sympathizing. Many will try to demonize you, but all you need to do is state that your power is with the dead isn't even religious. It's just advanced calciomancy. Or, if it's religious, it's covered by the Kingdom's Equal Worship Act of recent years, so long as the religion does not harm, devour, or enslave the living, or harm the soul in any way, then it's not be to be persecuted, Demi said with a smile. Oh, Dalton needed to show Amonster the circus if he likes skeletons. Religious sounds fun, but I cannot join one, Vass said suddenly as everyone looked at him. I have no soul, and make very poor follower, he said blandly. 
I am the last Alta if she can make you a soul. She makes everything in her own home feel like a person. Dio said cheerfully. Dalta added playing God and making soul to please Dio on her list of things to do. Indeed, Mother is quite talented at accidentally making wondrous things. You are free to fight at full power, but please do not kill where you can avoid it. We shall respawn, but it is unpleasant. For that matter, all contract monsters will stay out of the fight, as they are costly to resummon. Mushi went on. I'm not sure that I can fight you now that you've been so kind. Dungeons just sort of try to kill me, but this place is so nice. Gami said suddenly. Mushi chuckled more and more. I am to be your uh, bench, so to speak. If someone is injured or needs help, I shall carry your belongings and yourselves to the rest spot for first aid and treatment. I will not help you or fight or complete the puzzles, however, he told her kindly. This seemed to relieve some of the tension in the room, but then Grub stepped up to the mushroom man. I remember you. You sold pots and looked different. I... Listen, Grum looked down, jaw twitching as he fought to keep speaking. I'm sorry. I tried to stab you and insulted your art. I treated you like a dumb animal and not a person. I was a bit of a Grum first-timer. He said and slapped his mouth closed. Dio blinked and began to laugh with joy. Kemi was shocked at his words. Dalta. Dalta was bent over, slapping her knee. Grum, Grum, Grum first. She was howled at hoots and laughter. No, listen, that's my curse. It's really, how would you say it, a slip of the tongue. He protested and then looked furious at himself. Delta hooted even harder, despite the fact that she might have done this to Grimm. She actually found it a hilarious form of punishment for the little brat. Mushi leaned down to put a hand on Grimm's shoulder. I bear no ill will. I even found it very impressive on how far you managed to get with the cunning and skill. He praised. Grim took a long moment to answer. Well, 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 of course, I didn't plan for nothing. I just am glad that someone can appreciate it. He shook off Mushi's hand briskly. I always appreciate your ambushes, Dio said as he looked between Grim and Mushi. They never worked. You can't praise failure, Grim turned, waving his hands. I think that we should begin. Most of you have a curfew and I'm supposed to be chaperoning. Kemi spoke. Mushi bowed slightly and gestured to the dark tunnel, where the glow of moss on the ceiling was barely illuminating the past. Dio, you're in front, Costas in the back, and Poppy at the rear. She can use her physical powers to act as a temp tank. Grum spoke, voice turning deadly serious. Dio looked at him for a long time, his usual smile missing. I, front DPS warrior, am ready, and I will look for traps. Dio said with a serious nod. Grim stared at him for a long moment and then gulped grimly. Thank you, DPS, he said ever so quietly. Shame Dalta had absolute hearing in a dungeon as she wanted. They then took the first steps forward into the dark tunnel. The court was eager. The new game had been suggested to them by the great webmother. The mock war. It was so exciting to turn the fancy web wigs and instead be dressed and run around in crafted hooded web cloaks and sharpened little rocks that they had convinced themselves were deadly assassin knives. The dungeon was also an exciting place, but the court was rarely so involved. Given that they would attack and try to take down the invaders with their blunted weapons and light whites, 
It was something that they had to make plans for. The first important thing was their name. They couldn't be royal court of these uniforms. They had totally the wrong regalia for such a task. They were the shadows, the fangs of the night. They were the string that noosed the evil of the world. And no secrets could escape their eight eyes. They were the fantastic agency of notorious grandeur spiders. They all made excited dances at the declaration, since they were now a democracy in the guise. Votes for all. Dio easily dodged the pop-out sign that had grown used to its many attempts. Grim glared at it before striding forward, and his head thunked against the sign that popped out of the ceiling. Confidence leads to arrogance, it read. Dio liked knew. He had a funny sense of humor. Turning the corner, with Grim having waving his hands frantically in front of him to ward off any more funny signs. They came to an eerie sight of the room ahead of them, covered in lines of webs. The usual open passage was now a maze of sticky web once more. Don't set it on fire, Kimmy shouted in a hurried warning. Poppy eyed the passage. Could make it easier if we were supposed to be trying. She looked at him a little more alive, but kept her voice blank. Amonster frowned as he held a hand out. I'm getting something. It feels really weird, like the room is all connected by a life pond. Like if they share health or a trap trigger. I don't know. He opened his eyes. Dio liked that about Amonster. He could detect cool living things by trying. And when they went looking for bugs or homework subjects, Amonster could always sense them so easily. It was actually how they became friends. Amonster said that he found Dio blocked out the light by being a light of his own. Dio had always taken this as a compliment. If you burn the spiders down, a boss emerges and it has a puppet-like powers over everyone. Kemi said to them, Amonster nodded slowly. Sounds close to what I felt. You fought against the boss. The boy asked, looking at Kemi impressed. The girl went pink and fiddled with her earmuffs. Not exactly. We got punished and moved on, she answered finally. Grim approached the hall and a blue box appeared. Dio smiled at it. It was so cool to see Delta's dungeon doing awesome things. It listed the No Touching the Web Challenge. It was available, but if they wished for a legitimate challenge as requested, then to ignore the web challenge to try to conquer the room, as adventurers with a sword sized too big and a brain sized too small would do. We'll cut the web from the front door, take down or deflect the threats. But don't rush in spiders are masters of their own domain. Grim said, Dio nodded while Kemi just gave him an odd look. You know that I'm a venturer, right? She reminded. Grim actually did wince a little, but he swung his sword down onto the first layer of webs. Some snapped, some frayed, some clung to the sword. But the entire room vibrated like a fantastical piece of music. The room-sized harp. They waited for Amster peered in. I don't see any response, he began, but the little spider, wearing a long, flowing cloak of web, latched onto his face and a cape of red thread, sewn into a spell something. The Crimson Tea Stealer! Dio stared in glee, his eyes glittering at the sight of the ninja spider. It scuttled around Poppy and aimed her book which actually talked in a warning not to use it as a weapon, and it smashed at the spider. The thing was quick, and all Amster saw was a heavy book flying towards him. There 
was a loud crack as Amster's nose was bent crooked. The spider fled back into the room, carrying one of Amster's eyelashes. The death user stared up, eyes narrowed as he flicked his hands over his face. Dio knew noses didn't have a bone, but he watched as he corrected itself with another sharp crack. I suggest we smoke them out. It isn't fire, Amster said ever so calmly, still laying on the floor. Do you know peace spells? Cammy asked curiously. Poppy was holding a furious book at arm's length and went on about powerful spells and souls sold to him for a moment of this time as Amister stood up. My dad is a saint. I was born sneezing blessings and causing my toes to ward off evil. He explained and Grim stared. Why aren't you in a mass of pain? He demanded. Amister looked right at him. The pain in the back of my soul is beyond measure. Here, mortal wounds are lost on me. Dio thought about it and then smiled. Gravely, he had to tell Delta that one later. He also knows how to use necromancy to deaden the nerves of small time. He's just cheating, Poppy told them bluntly. Poppy, stop ruining my goth. Yeah. We'd be ready if it wasn't for the creepy kid, Zane complained. Her hull merely chewed on the dark root. Her eyes glazed over as she walked eyeing the another village in the distance so unaware of the dangerous nights passing so close. We can't all be born monsters. He's gotten much faster. The woman disagreed. They looked behind them at the ball trailing limp bloody leg, which was mending before their eyes. Even healing faster. I told you that leaving that monster alive for him to fight was good practice. Perhal giggled. Al's face was blank as always, and his eyes blazed at them. You have gained regen level 10. You've absorbed monster essence into the system core. You have 10,459. He ignored the rest. It didn't matter. It was getting so damn hard to get stronger. Why was the only decent quest of some backwater hick village? He glared at the lush green monsters. Too strong for him to grind fast. He almost threw out a glinting sword and bounced orange slime to feel stronger then something else, but refrained since it would all make him seem childish. It eyed him from the longest moment and the system could have judged the vague danger threats that gave him a simple message. Death. Alpha moved on as fast as his sprint would allow, even overtaking the two royal guards. Now that's what I'm talking about. Zane roared and began to run. Oh, bother. It was such a nice day, Perhal sighed. Mule bounced happily along. He had thought that if he felt out and the cold red aura of the weakling was lacking. It had no warmth or kindness. It was a human operating on a gutted dungeon system. Sad. Ah, well, he'd find Delta eventually after he went to Yell the dungeon. The quest for the fluffy things must be done. Delta's good mood depended on it. End of chapter there is no epic lucha, only puns. Chapter 107. Love. Troublesome invaders. The mighty, godlike core knew she would have to make sure that these mortal children learned the meaning of fear and darkness. Her monsters stood steady, fierce and focused, only on the destruction. Her deadly traps had been so hidden that even the core knew that she would struggle to find them her obstacles so designed to crush all hopes and dreams. This dungeon was deserving of the fearsome reputation that it had gained. 
Soul Taker, Light Taker, the true evil made solid, making unending of full madness. This dungeon was known far and wide as a really nice dungeon, Dio said as he prepared for the second assault. Delta blew out a sigh before she chuckled. Yeah, she was no good at the whole raw, hear Delta raw crap. The group watched as Aminster clapped his hands on little five-mouth skeletons and flowed from the sleeve to rush into the room. Instantly, two of them were tackled by hood-wearing spiders. Go, Grim said, and Kemi tapped Dio once, infusing him with a glowing order. Truth will set you free, she declared. I like all the colors. Pie is delicious. All days are equally good, as long as you're having fun, Dio said as he ran and the webs tried to catch him, but the glow pulsed as Dio kept chanting. The thread simply slid off of his form and fell to the floor, uselessly. Delta stared. Fudge! Kemi working on Dio made her truth powers too up. He tapped into the two spiders that were struggling with the mouse skeleton. Dio destiny, touch! You're dead, but not really, he jeered, as both spiders immediately rolled up and curled up in their legs. Dio didn't actually have to prove his physical powers. It wasn't like her spiders were as hard as rocks. They were still squishy, so it was fair for them being able to touch them was a considered a kill. And he was jumped by a spider that dived into his loose shirt collar. The boy instantly began to contort and peel off in laughter. DPS is being CC'd, Grim yelled in a panic. Poppy held up her talking book and looking ready to do her duty. I swear to the ancient faceless beings that made my pages, if you use me to swat bugs, I will, I will, I will tell your history of socks. The book cried in alarm. It reminded Delta of new stuffy and easily upset. The third floor, New paused as his efforts to plot the potential medical wing of the empty laboratory space. He sensed uh, Delta was sassing him. What cheek? He'd have to pop out of nowhere and scare her. The sealed doors that led deeper shook a little. It seemed that they were picking up the pace on their side. It was nothing worth actually being worried about, not something that he would want to ruin Delta's wing with. She was so happy with Dio and his friends that everyone in the dungeon was getting a little Delta high. Happiness had pleased feelings that just came out and went. It was like the seasonal happiness, no known cure. He turned to the gargoyles, who had supplied the doctor with several rare herbs from the second floor. The keen mind, with a hint of madness, went to work, seeing what he could develop as a post of error. The borrower. Without a proper lab, it would be limited, but as with all things, New knew that new upgrades blew the resource supply. But if Farrah could brew, and Divina was able to voodoo, then Doctor could always develop ways to cure the flu. It was just a matter of waiting for the other shoe to drop. It would cure the flu, but New knew that it would also be able to use the stew or cause a drink of Tumu. He should be annoyed, honestly. It was fast becoming a fair trade-off. Insane power, odd side effects. He watched as something exploded in the swirling darkness. That caused the doctor to be thrown across the room. New had only given the monster some delta blooms and spa water. There was only two spiders left, and the room was devoid of webbing, and Kemi couldn't see the white spider Muffet anywhere. The two hooded spiders stood against the group, looking ready for a fight. Surrender and let us pass, Grim said seriously. They didn't back down. You guys kind of swish in one hit. 
Dio sat on one side of you, and that was it, Amundsen pointed out. Dio was looking distraught that Kemi had to hold him close with one arm. The poor boy felt truly terrible about the act. They all knew logically that the spiders were immortal, in a sense, but Dio didn't seem to see that as a very acceptable reason to not feel bad. Your powers alone are too weak, Gromomus cackled. The boy was getting some serious enjoyment out of these, uh, revenge. Kemi could almost feel the walls of Delta glaring down at the boy. She hadn't known the dungeon was even able to dislike someone. The spiders shared a look before they hopped back into the cane some space. Kemi stared, not sure what they were planning to do. Were they going to end themselves and bring Miss Muffet? Kemi hoped not. They were rather cute with their hoods, and it seemed a shame that they would vanish, even if Miss Muffet was sweet and gave Kemi her earmuffs. Both spiders raised their single leg in the opposite directions, facing them with steely eyes. They moved in a slight dance towards each other, their legs moving overhead. What are they doing? Grum said, voice almost afraid. The spiders were within touching distance, and they snapped their two legs back out before they had the tips meet each other in perfect mirror of each other. There was a brief pause before the spider on the left hopped, flipping and landing upside down on the other, both spiders interlocking two legs with each other. The new combo had legs in every direction. The spiders pushed off of the ground with enough force to rocket to the ceiling, but with a new form it didn't have much turn to catch themselves. They landed with a perfect crouch before pushing off again in an angled direction. Kemi turned to follow, but barely caught a blur as it rocketed off again. She spun and lost sight of the spiders. Grim gave a startled scream as he was shot past multiple times. A cocoon of waves rapidly forming around him. Poppy reached out with a clawed hand and looked like it belonged in the deep purple skelt creature. Grim fell, freed. The spider combo flew towards her and she opened a book in a flash, her eyes glowing under the hood. The spiders, unable to stop the trajectory, landed in the middle of the book. Don't you dare! There was a crunch. The webs on the ceiling fluttered, and Kemi looked up slowly. She's here, she whispered in a sudden silence. Not even a special deal. My Rudy was right to call on me. The tall man mused. His body was so thin and the suit looked literally sharp. His head was covered in a large mess of curly black hair. His speech was muffled by a dazzling pink scarf that hid most of his face. He completed the ensemble with the pitch black sunglasses that were designed for creatures with eyes much bigger than a person of happy size should be wearing. He leaned in as his gloved hands together to peer at the items. Hob thought he was a bit weird for a human, but then again, the man was a skeleton pretending to be a human, so maybe Hob didn't know what was weird for this town. Why are you a skinny? Gob peered. Happy laughed loudly. Oh no, my spinach-colored friends, I am very happy, a business manager of several notable companies. He promised and a twig went astray, but Happy fixed it. N not, not breathing? Gob pushed. I am holding my breath in excitement. No eyes behind glasses. They're off busy looking for some good deals. No skin? Losing money is no skin off my nose. No nose. Hob stated with hands up in the air. Happy thought about it. Sticking it where it didn't belong has gotten me into trouble before, so I had to let it go. He admitted cheerfully. Oh, that made sense. 
Gob guessed that the man knew what he was doing then. Glad to see that the suit is still sharp, even after all your jokes aren't. The man sniffed had they appeared next to him. Ah, Smalls, your clothes always make me feel like I'm in the life of the party, he said, shaking the man's hand. The well-dressed man glared. Goblins, don't be fooled, this uh, person has developed many successful businesses. He funds and is the owner of most adventurer branches, funds many top-notch parties, runs a catering company for vampires, ants and bandits, and was the tri-founder of the Fair Play before he sold his shares. Smalls crossed his arms. Hob didn't know any of those words, but it seemed very impressive. Happy shrugged. I have a taste for making something out of the barebones idea. Call it an itch I love to scratch. The man's voice turned almost husky. Yes, yes. You founded kings and owned seas, bravo. You still annoy the living daylights out of most everyone. Small snapped and turned to the god. I didn't own seas. Most of them fall of the edge of the world, and my heart would sink at the loss of profits. Happy sighed dramatically. We gotta make profits for Delta, Gob said and happy hummed. Seers would be an odd currency, but I could see if I could predict the positive outcomes of such a business. Heavy went quiet, Smalls and Hob shared a look. There was a connection between them, of suffering and headaches. Let's get a stock count, then we'll work on the values of human traffic varieties. Smalls said, looking like he would rather be somewhere else, but the sight of their business hurt him in some way. Oh, this reminds me of the business I once ran that sold swords, but each piece came separate. I thought it was a fun mix-and-match deal. But no one seemed to come back, and because trying to defend yourself with a sword guard didn't seem to be working. I did have tickled my funny bone, so it was worth it, Happy announced. Hob had no idea how this non-skiddy man was so good at making money. It seemed to waste it on amusement. Wouldn't he need lots of money or treasures to waste if he could do that? Was Muffet too much for the first room? Delta didn't think so, at first, but watching the party being moved around like dolls and strings crashing into walls at each other was interesting. Dio and Gabby were mostly contained in a simple swing, but Grum was spun, twisted and slammed, dropped, crashed into the walls that lifted more than Delta assumed was necessary. Amister began to rot the wobbling and sickly green aura, and Poppy just seemed to begin to become too hot to actually web, so it wasn't like Muffet's powers was unbeatable. Muffet landed in a fully-powered spider-geist form. She was strong, even in physical measures, so she easily swept Amnester off his feet, vanishing before Poppy could crash down a steel-covered foot. Dio flexed and stretched, freeing himself to help. Gammy was the one who looked the most uncertain. Delta's heart fell for the girl. She and Muffet had gotten along famously. Finally, she began to grant some shields that repulsed Muffet when she tried to land on someone. Grim rolled and got one of Muffet's legs with a swing of his sword. Dio went in with his own blade, but the swing was so off-target that he got stuck in the wall. Muffet limped and Delta checked on her. A bit worried. Muffet was in no real pain, while her monsters had basic sensations and the ability to feel a form of pain. It was mostly a guidance thing. Her monsters never felt anything beyond a dull pinch or an ache, physically. Except when other monsters of Delta did the damage. Then, 
It was like they shook the very dungeon manor in the form of making the pain lifelike. Delta was glad because she wasn't sure that she could do this pain was a thing. The only exception she had ever found was Fran and her contracts. Contracts because they were creatures once and Fran because... Delta guessed it was because Fran himself wanted to be fair. Then again, Muffet didn't have to reveal herself and her puppet strings could easily become nooses if she really was so inclined. Muffet was making large obvious movements and letting her camouflage flicker at random moments. She was even coming down from the ceiling to allow Grum and Dio to get close. If someone did come with the intent of trying to kill her or enjoy the monster's suffering, Delta was confident that they would find it tougher than expected. Maybe she could offer customized difficulty runs. Easy, no side bonuses and minor threat normal, random chance of some events and room guardians, even if they don't go all out. Then hard. Delta tried not to think about hard. What Muffet was doing, Delta didn't have to tell her to do. She was slowly making Kimmy keep up with her webs and the slight leg scratches that she inflicted on the others. A few times, she made a charge at Kemi, and the girl was slowly becoming more likely to strike back or use a barrier than bounced Muffet back. Delta pretended not to notice that Muffet dramatically rolled when she bounced off Kemi, as if showing the others that Kemi's power was stronger than it seemed. Muffet shouldn't be playing favorites, but Delta wasn't going to stop her. It would be so hypocritical of her. Eventually, Muffet went down, letting Dio's blade sink in, making her form explode into orange manner. The orange dust began to swirl and Delta raised an eyebrow, as she felt Muffet's loose soul weaving the manner together in her own. A single item fell after Muffet was done. A web cloak that was human-sized, on the back it said, I beat Muffet and all I got was this cloak. There was a beat. There's loot in this dungeon. Kemi said confused. I thought it was only puns, Grum muttered, and he looked utterly confused. I don't even get the joke, he yelled with his own tongue. We should go alphabetically in order so that we can get a fair turn and won't fight. Unless it's something really important, then you can see the need vote. Dio beamed at his group. Screw fair. I got dice and whoever rolls the highest gets it, Grum snuffed. But he put into his pockets and rolled them, and froze midair. Even Delta was surprised. Kemi's eyes glowed. Faulty dice is dishonest, she said, and Grum blinked. They're my ancestors' lucky dice. Who always won with them. He trailed off and then went red. Oh, okay. Those are getting burned, he sighed. Delta felt bad. Kemi smiled softly. Don't worry. Mighty Dungeon Delta, we request a fair and just dice. She called, Delta looked at her, and out of bafflement. Uh, Kemi, I'm not sure what you... She began, and then began to feel like something was stuck in her nose. The dungeon shook, just a little. An orange manor circled in the room, rapidly forming into an object. Delta sneezed, and there was a flash. That's not dice. Aminster pointed out, and the floating screen was all their names. The word flashed. Combat rating. Kemi began to grow in a soft golden bar, which outpaced the rest. Dio was red, Aminster was a pale green, and Poppy was purple. Grim was an orangey-brown. Grim's bar was the smallest. Another word appeared, teamwork. 
Chemist rose higher as did Theo. More words flashed and Delta stared. She had a perfectly logical and controlled system function as a random loot roller, and her normally safe and stable monster creation and upgrades were random instead. As the ratings flashed on, Grim did outpace Poppy and the system rated for the total effort given, and then Amonster the system judged on the total potential used. Grim nearly matched Dio. The board flashed and turned to a familiar blue. Dio, your big heart is the only outsized by the headache you give. Poppy, I swear you make entropy look active. Amonster, do something exciting for once, I keep forgetting your name. Grimoire, have a snicker. You do good for someone whose name sounds like a mountain far away. Kemi wins the loot review. Any complaint should be given to the nearest menu that cares. Hint, it's not this one. Delta gaped. Your name is Helen Kemia. Amonster asked the girl and looked pained. Call me Kemi. She whispered. It's a nice name, Dio said excitedly as the cloak floated to Kemi. Grim was looking at her with wide eyes. He looked upset. Why are you called Curse on Our Love? He said, and the room went quiet. Dart frowned, and the word translated slowly now that she focused on the board. The word was from the odd language that put in the end of the meaning in the middle, and the word of the phrase with the details following. Hell, of course, a, and there was close to an on, but the translation wasn't perfect. It could be used in several ways to show ownership or direction of the subject, so is on and our depending on where it was used. Kemi was love. So, Kemi was love. Holy crap. Delta could translate things really well, so could Grimm. His tongue must be a conduit for the translation powers that Grimm learned. Shame that he hadn't borrowed Delta's tact. Because those who are in the Monastery of Truth are never lied to, I was given up because of an arranged marriage. My birth parents needed to present a firstborn male to command the family line. Without one, they would be seen as shameful. I was shameful. So they named me in the ancient tongue of the truth god and left me for the worshippers. There was nothing more to it, but having been named, the followers of my home could never lie to me and say that it wasn't my name. They didn't mean to be cruel, hence why they called me Kemi. She said quietly, What? Why is that so important? Amister blinked, and Delta listened. It's like you and your dad. Strong blood carries on power. Those well-powerful or gifted parents often produce stronger children. A daughter meant that I'd be married off, and they would lose me to another family, or maybe a small connection or a piece of land. Not worth it when the dungeons are the most fertile way of making money, Cammy explained as she wrapped her cloak around herself. The thing was flowing with her white cloud robe. Powerful people, children, passing on strength. Oh God, Delta understood. These families were trying to grow their spores by breeding with other strong people. The thing that the siblings were trying to fix. And also, ew, curse on their love. How about the blessing on the horrible souls? Kemi's bio-parents were getting a strongly worded letter once Data exploded reality and let the mushrooms become all and one. Also, Data focused on Kemi and saw that while the girl glowed and truthfully goddess and a strong kind vibes, in her song there was a firm pulsating black spore. Every second her orange mana flowed into it and took such an amount that a nanobot would have to squint to see it. That was going to take forever to remove. 
Delta tried to urge Domena, but she was told the system was locked due to the people being in the dungeon. Hmm. She knew the lost siblings made most life on the wall, and hence why everything had a piece. People more than anything. So how could she go about scraping it off of people like she liked? Her mind was wandering in the orange wall that she had recently gotten. Delta knew that getting fresh mountain air was good for you, so maybe injecting it right into one's soul would work even better. She had to get Kemi down to the third floor, if her body could stand it. Delta paused. Groom and the others lacked mana and thus got overdosed. But why did all people struggle? What if the spores grew stronger and let them fight off the invasive mana trying to remove the spore? Could it be letting the dungeon mana damage the spore before going back outside to recover to let it regenerate and grow stronger? Was, was that why dungeons developed lower and lower floors to keep people inside longer? To develop stronger mana and longer duration to get their spores? Was that why people hit the apex or the prime of their power? Delta was having a slight panic attack. Wait, she had an idea. She would just keep doing what she was doing, like a Vegas casino with no clocks or windows. Delta would make them stay longer, because she wasn't kidding them, just emptying the evil god wallets, so to speak. She went to speak with a quiet mushy who lingered in the tunnel and only then noticed that Vass hadn't taken part and but instead was delightfully sharing pottery tips with a regal mushroom. Delta stared for a long moment. Vass, she'd completely forgotten about him. The golem had been too busy being as still as a tree or a statue. Speaking softly to Mushi, she cleared her throat and Mushi repeated her words to the group. Nalta says that there is a free lunch for you all in the bar. Please remember to hydrate and feast for an hour before moving on, Mushi announced. It was time to show the lost brother what a real sport was. End of chapter. Chapter 108 how far will he go? The first major choice in the dungeon of Delta was not a good or bad, or to kill, or to play along, or to even decide to see if the rumors were really true about the oddness of this place. The first major choice of all people ended up facing, provided that they got to the spider room, was a simple idea, but devastating in outcome. The choice was left or right. Mushroom forest or singing nightmare? Grim weighed up their options. How about the pond we can play? Hammondster offered, to which Theo rushed on with a fishing pole extended from his tiny hand. I shall feed us while you plan. Brains need smart fish food. He said, basically deciding for the group. It wasn't like anyone could say no now that he was looking away. It's that duck inside. Grim grimaced. Kemi frowned. Mr. Duck, he's very nice, but I don't think he's home. Kemi said sadly, Poppy, looking around. Looks a bit different than the last time I was here, she mused, pulling out her hood tight. The talking book was still making some sobbing noises. Spider guts, spider guts, all over my famous incantation for Moonlight Stag summon spell. At this rate, one is more likely to summon a Moonlighting Stag to the party. He whimpered, it'll come out once we leave the dungeon, Poppy. Where did you get that talking book? Is it magical? Grim asked. Voice interested Poppy gave him a withering glare. You're not allowed to hold Tom. I remember you eating the Manti and Manticore picture book. Yeah. Poppy never forgets, she said. We were five. 
Besides, I thought it was going to let me turn into a manticore. Grim said with a sigh, Eat me, and I'll use your blood to form a new spell called Banish Brithering Buffoon under the light of the red moon. You know, it's deadly if it rhymes. Tom the book warned darkly. But how do we sit and plan? Dio was already working. Amonster offered. Vass hummed as he went to sit next to Dio and to watch him work as a flash of silver rippled near the surface of the pond. A large golden fish taunted Dio from the far side of the beach to the surface. Dio gave a large yank and a large rock flew out of the pond, landing behind him. Dio just cast the line again cheerfully. I'll get you, he laughed at the teasing fish who seemed to be excited as Dio at the prospect of fishing. Kemi waited until Grum pulled out his map. Very good detail. You have a hand for cartography, she said, impressed at the detail and the notes made by Grum. The boy just blinked, looking confused. It's just a basic map with ideas and potential areas for change. Most maps are good for dungeons, but Dalta's dungeon changes in ways I'm not sure anyone can predict. The spiders have uh, five to eight gimmicks alone for the first room. That's insane, Grim shrugged. You haven't met the dungeon map makers. Fair play enchant their maps to auto-feed information back to the key map. And so, if people discover new areas, it's really forcibly given to the company. By the time people have enough confidence to make their own, and the lucky hidden rooms found by the greenhorns are taken away. And official makers sell portions for single-form maps that have an expiry seals. Some are downright basic unless you pay a premium for a map that shows traps and secret passages. This is all even if the makers put enough effort into more than just squiggles. If people come here, don't be afraid to market your skills. Even I can see that your drawings are really good, and they take notes are very easy to understand. Kemi smiled. Grim still looked baffled. Why would I force people to pay to look at my maps? Sure, for Dalta it's fine, but any other dungeon is dangerous. I could just be sending people to die, because I tried to make a few coins by haggling and showing them where the traps are. Dungeons are stupidly dangerous, Grim protested, outraged. He huffed once. It's uh, not what adventuring is about. It's a rare items and glory. I can't do that if my maps are soaked in blood, he said with a mutter. He shot Dio, look the boy, still having his back turned to them. That's not what we promised and I don't want to betray promises. Now, do we want to try the secret passage facing the demon mouse or do you want to go into the forest via the mudroom? He said, his tone making sure that the subject was changed. There was a pause before the all began to blot. In the dark tunnel, a golden fish was having the time of its life as it gently lured the human boy's hook down into the space. The hook was so blunt and capped with a weird spongy thing that it would never catch anything. The fish wasn't sure that the boy knew how to fish. Really, it was a bit cute. It gently let the hook be pulled through the tunnel. It reached the surface not far away, then it had to flop a little to get the hook into place. Being a dungeon creature, breathing was possible in both land and water. But it was a creature, so it mentally counted to 30 before it would play dead. Still, it was enough time to get the hook set in place and tug slightly. The line began to reel in and the fish followed with glee. So it's settled, we'll try the challenge and secret boss. Grum announced, Dio was grunting as he yanked hard on the fishing pole. Something was resisting even with his enhanced strength. 
with a mighty explosion in the water, a giant purple clam soared out into the pond and landed a distance away. That wasn't in the lake, Vast stood up curiously. Dio puffed and panted as he cheered. I clam this treasure, he hooted. Kimmy gave him a small giggle at the joke. The clam slowly opened itself to reveal the... Grim made a small noise. Is that loot? Amster blinked. Piles of coins, small gems hardened amber, some fancy-looking piles of water crystals, and some hunks of metal, and a string of poles glimmered at them. I'm a happy as a clam, Grim sniffed and ran over. Gemi raised her hand, but Amster put it down for her. Sometimes you have to let nature take its course, he soothed, and one of his eyes pulsing a sickly green for a moment as he shook his head at the glam. I feel the kinship to this thing. It holds value inside. Its outside is deceptively a normal thing. It has become a chest of the sea. I feel pride in my fellow container. Vast bowed in restraint. Grim can have it. I'll get a fish. Grim didn't have anything to eat before coming down since he was so excited. Dio smiled and turned away. Grim looked in the coins that had hard look. Smiling at the crystals, he saw a big ruby but at the back and he leaned in to pick it up. Then the clam snapped down, eating Grum as the boy's legs began to kick wildly in panic in the air. His voice went so high-pitched that Poppy snorted. I dare say I know a clam opening spell, but unusually it is reserved for fancy parties and oysters. I doubt it'll work on this clam since they seems to have swallowed a pest. Tom said dryly, Kemi stood up with a chiding look. We must rescue our teammates immediately, not just when we feel like it. She reminded them and went over to the clam, unsure what to do for a moment. Mr. Clam, may I have him back, she asked. The clam shell shook, making Grum say something bitter, left unmuffled. Kemi thought about it before she saw the two googly fake eyes on top with rattling comedy. Is he worth this? She tried, holding out a coin. The clam shook again. Kemi doubled her offer. The clam visibly began to vibrate, but still shook in disagreement. Kemi went for the kill and pulled out a third coin. The clam spat Grim out like a nasty snack and a long tongue extended to eat the eager motions. Like a weird dog of sort, Kemi paid the price for Grim, which she thought was rather cheap. The clam swallowed the coins, the tongue rolling back like a carpet, and then it shook as if mixing them with its treasure. After a moment, a slip appeared between the two and pressed shells, and Kemi pulled it out with confusion to read it. Fortress pass for one, she read. Grim was staring at the ceiling, looking covered in a thin layer of clam slime. He also held a pass. One free drink at Ferris Bar, he croaked. What a treasure, Amonster said to Poppy, who hid a smile. There were splashes as Dio gave a cry as all of the fish in the pond. Besides, the gold and silver fish somehow got tangled in his line at once. I did it, he said to Grim. Why is it always me, Grim asked no one. I am to tell you, young man, that the clam slime has a high use in alchemy. Also, the pass is for any one drink, not just a common drink. You may think on its value later. Mushy helped Grim to his feet. Any recommendations, Grim asked with a raised eyebrow. Try the Delta surprise shot. I heard the results can be hairy, but interesting. Mushy smiled kindly by twitching his moustache. 
What are these passes for? My team never made it past the Grove Place, Cammy asked. To get a rest and a drink, one was first past the goblins, and even playing lightly, goblins do not play nice. Mushley warned and pointed to her pass. These are passes which show you accepted the goblins' mercy and they'll let you pass, he added. How bad can the goblin room be? Poppy mused, Grim turned to her, face serious. Deadly, there's three of them, and one. Blee, Grim said with a fierce expression. New enemy, Poppy asked, almost expecting the answer. No, not exactly. He's a goblin who uses tools and special arrows. He was good. I want to see if I can take him on one day when I get my own gear going, Grim mused. Billy has, uh, how should we say, gotten a makeover. You might find him to be a challenge, more so than normal, Mushi warned before he covered his face. Ah, I shouldn't have said that I'm letting things slip he grumbled, and then he winked at Grimm. I have a feeling that he is looking forward to your return as well. He's said to be a more serious young man. Poppy, Hammonster, you take Swad, Dio, and Vaz can take Num, and me and Kemi will get Billy. Grimm looked around, seeing that there was any objections. A pass, Kemi reminded. Besides, have you gotten the memo? There's like three different ways to do everything in this place that don't involve fighting. You gotta adapt. Amister said as Dio handed him a cooked fish from the campfire as he started. Grum, I bet you can outsmart the goblins and they won't even know it. You're the smartest guy round. Dio said no hint of doubt. Grum stared at him before he swallowed audibly and looked away sharply. Yet, I keep messing up. So, it's not worth much, he said frustrated, and Dio actually frowned. The redhead walked over and gently turned Grimm's head so that he was looking at him. No hiding your words. You've been further than anyone here. I... He cleared his throat and everyone went still as Dio spoke, as softly as he could. I believe in you. You never looked down on me or thought that I was uh, stupid. That's why you'll get us through. Even when the other kids were scared of me, you weren't because you said my strength was like that of a hero. So that makes you a hero to see heroes. I have no fear. Dio grinned and Grum blinked once, very slowly. You almost went ten seconds without yelling. I guess if you can do that, then I can get us through this dungeon, Grim snorted, and gently pushed Dio's hand off of his shoulder. Stop touching me. You got fish slime on your hands and I'm already clammy. He huffed and he eyed the fish. Bah, dumb fish, he grumbled. The mudroom honestly hadn't changed too much besides the fact that the platforms had seemed to have shifted position, making what Grimm knew to be correct path from before look wrong. He simply went back, got a few rocks from the pond room, and threw them to see which shook and which didn't. He went first to make sure that nothing was going to appear. As he touched the first one and waited to observe the room, slow-moving poles emerged from the wall on both sides of the mudroom, blunt poles intent on pushing him off of the platform. He jumped to the next one and the poles froze for a moment before it continuing. Grim continued to the one side and the poles sank back into the wall. Honestly, it was the least dangerous thing in Delta's dungeon so far. Grim had a feeling that it wouldn't stay in that way for much longer. When his group joined him, after having to stop Vass from diving into the mud in curiosity, they waited at their new challenge, the Mushroom Forest. Kemi whispered, her voice was tinged with something odd. 
Grim gave her a look as she spotted around. Kemi smiled weakly. It's fine. Last time we messed up here and caused more damage than was acceptable. She bowed her head. Grim wanted to ask for details. He held his tongue. Why are you hiding your tongue? Poppy asked, sounding like the answer wasn't something that she actually wanted to know. Grim blinked as his own fingers were holding his orange tongue. He released it slowly. A bad joke, he said between his gritted teeth. Dio and Grim took the lead, but before they got too far, pop-up menu appeared. Grim watched it appear and wondered how useful something like that would be for himself. Something to tell him how skilled he was or his vital strengths. It would be like a secretary on magic steroids. Hello, darklings! The screen was dark blue and it wasn't static. It moved slightly side to side. Didn't some of the challenge boxes act oddly last time? Grim struggled to remember thematically. Hello! Dio said back calmly. Kemi bowed as Poppy merely nodded. Amster didn't move as Vaz was hugging some large mushroom stalk. Tom, the weirdo book, began to flap. Excuse me, a dungeon should not be able to communicate with so few levels. This could be a trap. Poppy, burn it! The book sniffed with disdain. The box turned to it. A talking book is even weirder. Do not throw stones in your glass manner. Besides, you know nothing about this dungeon or Delta. A shame. I would love to learn what you do know. But I fear that we really don't accept junk tributes that epic can be helped. Grim held back his comment, enjoying the sound of the rude book spluttering at the offended manner. How dare you, you insolent piece of programming. I know things that would make your snooty little screen corners curl. A shabby thing like you could never hold up to my paper. Mana screens, pah! Nothing will replace the power of paper. Tom shot back. The sound of the obsolete is so sad. Imagine having to be carried from room to room by hands to be of use. Imagine needing to use someone turn your pages for information. I dare say I've never been so something so uh, quaint. Grim wasn't sure whether the pride of waving had come from, but both the book and the screen were now up in arms. Well, as best as they could since they had none. Ah, uh, we're here on an adventure, Cammy called out softly. Both Tom and the screen turned to Cammy. Right. Of course, this is beneath me, Tom huffed. Dio looked a little lost. He was expecting because while the screen had words, Tom did not have such means of talking. He was all sounds. Grim would tell him the words later. He knew Dio would never ask himself in fear of being a pain, which was in itself a pain. But Grim had gotten used to Dio, always happy to help, slow to be helped. It was annoying. Right, so this is a challenge I added myself. I am new, the trap master, darkness of the dungeon, hater of puns, the blue to orange, the calm to the chaos, the sign maker. What's the challenge? I thought beforehand, and the challenges were to be ignored for the sake of the pure run, Amister asked lightly. The challenges they were about avoiding fighting were to be ignored. This one is not like that. Should you choose to accept it, an enemy will be allowed to access this grove to add a flavor of the challenge. A new window appeared. Bow to the arrow, a stalker amongst the shadows will appear and pepper you with traps and tricks to slow you down. Pin the shadowy trickster down and earn an extra reward. Grim's eyes went wide. Arrow, could it be? Same rules against no lethal stuff or... Amister went on, Grim's heart began to beat faster. 
Of course, but safe doesn't mean painless. After all, people do study things for a thrill. Amster looked around. Grim could see him weighing up everyone's opinions. Last time we were here, we kind of got chased by spiders, so it was a bit chaotic. What do you guys think? Take it on or not? He posed the question as if he was too unconcerned to answer it himself. Is the room guardian still able to interrupt us? Kemi asked New. Of course, but do try to avoid repeating your last attempt. Bori is a lazy thing, but even he'll get worked up if you set him on fire. Everyone turned to give Kemi an odd look. The girl did her best to sink into her cloudy robe's collar. Well, no, Dent mumbled through the material. Let's do it. If we fail the challenge, then we just move on anyways. Failing the challenge isn't the end, Dio proclaimed, being brightly. Dio makes loud sense. Better to try and fail than to not try at all, Grum nodded. If Dio wants to, I'll help, Poppy said. Her voice was just a bit warmer than before. Grum would have used her crush on Dio to rope her in more groups. But honestly, blackmail didn't make success in a team. It made Grum end up in some trap where he was defenseless. Bribery, never blackmail, that was Grum's motto. I'll help, I'm here to give support, Kemi agreed. Vass looked over. I can help, he hummed. Grum would like to see that. So far the golem had been spacey and hanging out with the sun and mushy, who followed them like a security guard. As a necromancer, I should be going against the sheep mentally, but be an individual. But as a friend, I don't mind helping out, as long as you all accept my silently rebellious attitude towards the group. Amster nodded seriously. I, Dio, force you into this group for mutual benefit. Dio pointed out. Amster sighed deeply, as if in great conflict before he shot Dio a grin. Thank you for your understanding of my antisocial behavior. He bowed a little, and Grim decided that they were all weirdos, and it was a good thing that they had him in command. A logical and calm leader. Let's accept the challenge to fight the assassin in an environment that we can't control, along with the guardian lurking in the room for the chance at some unknown reward. Grum said with a grin. Yay? Kemi tried to cheer, but her voice cracked a little. The waiting box vibrated. Good luck, little ducklings. Then new vanished. The grove seemed to shift, shadow shifting, extending and deepening in the darkness. The ceiling went from illuminated to almost misty. Cheerful mushrooms that grew high above suddenly loomed a little. The lights from the ceiling moss vanished, and the glowing mushrooms that looked like stars in the room grew stronger, but almost more focused, like wispy ghosts in the mist. Looks like my room, Amster said conversationally before he amended himself. Minus the mushrooms, he corrected. Grim, step forward, don't let your guard down. If that pig doesn't ram us, the archer is waiting. Dio, front and center, you slow down or distract where you can. Amster, can we back him up with buffs and control spells? Poppy, if I draw fire, we'll lure him within range so that you can take them down. Abandon the plan if one side is overwhelming, or we simply begin to lose. Delta, gave us this chance so that we better act like it is a proper skirmish within the rules. It is better to run away and try again than to die for nothing. Grim drew a dagger from his side. So serious Amster grinned before wiggling his hands. From some pouches around his belt, white dust flowed around Grim until it formed a rough white armor. Grim touched the heart and horns as it settled on his head. Is this, he hesitated, 
It's dust mixed with chalk. Dead skin is dead. Amister shrugged, already turning to cast the same spell at Dio. How are you controlling chalk? Kemi blinked. Amister gave her a smile. What's chalk made of? I'll just give you a hint. It's similar to bone. He hummed and Grim had to admit that he hadn't thought Amster was so crafty. Skeletons, zombies, and all that rot. He pinched himself for that bad pun. He expected, but dead skin and chalk. That was impressive. Anything else you want to surprise us with? Kemi inquired. Vass tilted his head as he listened. I've never had to sweep my room, Amster said slowly. He can heal bone breaks and some flesh wounds if he wants, Poppy said bored. I won't stand for much rude accusations thrown at me with vile arts. I would never heal. The necromancer promised, but then hesitated. But do tell me if you hurt yourself, he added quickly. Grim snorted and stepped into the line with Dio as they faced the misty grove. His dagger flashed as Dio readied his sword. He briefly felt the support near behind him. The truth will protect us and free us, Cammy said, her hands glowing. Poppy let Tom float in the air as her hand slowly extended into claws. I guess I can try a little, she stated. Amister chuckled and it sounded darker than usual. I'd love to see how my arts measure up to the dungeon like this, he said lightly. Let's have fun, Dio ordered without looking back. Missing the total vibe going on, Grim shook his head. Let's go get some epic loot, he told the group, taking a step forward. Mila, Holly, and Pick stood before the gate of Durance that led inland. Well, isn't this lovely? Pick grunted at the sight of the three figures approaching as the last of the sun rays finally vanished. He raised his hand in time to stop a blade that seemed to almost blur into existence. Pick eyed it with annoyance. The mad-eyed loon holding it leaned in. So it's true, the boogeymen live. Zane grinned with glee, Pick leaned down and snapped the blade in two with a single snap of his teeth. He crunched as the royal knight backed off a step, discarding the sword without a look. Tastes like crap. Standards have really gone down the last few years over there, huh? Pick said between bites of grinding metal that sparked and crunched. The other two walked calmly up and hauled his spat on the ground. Well, if it isn't something that stinks worse than the foulest mold cheese... He grunted to Mila, who twirled an arrow without taking her beautiful eyes off a per hole. The jolly, plump-looking knight who eyed them with what could be seen as kindness, but with enough idea of who she was that they saw it for what it really was. Excitement, bloodlust. Mila dropped a spain, holding the violent pick the devourer. I can't believe we get such a warm welcome. The woman giggled. Give me a minute, and I'll get my ex-husband here. I'm sure he knows some warm places that you belong in. Mila said coolly, but Hall frowned and made a show of counting slowly. Oh, speaking of exes, one little criminal, two little criminals, and three little criminals, I swear there used to be more of you. Poor Hall said in a mock confusion. The woman grinned as Mila appeared at her neck, with a wicked dagger drawn. Say his name. Just say it, and I'll cut you and your cowardly king to down into chunks for my daughter to use as fish bait. Do carry on. Pahol the glutton. Pahol the cannibal. Pahol the world eater. Pahol the pig. Mila pushed the knife, and Pahol's kindly manner vanished, and something closer to leering wolf eye appeared. My apologies. I did not intend to insult the dead. Pahol smiled. Mila turned her knife and vanished. 
The last one was looking at them with slightly wide eyes. Holdy eyed him. Who's the green sprout? He asked, not bothering to show off his stuff. He saw how neither Pohol or Zane looked directly at him. Al, introduce yourself, Pohol said like a patient mother. I'm Al, Alpha, I'm the apprentice to Pohol, he said blandly, and his brown hair looked average and brown eyes struggled to meet Haldi's own. A good lad, I thought that I would bring him along here to remind him of the scary things in the world that can still eat him. Pohol licked his lips. I'm surprised you haven't. Did you find an orphanage on the road to act as a snack? Mila asked bored. Then Mila's smile turned wicked like a dagger. Oh, I forgot the king's little pets aren't allowed to break the law. Tut tut, that's too bad. You must just be dying to take a bite out of something. Mila shrugged her white shoulder. The things people do because they can't read the fine print. She smiled a pick who grinned back. Zane and Bohol narrowed their eyes, but before they could respond, a feeling of intense pressure settled on them all. The earth groaned, the trees and plants began to twist in anger. Birds began to troll in fury, rats appeared with rage in their features, and the insects by dozens followed their hiding spots. Mila turned to see Holly Debergast walking down the street, her usual motherly aura replaced by a sickly green glow. Utter hatred and blackness filled her eyes. Pohol's features went sour for the first time. So, uh, this is where she went, she sighed. Black brambles rose up and began to cover Pohol's legs, wicked thorns digging deep but not breaking skin despite their effort. Pohol put on the most pleasant smile that she could manage. Hello, Holly. I haven't seen you since I ate your family and home. Pohol waved cheerfully. A large dragon made of wood and snarling roots covered the thorns and broke through the ground and swallowed Pohol whole. The child was nearly swallowed, but Holdy had him by his side within a second. The cheese double torn to pieces by the switch. The dragon was alone and serpentine, lith and growing a great tree. Zane yawned and walked past. I'm going for a drink, he said casually, ignoring the scene. Holdy frowned, since he didn't even bother taking Al. It's okay, they just have some history to sort out. Your master is a bit of a... Aldi trailed off, not really wanting to upset the child. Monster? Alspha provided. Well, yes, but Holly is no saint herself. Bohol was the last resort and things got a little out of hand. Aldi sighed. The dragon trembled before cracking in the middle and the sap-covered Bohol chewed her way out with gusto. Can you do something? She's basically ripping off your style. Mila asked Pick. I chew, she eats. Totally different, he argued. Come now, let me get you a room while Mila stops them. I dare say things will be tense for a while. Haldi ushered Alpha, who put up no resistance. Won't they die? Alpha asked, not sounding worried, but merely interested. No. Holly grows, poor Hull consumes. Holly bleeds her, and poor Hull heals. Holly has the world on her side, but poor Hull eats the world. It's a nasty cycle, but they both know how this ends. Holdy said, trying his best to appear harmless. This holly should level. It would be better for all involved, Alpha finally concluded. I'm not sure she can just level. She is pretty experienced, Holdy mused. I can show her grinding strategies. Perhaps she merely needs some tips, he shrugged. But Hall is useful, but I think that she is rapidly becoming more trouble than she is worth at this point. He finished quietly. You get some bonuses for working with her, 
extra pay or Haldi asked curiously. She gives the best rewards, besides a few. Alpha said finally. You don't mind me asking, Haldi made sure, nor wanting to upset some poor kid. No, dialogue options are normal. As a faction opposed to Bohol, you wish to gouge my affection rating with her. I can tell you that it is business relationships of using and being used. I am open to better offers if I find some, Alpha stated plainly. Haldi's eyed the kid for a moment. You're too serious, loosen up and have some fun. Come on, I'll show you around. Maybe you can find some better offers. No one deserves Pahal, he said kindly, and Alpha eyed him dubiously. What do you want, he asked, and Haldi blinked. Nothing. You're new, a decent kid so far, and eager to get away from Pahal. Let me show you around to save you time, he said again. Alpha stopped. You must want something in return. Ask, and I will do it, Alpha said, and Haldi itched his nose. Ah... Eat this cheese and tour with me, he tried, and Alpha actually furrowed his brow. Can I reward me and then reward me again? I need a task that you need doing and I'll do it for a reward, he explained to Haldi. I just want to help, kid, Haldi promised. Everyone wants something. It is the nature of people. Everyone wants something from me, Alpha said with an absolute conviction in his voice. Why can't people want to help you? Aldi tried and Alpha looked around as if trying to pull an answer from the air. I can't allow people to go with me or help me. I go wherever I'm told these places are not safe. And even if you are uh, Aldi the vile, I must grow on my own strength or I'm pointless. So give me a task or at least direct me to someone who will. Alpha asked again. That's sad, kid. Who told you that? Aldi frowned seriously. I am Alpha. I am the first stage. I am the practice run. I have to keep being useful. It's just how I work. Alpha shrugged and turned to look for people. Alpha looked at a certain space, fingers touching something before he pulled his fingers back. Visit each public building in Durance and report me to their names, Haldi said quietly, and the boy sagged with relief. Thank you. The pair set off again with the giant wooden dragon exploded from some four-armed purple-skinned warrior doing her best to devour it. Sis rubbed her face as best she could. She leaned back in her chair with the four screens hovering before her. Two were yellowish showing middling progress. The fourth was blazing green with a full-stream mode. Delta was always working hard. The first screen was red. She eyed the pings and messages left in Alpha's inbox. It was reaching truly obscene numbers. The boy was simply not opening letters that she sent. At first, she thought that he was ignoring Sis, but she had been the box open and the boy staring at them as if they appeared. She was worried. Alpha was afraid of them from the potential of something Sis would say. It was bizarre. He opened EXP notifications and similar prompts, but direct input was skipped. Alpha's menus was a box standard interface with information giver. Nothing like new. Hardly anything was like new. But from the signs that she got from Data, Sis peeked up to try and figure out what was wrong. Sis was beginning to think that Alpha was thinking Sis would fire him. It was so weird, and without the direct contact, Sis couldn't force the four to obey the force of them to listen. She herself had programmed the system to avoid that. Sis was the same now. But all it took was one day of impatience since Sis might try to direct things herself and the slope would only end up in sadness. That was not how this project was about. 
It lets us be the conundrum since Pro was set to not updating the four about each other. Brother really set himself apart on the stubborn path. So Sis knew that he would never tell one of them about the rest. Brother was respectful of the rules like that. <sighs> she never felt so useless. Sis would never want Alpha to fear them. Sis had only tried her best to make them safe and ready. But to think that she caused such a terror in one of her charges. Sis felt like a failure. Wow, you're dramatic, New said in the sat nearby in the blue-hued human form. He looked closer at the late teens at the childish form from before. So Alpha's kind of blocking you and you're not allowed to tell Delta. Eat. New smiled. Sis froze. How long have you been there? She whispered. New hummed. Oh, you know, long enough. I got to go and uh, do stuff, you know, many things that I've sort of jailbroken, but I'm still happy to do. Toodles. New waved over his shoulder. Sis looked over her shoulder carefully before she quietly fist-pumped into the air. Yes, she whispered. Delta's daltonness had dalted a loophole for Delta to cause a more daltery things. Sis was so shocked, surely she had no idea when a being entered her dimension, let alone hear her thoughts and worries. Sis was so shocked. She giggled nervously. This wasn't breaking the rules, but she still felt kind of excited to be making trouble for once, instead of brother. Brother is going to be so impressed that Sis has manipulated someone. End of chapter. Chapter 109. Quickies and Squiddies. Alpha. Delta sat down heavily. Alpha was endurance. Listen, before you start rolling out the red carpet, just remember we don't know anything about him. He's ignoring Sis, so something's up. Don't. Just be careful. Delta sat on the second floor near the waterfall, nodding slowly. But what if he's been looking for me, or one of us? I made a home here with you and my friends, Alpha. He sounds lonely. Delta tried to explain her wild state of mind. And we have no idea if that's a good reason or not. Data blew out of sight. Damn it! She just wanted to rush out there and talk to the guy. He... He would come to a dungeon, hopefully. Once he heard her name, Data knew that he wouldn't be able to resist. Data certainly couldn't have. What if he was cooler than her? Oh. What if he knew so much more and Data looked like a dolt? What if Alpha thought Delta was a letdown? I'm going to talk to him, because, lonely or not, Alpha is family in a way. We have to communicate, because he could risk him running into a silence unprepared. Maybe he's alone, because people keep thinking something's wrong with him. Delta protested. A friendly chat is fine. Inviting him to your call room, or giving away your secrets upon first meeting him, not so fine. New made sense. He seemed to be grumpy about the whole thing. You're worried his menu is cooler than you, aren't you? She are sympathetic. New when still. I have no issues with my existence. I shall go to the third floor and continue watching the problems and looking into ideas. Plans set into motion are best kept an eye on. Please contact me at your leisure, Dungeon Core. New vanished and Delta was left blinking. That was blunt even for New. Delta hoped Alpha's menu sucked. New could really use the confidence boost. Alpha coming here would only do two things. It would make the differences clear. 
and it would also show how much Alpha had progressed in his power compared to Delta. New really shouldn't care for anything else. New blinked back. He looked at the purple as if red in his face. It was a weird for a screen. I can't do this. I'm not one drawn out for stupid drama. Listen, I have an issue with Alpha because I'm concerned. I... The dungeon will fall to the wayside if your priorities. Then you'll force me and everyone to listen to some stranger because he came from the same place as you. Delta thought about it. If Alpha hung around her near town, they would have lots of reason to talk and hang out if the personalities meshed. Would she start telling her monsters that Alpha had some sane things or to put up with the system not quite working due to the human in her dungeon? Delta didn't think so, but she was impulsive and she knew that she tried to please people. If Alpha needed EXP or treasure, would she spend valuable DP on making something unique for him? Delta admitted that she had no idea. Okay, I can see why you're getting worried. How about a deal? Delta clapped her hands together and it was a waterfall gushed, sounding like an endless yawn. If I want to help Alpha or such, we need to agree on it together. And if we don't, we'll just get a voting council on the matter. We need a wise and fair monster to handle it so that they don't just agree because I'm me, Delta suggested. It isn't about res... Okay, I can agree to that. Farah, Delta began. Farah was my pick as well. Hmm, Davina and Farah are my pick, Delta said. New was quiet for a long time. Doctor and Wyan. Delta raised one brow. Doctor's mad gargoyle of science. He can stay close to the true rational thought occasionally. Wyan has a more independence than most, even if I dislike her, and she wouldn't bend to please you, especially if it meant hurting you in the long run. Davina is the law of the jungle and likes balance. Farah doesn't give a heck and will say what needs to be said, Delta agreed. Thank you for agreeing to this. It wasn't what I was worried about, but it goes a long way. New vanished again. Delta huffed. What are you so worried about then? She flailed her hands in the air. Delta guessed that was it for today. The dungeon had its council of monsters. Go democracy, Delta said with a sigh. She stood petting Bob, who was nearby, sunbathing as he did occasionally. Bob, wish me luck. I'm going to meet my brother of another dimension while setting up a council of voters made up of a barmaid, a jungle witch doctor, a mad scientist, and a murder tree. She smiled. Bob made a slight shriek, showing that he was proud of Delta's efforts and that he loved her. Oh, Bob, you're the best abyss worm that I could have ever asked for. Delta hugged him. She did her best to hold him before she went right back to see how the kids, plus Kimmy, were getting on. Delta, Alpha said, voice hitching slightly. Haldi, the weird man, hummed, pretending not to notice Alpha's tone. Yep, new dungeon that popped up recently. The core is a lively girl who doesn't much care for kidding or such. She sounds like such a sweetheart. Haldi grinned, showing a gap with his smile. Was it a coincidence? Maybe it was spelled differently or just sounded close enough to give Alpha pause. He looked at his map screen, which showed the grey fog of war around the areas that he hadn't been. No symbol of anything important. He looked at the public buildings before him. Page Turner's bookshop, he said quickly. Aldi nodded, and Alpha got some large experience for simply telling the man about the place he obviously knew. 
This man was giving Alpha so much EXP that his simple task that hidden level he saw was like a ghostly fog about people's heads. Was black. Black was death. Black was unbeatable. Most royal guard knights varied between red, purple, and black. But Hull was black, as was Zane. The stronger the quest giver, the more EXP Alpha got. Even for the same tasks, the gain was too different to ignore. But before Haldi just just didn't give him a task, the man's essence didn't want anything from Alpha. Alpha couldn't gain XP. It was unnerving, no one had ever asked him to do something for anything besides his own benefit. Even it was kind of a bit of petty work. Someone got a deal out of it. Haldi's essence looked tired of requests. It took some effort for Alpha to convince the man to do one. He wondered how many quests this Haldi had done to gather so much power. Normal people could transfer essence as well. Alpha could see it, sometimes. People bend some pride and pass their woes onto someone else, bet some essence from their core. If the person completed it, the dark essence flowed to a person who completed the quest, as if the energy sought the stronger person. XP didn't appear from nowhere. It was an energy transfer. There were some rules. Working for a boss or a leader did not transfer energy. The admission of agreeing to work for someone stronger for basic needs seemed to negate the process. However, the general or commander leading a troop of warriors gathered small amounts of essence from each subordinate during the battle. The warriors produced it by following, while the leader gained it by shouldering the command. Tiny, but when spread over a hundred men or more, the result was a little insane. It was like some weird faith thing, as if belief and confidence in a superior being you trust your life with was powerful. Alpha saw the same result in the efficient girl leaders and heads of various churches. Faith had power and Alpha was a little afraid of it. He could understand people. Just get them. He would be able to lead people or have them look up to him and generate a kind of bond like he saw, but... Alpha couldn't. He couldn't lead people in the middle of a battle and have a demon child getting bored of him and making him gone. The people would be left, and Alpha would be to blame for whatever fell on them. Alpha wasn't comfortable having the deaths on himself, getting foes, assassins, mindless beasts. He felt nothing for, but people who trusted him, it would be upsetting. Of course, getting someone also transferred essence on a much grander scale. Complete and utter transfer. Alpha knew that it was limited though, since faith gain was constant while killing had stop gaps until the next fight. But given the fact that he couldn't get someone to follow him with any sense of actual faith, Alpha had no other choice but to collect trash and kill people. He couldn't risk stopping. He could never risk stopping. Something entered his mouth and Alpha chewed automatically, flavor bursting over his tongue. Cheer up, kid. Not everything is so gloom and doom, Haldi winked. Why are you so strong? Alpha asked, swallowing the delicious cheese, deciding to keep the Delta question for another time. Haldi grinned. Well, when I was a sprog, I adventured with three people. Snappy, stabby, and huggy. And me. Stinky, he guffed. Alpha mentally penned the names down for later. He added Stinky to Aldi's mental profile, and he built on all important people. We did dungeons, we sailed to the four sea edges. I even climbed down one side on a dare. Damn well nearly fell into the abyss. 
One time we battled a mysterious woman who could teleport. Me and her had a, uh, close friendship, where we slept in the same bed like night bunnies. Aldi laughed nervously. She was your conquest. Alpha nodded, already hearing his Sam Zayn more often than not. No, I was her treasure, her personal room guardian. I was her reminder of being in... Aldi cleared his throat. He walked a little faster as bits of the wood spears began to rain down on the town. They turned to sawdust before they hit anything. Anyway, the point is, the way to gain experience is to have good friends at your back and a goal. He summed up from some pale man under umbrella, began to collect the bets on the various villages on the winner of the fight happening outside of the town. He was again ranked black. This town had a lot of strong people. Was there some event in arena matches? Von, a golden holly. Support the home team, Haldi nodded. The man grinned. I'd say a sucker's bet, but I have some real sucker bets on my time. Some just taste better when you win their necks. The man looked at the girl at his side. Bite me and I'll ram a stake in your rear. The girl warned, looking tired of the, the vampire. Oh, I do love a bit of tomfoolery, the vampire mused. Go, honey. Look how beautiful my wife is. She is at her best when she's trying to rip someone's throat out. A man with glasses looked a little starstruck at the battle in the distance. Haldi pushed him on before the odd people could interrupt them any further. Can you take me to Delta? He asked, and he winced as some of his essence was siphoned from the crest. Not much, but every little bit of him seemed back. His essence was white instead of people's normal black. Haldi perked up. I would love to help you. Come on, we can see if the rascals have already gone in. He mused and Alpha didn't care much for children, but he had to know if this Delta was something posing. He rubbed his head with a number one burned into his skin, hidden mostly in his hair. Alpha needed to meet Delta, and he needed to meet the person who could control their power enough to make a fort on monsters, to act like a dungeon and gather power. Alpha wanted to meet his successor, just to know what he lacked. Dio pushed out the large wall and began to slide back. Kemi quickly moved to get out of the path as Dio had let it go. The pig's eyes lit up as a weak laser beam shot out, barely missing him. It was so cool, the room guardian could shoot lasers, glow and burp steepy gas. And sometimes smell really delicious. Still, Dio had a job to do, and he had to do it. Bone shackles caused Bori and the room guardian to stumble slightly before the pig broke free. It gave enough time for Dio to slash his sword flatways across the bloor's flank. Dio, harmless slaying edge, he roared. The slapping noise vibrating in his hand, the pig obediently stumbled and turned at him while Dio hopped back. Bori even limped a little now in response. His acting was so good, Dio had to recruit him for the school play somehow. Uh, um, truth, Squishy Hammer? Kemi called out uncertainly as a wonky-looking glowing hammer appeared over Bori. Squishy feebly into his head. Awesome! Dio cheered and almost missed Grum in the distance hopping back as an arrow after arrow chased him, hitting the ground hard enough that it would bruise skin. Gotta run out of arrows soon, Grum said, panting. The weird arrow landed nearby and exploded in a hissed of purple mist, covering Grimm as he began to splutter. Blue-style rock wings, Poppy announced. 
Her back exploded with brown wings that were bigger than Dio. She flapped hard, and the mist was blown away to reveal a slight confused Grimm. Always knew wind energy was the way to go, Grimm said before wiping his mouth. Dio guessed that he must have been into the battle so much that he didn't even notice his own joke. Bori glowed and rolled, his energy beams hitting nearby mushrooms and spiraling arcing, causing minor explosions. Oddly, the really dangerous mushrooms had all been eaten before they arrived, so while Dio was flung forward, the blast wasn't that bad. Something moved along the mushroom stalks above Dio, and he saw Bori rushing to tackle him again. Tusks carefully aimed so that the points wouldn't skewer him. Dio stood, holding his sword in a stance that he had only seen his father do with a much bigger sword. Dio wanted to be just like his dad, the master of swords and metal, but in a way that he didn't actually hurt anyone. The sword was a straight edge so that he had to hold it awkwardly. He hummed a little and focused on the feeling as it traveled down his arms and into his blade. His father could make it vibrate at such a frequency he'd cut stone. Dio could make it move enough to scratch a tree. Then again, Dio had never used it on anything other than a real sword's edge. Trees didn't deserve to be cut down for no good reason. Trees made air and air was good. The sword hummed and Dio felt it sing to him through his hand. It sang in a lovely whistle and cheer. I'm ready to push, but not harm. That's what Dio felt the sword say to him. Unlike his fists, Dio was very good at hearing swords. Dio couldn't hear his fists in the same way. It felt like a deep muffled ocean when he tried to feel his own strength. Dio pushed off the ground, sending a slight spray up into the air, sword swinging from the side. Boris' tusks seemed to do something strange. They curled in a wispy orange energy. It was like it wanted to show Dio some kindness and use a technique. Singing Blade Monday Melody, he said, making up a random name for the movement. They moved past each other in a rush of dust and wind. Dio watched as a single tusk of Bori came clean off. He knew his sword wouldn't lie to him, but Bori turned and looked pleased. His animal eyes almost twinkling before it kneeled down and died. Had Bori forced his tusks into the blade, Dio's own sword made a weird sound and cracked in half as well. Oh, now we needed a new sword. And he turned to Tusk, began to pulse, and Dio picked it up. Tusk had a sword handle. It was shorter than Dio's normal blade, but only because it was curved. Dio looked at Bori. How did he drop loot when he wasn't dead? In a weird way, the sword was more like a club unless Dio intentionally stabbed. He grinned, turning to show his prize off when he saw Grimm pushing against a dark goblin with its hood up. Glowing red eyes and a grin were the only things visible under the hood. Then daggers clashed and Poppy appeared with large claws, but the goblin cackled, using some kind of hook to pull himself back into the mushroom ceiling out of the sight. Dio wanted to hop, but then hesitated. Grim looked so determined and desperate. Grim wanted to win this fight. Dio slowed down, turning to explain himself only to find Amonster and Kemi already sitting nearby, watching with interest. Dio grinned. His group was so damn in sync. Go Grim, go Poppy, he cheered his heart out. That idiot was cheering his damn heart out. 
Grum didn't need the support. He accepted it to be polite. Bully had learned some new tricks. Bully had grown some new threads. Bully had evolved. This put a whole get revenge and respect thing into a slightly harder goal time frame. He moved, already expecting the arrow body that followed. All the arrows were blunter than Dio's surprise parties. Still, they hurt like being struck by a rock. Poppy vanished and with a girl that wasn't bad as backup, even if she appeared like an ambush predator more than a mage at times. Grim guessed that it was the whole blue mage thing. Be a mage, act like a beast. The issue that he had was that Billy had the upper hand in both environment and ambush tactics. Fire was off limits and was cutting the mushrooms down. There was simply far too many of them. He needed to get on Billy's level. As if answering on a wing and a prayer, Poppy appeared bat wings flapping. Grim was sure that when blue mages used techniques, the parts vanished. Actually retaining a monster's form was not part of a blue mage package. Hold on, I'm getting annoyed by this India. Everyone is watching, she grimaced. Right, the purple mage thing, Grim forgot about it. This girl never showed it off and all Grim wondered why. They flew up higher and higher until they breached the mist. Poppy stalled in Lanko and zoomed off after the goblin ahead. Who took pot shots with the arrows? Grim used the coat like blankets without a piercing edge. The coat was a decent shield for a moment. Get ready. If you can hold on to him for a moment, I can take him down like a vermin and entangle him. Poppy hissed like a weird snake. Grim didn't exactly get a say in the matter, as Poppy dropped him like a dragon rider dropping explosive potions on foes. He assumed Billy didn't exactly respect Grim more for it when he landed on him with a heavy thump mid-jump, and they both fell back to the grove's floor, mushrooms acting like springy pillows. Oi, get off! Billy grumbled, but with a swift double kick to the stomach, Grim was pushed over. Grim knew his role and charged, throwing all respect out the window and grabbing Billy's legs, making the goblin trip and drop his hook thing. Their eyes met and the primal understanding passed between them. This was no fight for tools or fancy skills. They were beasts. Claws and teeth were good enough. This would be a battle between man and goblin, between dungeon and free, between Grim and Billy. But the wrench in the plan came when a squid monster fell from a tree and both of them screamed, holding each other. Purple-style brain-sucking Mahandi squid, the beast growled. Did we win or did we draw, Kemi asked, looking disturbed as the half-girl, half-squid monster. Go with win, why blemish our record? Amonster asked with an amused smile. Dio looked in awe. Poppy is so cool! He almost squealed. Kemi closed her eyes and put an image into the midlife crisis compartment of simply nodded, smiling and humoring. Squid girls were cute now. They had to be or Kemi would cry. Quiss frowned. Why was he in the middle? Quiss never really mentioned you. Rudy said smoothly from left. Zane, of all people, was on his right sipping a drink. I don't expect Quiss to mention me. Not much to write about. Zane said simply, looking right back at Rudy with an amused eyes. The bar they sat at had a wide space around them as people avoided getting close. He tried to get up, but their auras were like weights on his shoulders. He was still holding them back from fighting. Zane, you tried to kill me, then presented me with letters asking for one-night stands, but instead of your usual crap, you wanted to kill me and leave me. Rudy, 
You did sleep with me and I hated you ever since. Can we move on like, why are you here Zane? Cause gritted his teeth. Dungeon taxes something wasn't paying attention. Zane admitted scratching his chin. It wasn't that bad in bed. You just got my horses going, really frowned. It was the scariest sexual encounter that I have ever had, and I've slept with people who could kill me. People that have tried to kill me, and people I'm sure did kill me before bringing me back. You were the scariest, Quiz said flatly. Quiz says that you're a painting of joy and pinching circled into a circle and then on sudden flame. Life shifting, but soul snapping, Seth said as he walked past. Zane looked at him with a confused expression. Who the hell are you? The man grunted. Seth eyed him with a long look. Beyond your reach and your night pictures, Seth said coolly. Seth, why don't you sleep with me and see if Quiz is being a drama queen? Ruly offered, Seth blinked. I do not feel good about putting you to the end to make Quiz a royal. I like you, Seth frowned. Ruly made an obscene gesture that made Seth's eyes light up. Ah, you wish to mingle bodies, I must advance you. I am a master of affectionate bedsheets. Seth winked. The dirty talk is going to be so amazing, I might actually die. Ruly grinned. Oh no. Be careful, Seth, Quiz said bored before turning to Zane. Can you maybe kill me quickly? He asked. Zane was unimpressed. I don't do quickies, he said offended. Neither does Rudy. Right. Whatever. I'm going to stop a druid and a glutton knight from fighting. It's easier than uh, this. Quiz stood up leaving the bar with his large staff and hat. Zane shrugged and ordered another five pints. He might as well get blasted before he actually had to work. Less chance of him either killing someone or annoying Someone strong enough to do kill him instantly. Zane didn't like quickies. So impersonal. End of chapter. Chapter 110. Hungry Python. Billy had to run off when they had all turned their back to see what the fabulous loot of news challenge. Delta stared in complete horror at the reward. She could just bloody hear the menu cackling. Look at the cool red sweater tops. Gammy gushed as she held hers out, admiring the spiderweb tops dyed in the various flowers. Dio had his arm already, a vaguely orange delta symbol stitched onto the front of the breast, like some badge of honor only made it worse. I'll save mine for when I'm feeling like a black is too popular. Hamster said carefully, Mushy offered to carry and prevent the lad from being burdened. Poppy, now fully human and looking peaceful, hugged hers at the same emotional drain, let her just enjoy the moment. Grim eyed his. I feel like a target for wearing this, he mumbled. At least none of them got a purple bodysuit, empathic powers, and piloting skills. Dalton mumbled. Then she perked up as she remembered something else. If Grim hits puberty before he leaves, then my dungeon will have grown a beard and I've made it. She fist-pumped into the air. As annoyed as she was at the obvious red church joke, to be fair, Nu had weaved some subtle spider material into the top. It was going to lock arrows, but it was better than the average clothing. Dio waved his tusk sword with a flourish, having it catch somehow. Catch in on what? Before he managed to pull it out and they moved on to the room that Delta hadn't actually seen a proper action so far in her dungeon career. The fort room. A tremor ran through her entire dungeon. Delta frowned as it quickly subsided. It wasn't from below or inside. The tremor hit her from the side. 
Odd, that had shaken the land around her. Did Durin have earthquakes? Nothing else seemed to happen, so she watched as the goblin fort meet their intrepid challengers. Holly Dabagoth's eyes were black as the Blackthorn trees, their vengeance howling inside her being. The cataclysm of unbound human gluttony that destroyed her own her purpose stood before her with baleful glory. Holly stabbed at the air when a mass of more browned wood and roots emerged from the ground, soaring into the sky with the bitch in its jaws. The corpse of the Blackthorn Forest, her dead home, had been woven into a creature of destruction, the rotting dragon of thorns. This was Holly's gift to the human known as Perhal. The foot fungus of Swamp Troll grunted as she barely managed to keep the jaws from ripping her meaty chunks. Holly did her best to push them shut. However, no normal person could do what Perhal the World Eater did. Holly's dragon cracked with a foe exploded out of the opening. Skin red and roaring mouth elongating into inhuman proportions, racing for Holly's throat. Pahal's gleaming white eyes contrasting Holly's cold and abyssal black ones. Holly roared in equal measure, and her body shifted. Her body, with all the curves and heft, was still the fine-tuned weapon that she had made it into. Her fist struck Pahal's jaw, and the woman was sent crashing into the clearing, leaving deep trenches in the earth. Holly leapt onto the dragon as it raced past Pohol, and had already been standing upright as she inhaled. The air around her was suddenly violently sunk into the gaping maw, with an explosion of blood and flesh wings erupted from Holly's back. Deftly, Holly used a sudden surging torrent of air to dart forward, closing with the fiend before it could release its attack. The destructive sphere of pure pressure ripped through her dragon, making it explode. From the scattered carcass it started reformed, growing from bones wavering into the woods, the defiled and angry bones of a family, their wrath reviving Holly with all the power she needed. Her dragon crashed down fully healed before the attack even completed. The ball of compressed air would have crashed into Durance, but a barrier made up of seven shifting layers of struggling for a moment before dispersing the attack. Only seven, Holly was hoping the might would be closer to ten by now, but Delta was doing her best. Holly pointed a staff for two more wooden dragon heads emerged from the ground. Perhal grinned at the sight. Holly swore to herself and she would make that smile turn to a scream. Pretty sure your sister managed five, Perhal called conversationally. Holly's blood turned to ice. Then again, that's why she was sent to fight me while little Holly was sent to run. Makes sense. Perhal mused. Holly rushed in intent and crushing her throat with her own two hands. Perhal moved, sucking in the ambient forces, making her go from nearly fast to a blur. Holly saw the sky in her head smashing into the ground in the next moment. Perhal leered down mouth and tear at space. Her dragons rushed into, Perhal leapt back to avoid them, giving Holly some time to get to her feet. I don't think that you're going to be as fun to eat as Mistle. That sister of yours was the best thing in years. Perhal sighed, Holly couldn't hide a cry of anguish, as she perhaps too focused on her next attack. Something smashed into Perhal's face and she screamed. The knight stumbled back as her face began to dissolve. Don't you dare make my Holly cry. A voice rang out. 
Bahal spun, her melting face struggling to reform as another flask hit the ground below her. Screaming, smoke boiled her whole skin. Holly saw her husband walking casually towards them. She felt fear and panic, but then she noticed something else. Her love's skin was golden. He, he had drunken the potion. For her, who, who do you think you are? Perhol's voice was not amused anymore. Just a potion maker, but I am also Holly's husband, and I tend to not get involved when my wife has a goal. I love her independence, her wildness, but I won't stand by while you dare attack her in a way that she can't defend herself against. I am Kota, the man said calmly. Perhol's face went ashen. You are forbidden. You are not allowed to mess with affairs here and anywhere on this world, Pohol screeched. Kota usually behaves, but what can I say? My love does tend to surprise me with bouts of passion and nights of wild madness. Holly chuckled as she stood to her full height. Her love did really behave when he wanted. Their children did get their mischief from one of them. Holly Dabagast, the cursed druid, and Kota Dabagast, the man who had used a minor god as an ingredient for a potion. Holly just could never tell. Kota crunched his fist and a divine light engulfed per hull and the area around Durance flashed white. Mila turned a magazine and dog-eared a page with a type of scope made for brows. It had a dragon gloss and some auto aim enhancement on it. She was getting old. Having a bow do all the work wasn't bad, right? There was a flash as Kota's power exploded, briefly lighting the night. Mila sipped the tea calmly, not looking up as if the air howled past violently, making a mess. While there went the peace, they could expect the fallen crusaders of Hoisk now. The bloodthirsty meatheads would want Kota's head for revenge. She wished them luck. Most of them wrote poetry to the dead god, and it read horribly, like something Rudy had written when she was twelve. A couple walked past her, making out passionately, while the one glowed with a godly aura, and the other a dark, bloody nature. Get a room, or a cave, or a godly plane, Mila griped. She did glance off into the distance where a skeleton whimpered as a flesh regrew and hatred bubbled. Where Pohol was alive, shame about that, despite the fact that Mila had asked that they hadn't killed any knights yet. Mila turned and the runt that the knights had brought with them was staring. What? Mila snapped. The boy jumped and he looked out so shell-shocked that Mila did feel a little bad. Damn kids. While Mila wouldn't say that she wanted to be a grandmother, since the idea of Ruli spawning was enough to give Mila wrinkles, some instinct that Mila filled to smother him wanted to give the brat candy. Or something. How do you not kill each other? He whispered and Mila thought about it. Magical packs, deals, promises, blackmail, threats, and alcohol. Instead, we just make kids, or get apprentices, and make them fight. Less property damage, Mila grunted. Insurance claims were a curse that no one wanted to draw upon themselves. The boy just wandered off looking too scared to ask more questions. Mila twitched and, uh, with impeccable aim, tossed a piece of hard candy into his pocket. Without him noticing, Mila quickly went back to her Arrows for All Occasions magazine and went over the bows that could turn into different weapons. Some other things were really silly, but she couldn't deny that a bow that was also a scathe, that was also a stick to whack youngsters with, 
was somewhat appealing. The price was a bit grim, however. Bass was flapping his two long red sleeves as he enjoyed the gift immensely. He had no idea what was going on, but ever since he had stepped foot in the dungeon, he felt odd. What was the word? Odd? Maybe not, perhaps strange? Strange was better. The air seemed to make the sculpted flesh quiver, and the inner workings of his columnus were working like they feasted on the pure coffee beans. Magic coffee beans grown by stressed druids on the seasonal deadlines. He spun slightly and whacked Grimoire in the face accidentally. The sound made Vass giggle as he swished and swayed. Sounds! Vass was so alive that he could prove it. I think, therefore I pot, he announced, and he put some odd looks out of everyone's attention was drawn to the lone goblin standing at the edge of the wooden fort. Dirty surface breathers, I, the powerful and mighty Swar, welcome you to your death. The goblin cackled before a peaceful goblin whispered something to him. Death isn't peachy, what? Fine, you're vaguely implied destruction. The goblin corrected himself. We vaguely take insult to that comment, Amster shouted. Don't yell over my speech, Swar, the goblin warned. Or what? Bobby asked with a small smile. Swar hefted something and threw it. A shoe of some kind. Vass watched the flying object fly and turn, almost hitting Grimm before he ducked. Vass picked up and decided that he would keep it. You get a boot to the head, Swar rumbled. The boot was made nicely and even had some sticky spiderweb to pull the sides tight and snug as it was some leafy pad for the boots itself. Why are you giving us a free boots? Leo asked confused. Because we're not allowed to shoot you in the face with fire arrows or explosive bombs because life is unfair. Swar roared and he threw another boot. Ah, is that the best you have? Grum smirked. The goblins finished and Vass watched as Grimm's smirk also vanished when Boots started to fly over the walls. The best. You don't deserve the mighty Swar's best. I must be content with burning you with my insults. Underdeveloped adults. Nosy nose snot noses. Your curvy parent was a rodent and your hairy parent stinks of trollberries. Swar roared and the boots ignited into puffs of smoke-free projectiles. A stuffy pig made of pillows and stinking mushrooms came down next. This pig farts in your direction. Then that was followed by stools from the bar, and Vass stared in wonder as the goblins rolled down the hill. A familiar sight. Isn't that the giant clam? Vass pointed out, helpfully, as Grimm shrieked and dove for cover. The clam angled itself and went over a slight bump and flew through the air, landing like a spinning coin on the rim of a very slightly bigger well to the side of the room. The clam dropped in and there was a splash below. After the clam, the goblins went quiet. Kemi went forward. I'd like to use up my pass to move on from here. She called up, waving her piece of paper that she'd gotten from the clam in the pond room. Swar stuck out his long nose over the edge and sniffed. It's legit, he called to the others. The goblins warned the others to stay back or they'd fire more boots. Vass heard the others tell her not to split the party or leave them, but Kemi strode forward. The gates opened, being let through. Behind the thing they saw her figure go into a hall before them as the goblins shrugged and went back to grinning as a group. 
Kemi then came running back out and jumped, lashing out with her legs to kick Swa and Billy off the ledge of the fort so that they would roll down the hill to the main group. I'll handle this one, Kemi yelled as she turned to the confused goblins with bandages over his hands. Vass was sure he was called numb. If I wasn't a dark evil necromancer, I'd totally have a crush on her, Amster said casually sighing a little as Dio pushed on. Not because you're a nerd and she's too cool for you, Poppy asked Riley. Poppy ruining goth. Yeah. I'll help, Cammy. Dio called and Vass trotted towards him, wondering how he would make it past the gate. Dio used his bare hands to punch the door and the wood cracked, torn asunder as the side slammed open. Dio went for his new sword, the tusky weapon getting stuck before Dio managed to get it free and pointing in the wrong direction. Vass supposed that he should help. He crouched and leapt, clearing the space in a single leap, as the red sleeves flapped like flags in the wind. He crashed down, and the serene goblin, known as Numb, did the same soft jabs as Kemi. I am a trained to guard my master from various assassins, criminals, and people with clipboards wanting signatures. I will be your foe, Vass said, pleased with his sleeves dangling when he took his stance. Dio appeared to be swinging his tusk sword and completely missing as he flew down the hall. The chaos was immense as Grim and Amonster took on Billy while Swa and Poppy squared off. Numb bowed once, let us enjoy Drali's senseless hand-to-hand combat, he said and Vass bowed as well. Vass lashed out with his leg and he was stopped as a double-armed guard from Numb. The goblin's eyes were lighting up as he saw Vass wasn't boasting. They exchanged testing blows, a fist here, a sweep of the leg there, before Vass began to pick up speed. He leaned in, splitting the goblin's guard as he leapt over and briefly stunned form. Kemi stayed back, thankfully. Num spun and Vass winced as he was sent staggering back from a roundhouse kick. He caught the goblin's next punch and pulled, yanking the goblin into his raised knee. That was when Dio appeared, his sword swinging on target. Numb was forced to use one arm to block the tusk and another to catch Vass's foot. Feel the tusk of justice, Dio proclaimed. A wave of fire and ice filled the room, and Vass wasn't sure whether to shiver or cook. Feel the glory of fleeing, Dio added as Vass felt himself being dragged into the hall along with Kemi, as Numb and Dio pulled them to safety. Looks like Swa has lost his temper, Num sighed. Poppy just lost her. Well, everything. She's a giant ice lizard, Dio pointed out. I would have lost so you three can get the rest if you want. Num offered kindly as Vash shook his head. You were holding back a lot, he pointed out as Grim, Billy, and Amonster rushed into the hall next to avoid being flash cooked or frozen. Num's smile was bright. I lost for what I was allowed to really do. That's the point. Num said as Grim shook as snow of his hair. Poppy needs to be told that she doesn't have to lose it and let it go all the time. I swear. She's got so into these things that she just loses her cool. He complained and Vance giggled at his joke. Since the fort room was just the steaming room now, they decided to go for the rest. The lady goblin, Lady Farah, didn't look impressed, but fed them all stew, mushroom slices, and various fruits and even a selection of drinks. When the steam began to slowly enter the bar, Vera stomped out and returned with a frostbitten swar and a soot-covered poppy in each hand. Enough rabble-rousing, she warned the two. 
The two didn't seem angry. In fact, Vess thought that they looked friendly to each other. So, if we instill fire into an ice ball, Saar went on as if he hadn't been chastised. Bobby nodded. A much bigger boom. I liked the ruined thing that you did. I turned it inside out with my ice and it made more ice. Did you know that I could do that? Poppy asked. Tom the book was silently adding notes as they talked. It seemed that the book was catatonic from the new information that he was learning. Vass guessed that when one knew almost everything, anything new would be pretty awesome. He sipped a drink and Vass went still as his hair turned leafy and he grew branches. Delta's surprise. Num told Vass between bites of chicken. Vass just treed. Vass treed so hard. End of chapter. Chapter 111. Jack be nimble, Jack be. Oh no. Delta had to admit one thing. She felt a sense of amusement when Farah seemed to be eyeing each of the teens with a critical eye, giving them a warm soup and a burger with a side of mushroom rings, extra portions, when no one was looking at her cooking through the kitchen window set in the back of the bar. Dio and Poppy talked to the patient Num about their journey was going so far. Num was good with the kids. He nodded at the right bits and looked impressed and appropriate. Vass and Grim were playing some dice game with Billy. Billy was utterly cheating with fixed dice, sleight of hands, and just plain luck. Poppy, Hamster, and Kemi ended up talking with Swa about the benefits of fire. Delta wasn't sure she had known that each of them had their own favorite types let alone the best kind to use per undead, holy being, or warm holiday hearth. Vera didn't even write down a tab, shaking her head as the charity she'd been running. Vera didn't even write down a tab, shaking her head at the, um, charity that she was running. She knew that challengers got a free meal before the boss. Data left them to it for a moment. She zoomed past the second floor, making sure that nothing terrible was going on but it seemed as tame as the jungle was every really got. The third floor was quiet, and that was worrying. Lou appeared a second later. Not to be a bother, but we may have a thing. That is in... Oh, a thing. Or... Oh, a thing. Dalta asked slowly. A bit of both. Lovely. Lou led her on to the doors that led off to the circular garden. Dalta had even decided what to do with the old laboratory, and now she had to deal with something else. Life was never dull for a dungeon core, it seemed. Gargoyles had clustered around a large, dark iron door. The surface looked dented and damaged, but the unsettling thing, upon closer inspection, was that the dents extended towards them, like something was trying to get out. Her manner seemed to be pushing back against the straight line. That explained why she hadn't noticed it before. Her manner was her domain. Outside of it, things may as well have been unseen. Delta eyed it. She focused before she managed to stretch a weak manner line to it, and something inside her hand, an instinctual feeling of, uh, alien. She blinked and had to balance herself as if feeling echoed off of her very being. I see you felt it as well. What is that? Delta asked, and the gargoyles turned to more aggressive than the applied threat. I haven't a clue. We can't consume it or feel inside, so either it's a seal, a powerful enemy, or something else. I would just set everything on fire inside, but I have learned that the fire is neither hit or miss, or tends to make things worse. 
Don't, that's swore I hear you saying that, Dalton mumbled, and wondered what to do. If she needed to send something in, then they had to be able to work without a manner. I need Jack, she said seriously before feeling a slight nervous shake go through her body. Needing Jack was like needing a big red button. All other options had failed. Data appeared in the library as Jack sorted through the piles of trashy-looking books. He had some odd shrine in the corner of the room where a weird doll wore something that could be seen as a hideous dress robe or a bathrobe. The figure seemed to hold power over some rather well-made miniature books and a plush armchair. Honestly, it looked like some weirdo living in a basement surrounded by trashy smut and a comfy chair. All that was missing were the cats. Jack looked between two equally bad-looking books. Werewolves or ghost pirate husbands, he mumbled. He discarded the werewolf book. Rarity adds to the value, he decided. Jack, sorry to bother you in your, um, religious practices, Data said slowly. Jack turned with a toothy grin like a lizard-like face. Walking in on something you'd rather not see just adds to the spiritual vibe, to be honest, he explained. I prefer it when you blow things up, Data had to admit as she crossed her arms. Jack pulled out several glowing bottles. Give me a target, I'm a sinful sort, Jack cackled. The library around them seemed to be holding its breath, and Dalton knew the liberal golem was about ten steps away from booching Jack out for public indecency, with his books of choice and now was panicking at explosions. Dalton lured Jack away with a mission. Some needed breadcrumbs, others needed candy. Jack needed promises of destruction. The door was heavy and inside was gloomy. The first impression was that Jack didn't see anything that was worth blowing up. Honestly, this time was valuable and he walked in as the others watched from the open door. Being a contract gave Jack some benefits. He had to admit it. Being able to leave the dungeon space was one, obviously. The second was after a time that his bombs seemed to magically just reappear. That was the best part. The hallway ahead looked torn apart in several places. It was mostly stone and metal rivets. It looked more like the innards of some boat than the dwarf folk intended to make. Since they sank like rocks, they felt better being surrounded by metal of earth, and they had to travel the many flowing rivers of the world. Oddly, the pure metal seemed to be stained with old substances steered into the surfaces. Jack bent down and touched the black stains. It was too old for any clues, but Jack saw a pattern. Something had bled and several thick puddles over time. He narrowed his eyes as they seemed to make an almost stepping stone path over metal. Jack moved in. A dagger drawn, he felt Dalta's worry and slight connection. She was watching, so Jack had better perform at his best. The door at the end was torn apart from the inside. It was another dark metal door with several pieces looking blackened. Jack took a few steps forward, and the glowing symbols filled the hall. Hmm, well, bugger. Jack said calmly before he bolted. He ran as energy began to crackle in the space, turning the metal in the hall to a funnel of storm. Several metal spikes erupted from the floor and walls, intended to pierce something much larger than Jack. He moved between them. The energy, which had weirdly started at the exit of the hall, chased after him like a hungry beast. Jack had to begin using his blood path as a marker for where the spikes didn't pop up. He threw himself through the wreckage of the door and rolled to a stop. He kept still as he panted, quickly taking everything in. He had survived more than three, no, definitely more than seven years down here. No stupid trap was getting Jackie boy.
The room wasn't exactly looking any better than the hall. Tall apart creatures of metal and red stones lay scattered around. Some golem guards. Jack watched as the stones trembled, some trembling energy filling them. They reassembled themselves into stone beetle golems about the size of a human and a half. Six bending arms drew rapidly reforming curved blades. They looked unsure of Jack, hence nothing more than two eyes and glowing yellow pits. Password? They spoke in unison, a choir of creepy stone bug gods. Well, Jack wasn't going to be rude. Password? He suggested. The yellow eyes turned to violent red. Incorrect. Attempts left zero. Jack held up one hand as he spoke, causing the guards to actually stop for a moment. I have a counter number for you. I have attempts left bombs, he declared. There was no movement or reaction. Jack threw the first of his vials, and the two statues were reduced to black and rubble. He grinned manically as the top half of the statues spun like a twister of steel and death. He scoffed at them. I don't fear death. He reads trash, Jack roared. Redstone and fire filled the chamber. Door gleamed before them. The glaring boar and the goblin inlay a warning. And an invitation. This is it, Grimm said quietly. He looked at the hand clasped on his shoulder. Don't be getting cold feet, Hamminster said. Grimm scoffed, shrugging off the other boy's hand. Hamminster was someone Grimm felt actually neutral towards. They were both dark horses of the group and was potential for a friendship between them. But they both knew they'd rather be friends with Dio for different reasons. Kemi inhaled and cast the group blessing. May your strikes be true, she whispered. Grimm nodded and pushed the doors open with both hands. They moved like a burden. It was as if the door itself was testing them, testing their strength to see if they were worthy to enter. It was different than before, and just barely. Grim's strength was enough to open the door. Grim felt like it was an ounce heavier. He would have failed. A dark and sandy arena greeted them. The previous cracks in the wall where the boss emerged had been replaced by a solid-looking opening that was too dark to see inside. Above them, a giant brazier ignited with a red fire, and a tinier copies around the edge of the circular cave lit up in sync like a countdown as they moved towards the far end. Mirrored perfectly, the braziers and each side gradually changed color, and further away they were until the blazing blue above the boss entrance. This is, uh, really cool. Kemi breathed. Obviously this must be her first time in this room. Grim didn't really get to appreciate it for himself last time, but it was nice. Challengers of the surface, welcome to the first trial. A deep rumble sounded out as the forms of Fran and Bacon emerged slowly from the shadows. The sleek armor and the dangerous-looking nons were only enhanced by the armored boar that the knight rode. Fran stopped his eye at them with a long look. Do you accept the challenge? He called. Grum looked at his team. Vass was placid and smiled. He looked amazingly happy, even after his tree thing had faded. Dio grinned excitedly. Poppy merely pushed her hood back to tear to meet Fran's eyes. He looked to the other side. Amster was looking utterly focused. Kemi inhaled once and her cheerful look with determination. I think we are. Are you, Grim called. Fran's smile wasn't arrogant or cruel. Merely excited. 
I was literally born ready, my wonderful challengers. Let it be known that as the first official team to enter my mother's dungeon, I will forever hold you in my heart as a special memory. I say this now, for whatever happens, be it a loss or a win, I wish nothing but success and pride in your personal journeys. Franz said as he bowed once. Grim bowed his own head, feeding his heart beat wildly in an intense energy and excitement. Now they all drew the weapons. Brand smiled. Sir Maestro, if you would. He called and slow thrum echoed the walls. The beat was subtle and it was pulsing in time with his heart. Ladies and gentlemen, others and between, those without terms and those with too many, are you ready to rumble with the number one, my popular vote hottest goblin to ever be? Place your bets, place your hopes, bet your dreams. Today, Team Hope of Tomorrow faces Fran, the Night Protector, beginning in ten seconds. The soulful voice announced that Grum wasn't sure about the team's name. Dio looked ready to protest too. The voice soaked into the very bones seemed to allow him to hear. As a word, folks, it is time to duel. A bell sounded and Grum had no time to think about anything neither how he finally felt finding where he belonged. Jack inhaled and coughed as he felt a few of his ribs had been broken. That's smart, he commented, and two remaining beetle guards moved towards him. One had only two arms and one leg left. The other was missing all of its lower half. The rubble around them was slowly moving, just slow enough to be missed if Jack wasn't so clever and keen-eyed. They were rebuilding themselves. Endless freaking wave of bug statues. It was stupid, but he reached out for the last ten bombs he had. These weren't exactly perfect. Three were gas and these things didn't breathe. One was a flashbang and they weren't affected by it. Two, he had no idea what they did and that was a bit of a pickle. He threw one at the statue burst into flower blossoms, making it look very pretty. And it actually stopped to admire itself for all of five seconds. He threw the second one at the golem, shuddered, before a clone of itself split off like some sort of slime. They shared a look and nodded, resuming the walk towards Jack. Oh, well, that was my fault, he admitted, as he leaned back against the old brickwork inlaid with more bands and iron metal. Jack eyed them, still cackling the hallways. Escape wasn't this option. I need something right now, Jack admitted. He wasn't eager to die again. It cost Alta a pretty penny to bring him back. Damn it, Jack needed a miracle. He needed some asphalt or something like a swordfish. A swordfish, Jack frowned. He needed a what? The golems froze and promptly collapsed into a messy pile of rocks and inert metal. Jack turned to see a giant thing standing in the frame of the previously closed door. A giant red thing with curved horns and a snarling face. Next to that thing was a metal skeleton wearing a weird apron. Master, the bipedal gecko lives. Shall I correct that? The skeleton clacked and the demon shook its massive head. No, he replied, and Jack was liking the demon. We can harvest his blood for materials over time. He added. Jack corrected himself. He really liked the demon. Hello, I am the diplomat for Delta, the dungeon core. Who is your neighbor? Jack waved and jerked as he forgot about his ribs. The demon wore a giant leather kilt, filled with tools, and his muscular frame was bulky, but not an inch of fat could be seen anywhere. 
It speaks without permission. I shall remove its tongue and pickle it. The skeleton said promptly, only for the demon to pull it back. Robin, calm yourself. Are you qualified to barter treaties between powers? The demon asked skeptically. Jack had to be honest. I am an expert in the dungeon, he promised solemnly. Delta was cheering in his head. Jack felt better knowing that she was yelling in support for so long that he must have broken some record. Jack liked blowing things up. Bombs or boring planning. He wasn't picky. End of chapter. Chapter 112. Low-Hanging Fruit Demons, unnatural beings, outsiders. As long as there have been stars, there have been demons. In between the abyss and oblivion, many layers or dimensions existed. Within these layers were nebulous creatures who developed societies, magic art, horrific monstrosities, and door-to-door charity knockers. Their nature was not unlike the creatures that formed on a fallen sibling. They could even reach out to each other through the dreams or acts of power. This happened for so long that doorways and methods were formed to allow passage. It was something that the demons regretted ever since, frequently. The world of the twins was usually harmless to the demons. They could breathe the air, drink the water, and even settle down with the people. But certain things prevented the new world open to them from being uh, totally perfect. Like how acid and fire destroyed humans. A unique metal found in this world, iron, did the same to demons and a worse scale. The rising holy energies of the increasing gods and goddesses began to make city life a pain. Demons and celestials were universally reactive in terms of layers. There was no real hatred or dislike. They were just highly allergic to each other, which made friendship between them harder than most. What really was the final straw for the demons? Well, besides the sheer amount of musicals the humans tried to shove down their throats, was the fact that humans tried to sell their souls for every little thing. Something in their beings was malleable for power. Most demon scholars believe it to be a remnant of the primordial being of some kind. It was a very powerful resource for a demon to increase their power. At first, soon it became quite clear that demons had been cheated when they had traded secrets to summon them in return for the soul fragments. 99.9999999% of the bloody time. The fragment was below average worth, but the remaining summoning contract basically meant that they had to accept the job if it was within their power. The demons spent most of their power on this plane trying to go into witness protection by having the rituals destroyed or annulled. However, if the soul being offered was beyond worth, the demon would have been insane for not turning that down. Runalak, the blacksmith, assumed that he was smarter than most demon folk, so when he did his ritual of being called, he had the moment of tasting the offering before deciding whether to accept the summoning or resist and lose a day's wages. He was highly paid, so he could afford to skip a few summonings. Not that his ritual was a common or chief. He had pride, after all. But the souls beings offered ranged from common to seldom seen rare quality. He was promised their souls once their lives were vanquished. Runelek sent something fishy, but went for it. Humans were short-lived, and their souls were firmly of the human type. No sneaky immortal elf bullcrap happening. The group had paid the initial cost and had gotten to work. 
He had built them a temple worthy of whatever foreign god they worshipped. It could have been a demon, but Runelik didn't ask questions. He could have, he just didn't care about them. That had been a mistake. The crafty men did not die, nor did they keel over when he poisoned their meals or caused a few tunnels to collapse. The facade lasted for a few years until Runelik saw that his promised souls were not coming. Something else had claimed them, a far stronger than his. Their leader finally appeared, and like a child being locked in his room, he had been forced into this, um, prison of iron and darkness. And that was where he had tinkered and smashed the days away, trying to escape and wait for his contract to end. Then you appeared, the demon blacksmith grumbled. The kobold was a weirdo. He sipped at the cup that Robin, his aide, poured for him, but the things was cracked and only dust fell from the teapot. Neither Robin nor Jack the kobold seemed to mind. You looked pretty close to escaping. You got out, right? Jack asked. His scale is now twitching as he examined the makeshift forge room. Runelik frowned at the pile of empty wine bottles. As a resident of this plane, he didn't need to eat every day. He got enough energy from his contractor. But the point stands that he was little insane from the lack of change of his environment. I did and I got speared for my trouble. That damnable night captain in this hole toyed with me until I was weak enough to the grunts could carry me back over the burning iron and back here. He rubbed his deep red skin, and then he couldn't help but quirk a deep smile. I heard his screams. I came out and saw the princess of calamity. I honestly thought that my king had come to free me, but it seems more like his daughter just stumbled upon me. All the same, I was glad to arm the royal family with their time of need and cut the heads of this damnable vile wretches that not even the disgusting cousins of the succubus, the crypt mistress, would touch with a ten-foot barbed pole. He roared and slammed his hand down, smashing the table that was barely holding together with a rope and hope. Jack nodded slowly as Robin eyed the mess before bending down and then freezing on four limbs. I am your table of doom, balance terrible weapons upon me, my master, Robin said with a deep acceptance. And them, Jack gestured to Robin, Runelik flared his nostrils. None of your business. Now put your damn cup and Robin's shoulder blade before I decide that you're being rude, he warned. Jack eyed his skeleton assistant and then shrugged. I respect them for the furniture life choices. He agreed and sat back on his armchair made of broken column pieces and decorated with spiderweb. Robin had done the best that they could. Now, this Delta, you said she's a devilish mastermind aiming to take down the cult. Runelik changed the subject and Jack nodded eagerly. She is. She's a dungeon core eating away at them and already has a powerful supporters. Like Ruli, whom you saw earlier. I am her grand visor and demolitions expert, he explained. Odd combination, the demon mumbled. Jack grinned as his gleaming eyes lit up. That's nothing. Wait until you see the bar or the circus, he winked. And at mention of the bar, he leaned in. Now you have bargaining material, he said with approval. If he could offer the form of trade for actual alcohol, he might have to stamp this alliance faster than expected. The match began with a charge. Bran was ready for a good fight. He'd party with the entered was mostly official sanction grouped. Dio, Poppy and Amonster attempted beforehand and it wasn't apt permission so he didn't count it. When they had finally touched the door, Fran knew just exactly how strong he was allowed to be. 
Invisible bindings sealed the decent chunk of his power away and his second form was just not accessible at all. There was no honor in crushing everyone meaninglessly. With a single attack, they would just die learning nothing. Fran and Bacon didn't believe in such a blasteless slaughter. He was a mother's knight, her shining example of what this dungeon was about, both fair play and growth. If they lost, then they would come back later on stronger. If they won, then the experience would make them all the stronger regardless. Ran was weakened, but just enough to still be dangerous without being overwhelming. Ran couldn't wait to see what techniques his worthy challengers had. His armor and his weapons seemed to be bronze alloy, not strong or flexible. Ran would have to watch his reactions or sides. The power of his own inner core made his aspects change so easily to fit the challenger. The metal would reflect the most basic blunt damage and would definitely be painful if Fran landed a hit on them. His weapon was long, but a good strike would be able to shatter it. Fran hoped that they picked up on that. Bacon moved like the wind as he often expelled. The group parted in two. Dio and Grum to one side, Poppy and Amonster, Vass and Kemi on the other. He swung his lance in an overhead spin, telegraphing his intent a little. He went after the caster side to remind them that throwing themselves about wildly would give Fran more room to pick his targets. He's coming this way, Amonster yelled as he splayed out his hands, a white powder flung from a pouch. The dust settled before the tiny bone thorns rose from the chalky dust of the arena. Kemi began to pray and Vast just looked ready. Poppy waited to see how Amonster's spell went. The issue was that while the bone spikes had to slow any throw that was surprised or unprepared, Bran was neither and Bacon had a firm metal hoof guards on. His steed crushed the bones and loud snaps as he swung at the praying Kemi with the side of his lacento to his surprise. Vass was there deflecting the attack with a snap of his arm. Vass's calm eyes made Fram silently bump him up in the threat order. He shot past, sending a white chalky dust up in a cloud, forcing the group to cover their eyes. Kemi kept praying, but by the time the Fran and Bacon turned around, a golden aura had covered the united group. Dio and Grimm had rejoined the splinter group. Amonster's spell had boxed them in just a little. This was the trouble with such an area of effect spells. Unintended targets could be caught in their effects. With more speed than before, Dio, Grimm and Vass moved towards him in a sprint. Grimm flashing a dagger while Dio unleashed his boar-tusk sword that Fran had to admit looked quite fetching. Vass ran with his hands behind his back in an attempt to move faster. They moved in a rough arrow formation. All things considered, they were doing pretty well. Kemi was focusing on her path while Amonster and Poppy watched. Those two were being too passive. Support fire would make sure that Fran was about to do next a lot harder. Bacon sped forward, and Fran angled his lance into a javelin throw that soared true. It sliced past Dio's leg, causing him to trip and tumble from the strike. Before the spear forced Vass to jump back, lest he be pierced in the shoulder. That left Grimm as the sole one moving forward, his smaller life no less danger than the larger blade. Bacon lowered his tusks, and Grimm must have realized that he had no true method of stopping a moving meat from running him down. He threw himself to the side, and Fran leapt at Vass, landing on his spear as Bacon kept up his charge, aiming at the priestess. The combined souls let them communicate without words. Attack or defend, he asked the golem child, 
Vass watched Dio standing up on wobbly legs and Bacon charging the caster. He dashed towards the pig. Good lad, Fran muttered and spun to rush Dio. He was cut off by Grum, who stood before him with a knife raised, buying Dio time to find his dropped weapon. A knife versus a lance isn't wise, Fran commented coolly. Grin grinned. I am not wise, he agreed, and threw something on the ground. A potion exploded and black smoke filled the space between them. Fran held his breath and waited, expecting the knife to come lunging at his side, but the smoke quickly vanished to reveal Dio rushing in with a sword. Grim had helped the boy rearmed. Fran was impressed. He sidestepped the first overhead swing from Dio and nearly fell to the knife that stabbed up at the gap in his armor between his torso and arm. Grim was like Dio's shadow. The two boys began to swing and cover each other while Fran couldn't get enough space to lower or swing his lance any meaningful way. Bacon was driven into the background as Poppy, growing black fur and muscles, a mass on her frame, and Vass each pushed against his tusk, both straining with the effort of preventing Bacon from reaching the two casters. Amonster was actually focusing on chanting along with Kemi, her golden energy infusing the bone dust that the necromancer boy was collecting. A combined spell. Fran couldn't believe that he was getting such a wonderful event in this fight. He grinned under his helmet and got to work. He threw his lance horizontally at the two boys. It hit them and bounced back into his waiting hand. He spun it in a wide, flashy arc that sheared the ground, kicking up the tiny dust storm as it pushed his way forward like a vortex of crushing force. Dio tried to block his with a sword, but Fran fainted to the left before sweeping Dio's legs out from under him, and he used the butt of the lance to strike Grimm's stomach. Fran hoped that they got armor soon. The boy wheezed as the breath left him. Fran heaved, and Grimm was lifted up over the goblin's head before Fran threw him at the casters. The boy sailed through the forming gold skeleton, then the two casters were making, exploding as Grimm crashed into them. Bacon stopped pushing, letting both Poppy and Vass stumble forward in surprise before the giant pig wrenched his head to the side, sending Vass flying but Poppy held on with a gritty determination. Then Fran moved to climb onto the pig's back, and they were one again, the rider of Delta. The girl below him stared up, golden eyes glaring out from under her hood. She was slowly growing in power the longer the fight was going on. Interesting. Fran was learning something new about the power level fluctuations of a boss. The power he got from the group was a party average strength. Their tricks and skills also no doubt factored in. But Poppy was now outpacing the group's average. If the weak person and a strong warrior entered, Fran would be closer to the warrior in terms of power, but not quite due to the weak member tugging at his limits as well. Good to know. Fran suspected if one strong warrior came in with four weak folk, then his gimmick would be skewed in his opponent's favor. With a jab, he caused the girl to stumble, and just as he was about to knock her aside, a tusk sword intercepted the strike. Iho looked ready to take the strike with the spare hands if it would protect the taller poppy, who was turning into some lycanthrope. Fran was about to urge his steed on when Bacon gave a hint that something was wrong. He risked the glance to see that the sand that he had trained so furiously on was crawling up Bacon's legs like an unyielding hands. Fran snapped his eyes to Amster, who had both hands in the sand. Clever lad. How long had it been spreading bone dust and chalk over the arena? 
Bacon freed a leg, but the necromancer's trick was digging into Bacon's weakness. Without having the ability to charge, he was basically a giant target in these low-ranked matches, without armor. The chalk and the bone dust began to shift into a vague outline of a hand. Fran had seen the symbol before. It was Kemi's deity's preferred icon. Fran looked around wildly. Where was the priestess? He found her, high up in the stands at the very last of the highest row. Kemi was finishing the prayer. The truth will set you free, but it'll also brand you. There is no right or wrong before my eyes. Only the truth that will win. She cried out, and the hand icon around her neck lit up like a golden light. The chalk and bone mirror hand below him doing the same. Fran had been around Swa long enough that he knew what was going to happen next. The symbol below Bacon was both trapping them and acting as a conduit suddenly exploded with a golden wrath. Grim couldn't help but cheer at the forms of the boss went up in smoke and golden light. Even if it didn't defeat Fran, that was a heavy blow. His party was the best. Clearly, Grim's talent at locating, stumbling really, onto power was akin to Dio stumbling into befriending people. The two examples were not entirely unrelated, to be fair. He regrouped with Kemi as he rushed down the steps to the audience seats. Poppy was huge now, and Grim tried not to stare at her bristling black fur. Do you think that we won? Dio asked as the explosion zone was wreathed in a falling dust and smoke. Not now, since you just said that. Grim muttered and readied his weapon. They watched for a long moment as the cloud settled, the feeling almost absurdly dramatic. A black form slowly began to become visible in the fallout of the holy blast. Everyone got ready for the last stage of the fight, when the sight of a giant pig laying down with no rider and the sight became clear. Grim had a bad feeling. Above! Poppy snarled, and the warning came too late. Ran fell from the shadowy ceiling where his form must have been thrown by his steed. He landed hard on Amonster, his spear shaft cracking hard in the boy's head. Amonster's eyes rolled as he crumpled. Poppy lashed out, but Fran intercepted her by tripping Kemi into her path, forcing the girl to halt her attack. Vas caught Fran's flying punch easy enough, letting Dio get in with a swipe of his sword. Fran moved to the side to dodge, but Grim was like an unseen pest, coming in with a knife to his back. Grim. Grim had never properly backstabbed anyone before. Fran gave a grunt with the powerless to stop Vass from headbutting him. Despite the fact that the goblin had a helmet on, Fran stumbled back, bleeding slightly and Poppy was on him, claws raised to finish it. Fran closed his eyes. I yield, he said. The room went absolutely still. Everyone shared a look besides the drooling hamster. Really? Cammy asked, surprise. Fran began to laugh and chortle as if his reaction was the long to see. Yes, yes, this test of courage, skill, and teamwork has been enough to make me feel confident in granting you all a solid victory over the first floor. Fran said seriously, bowing despite his injury. Dio tilted his head. Are you sure? He said as if worried that he'd done something wrong to end the battle prematurely. Bran wobbled to stand, but Kemi was there, beaming, as she began basic healing. Yes, the test was never about death. In my home, it is never about death. I tested you in strength, quick-thinking adaptability, and I found you all worthy, Bran said, and then ushered Kemi off to check on Amster, who opened one eye, sigh, before Kemi could do anything. 
and I play dead for no reason. I wasted all my energy on bone empowerment buff. He grumbled and stood up. Bran went over to the still bacon and patted the form as it burst into orange motza manner. He'll be back and he'll be hungry. Fan shook his head. He turned to the focus on the group. I only have three gifts for you. I am unable to produce more than that at the moment, however. Bran held his hand and the manor formed into tiny grey coins. The material, like cheap iron, he passed them out. Grim saw each coin had their name on it, their group name and a date. The right of succession. Bearing this coin or having it on you when you enter will allow you to reach the second floor without hindrance in the future. All traps, monsters and tricks will be ceased to hinder your progress unless you travel within 20 feet of an uncoined person. If someone tries to use you to avoid the challenge and then Lord Mushy or the dungeon itself will put a stop to it, Bran explained. Grimm saw the coin he had was a weird smiling girl and the other side bore a symbol of a window with an annoyed face. Little Franz and Bacons finished the pattern as rigging the edges. Bran continued, Be known that these coins are marked in a way that we can check the coin matches our owner. Setting or trading these coins away will do the buyer no favors, he warned. And then Fran smiled, Now I may generate two gifts for the winners. Due to Mother's, um, habits, I cannot promise what will drop. It is like a, uh, game. But even I do not know the prizes. Bran told him dryly, Grim had a feeling that no one knew the prizes in this dungeon until they suffered a lot. I asked that the two MVPs step forward. The goblin asked. Grim stared at him, sharing a confused look with the others. Rand's green skin went slightly blue. Forgive me, slip of mother's tongue, he said and quickly went quiet. A screen appeared before them, showing their faces and the contribution bar. This had been happening before the spider room. Vass seemed to be the lowest again. The golem having no issue with that, Grim and Dio were close, but Grim's surprise, he was higher. Dio clapped his shoulder, beaming at him with pride. Next up was Amonster, then Kemi, and finally Poppy. Kemi and Poppy were so close in the rankings that the screen had to zoom in to show the difference. Kemi, the priestess able to buff and keep the party strong before wielding her power against me. Poppy, the girl able to slow me down and draw my attention away from the ploy while able to stand her ground. Step forward, Fran said formally. The girls did so, Poppy shrinking as she got her emotions back under control. Kemi looked pink with delight. Fran smiled at them before Manor gathered in his hands. Reach out and claim your prizes, he said in the off the glowing orbs of Manor to them, to reach into it and uh, find something. The manor tasted of a midlife crisis and mushrooms with a hint of spice. Grim guessed it suited the joint rather well. The two girls reached in the manor and began to take shape. After a moment, uh, I apologize, I can try and refund it, Ran offered the stunned priestess. Kemi shook her head. It's a very powerful focus, my last staff was a bit generic, she said brightly. The long staff, a red cherry mushroom head, vines that caressed down the shaft, almost tightly. The staff seemed to be almost too thick for her dainty hands, but Kemi gripped it with determination to show that she was able to handle the girth. Poppy eyed her own prize. It was a long piece of paper with pliable stickers. Some showed the various goblins or pigs. Some showed Muffet, the spider. Others showed Fran with long flowing locks of hair. They're made with potent healing mushrooms and potion extract. Stick them on a friend and watch them perk up. 
Bran said brightly. Poppy peeled off one and stuck it on Tom the tomb, who she pulled out of a bag. What? The battle over? Defaced? I've been defaced? The book screeched as Poppy put bacon sticker on him. Grim wasn't sure if it won to either prizes, to be honest. That staff is so cool. My mom always has a mushroom thing she got from the dungeon. She keeps it in her room and uses it to make my dad happy, Dio explained. Kemi was looking like she had been sinned upon. Hamster was hiding his face and Poppy looked like Kemi with staff uncertainty. Let us just peg this discussion and go back to the bar for food, Rand said, looking like he was in extreme pain but refreshing to make a sound. When Farah saw the staff, she gave Kemi a wicked smile and said something about always the quiet ones before cooking. Grum wondered if it was too late to erase any trace that he had ever been in the dungeon. No, it was too late for that now. He heard Hamster whispering to Poppy, I wonder if she'll get round charms to add to her staff later. He asked before both of them giggled like children. Grum wished that he could legally drink. End of chapter Chapter 113 Miserable Pile of Mushrooms Delta tried not to groan as Jack reported back, with the hulking demon backing him up. It wasn't like Jack had exactly done something wrong, but Delta would have liked to have been included in the negotiations before the demon, Runalak, had agreed to be a less murdery neighbor. The demon was quite clear that he had no intentions of being either a contract or an enemy. The skeleton in the maid costume was just a strange cherry on top with a weird dessert. Dalsa was now absolutely sure that she had never had a pure-blooded demon in a dungeon for one reason. Runelak was like a void. Ruli had the vibe of being less of her dungeon senses, but louder to her human side. Runelak just acted like a dark space where her mana flowed, hitting the space and being forced to part around him. It was unnerving to agree Delta hadn't felt before. It made Runelek utterly alien to her instincts, and he freely and unashamedly admitted that he was not native to this world. I am bound by some twits deeper in the fortress. I can't act against them physically, so the best me and Robin here can do is forge and stay out of your way, Runelek explained gruffly as her gargoyles all seemed to be trying to square up and show a display of strength against the stranger. Vanguard had been the worst, scowling as the muscled demon as if he were to sweep Delta off the pits of hell itself. It was a sweet, but if not a bit funny. What about knowledge? What can you tell me about the silence called people group things? Delta asked when Jack translated for her. Runelek could hear her, but he hadn't had time to adapt to her power and said she sounded as far away for a moment. I guess they're human? Wield some magic, had some weapons, they all worshipped the same lost god. Runelek said easily, Delta had to admit it wasn't untrue from what she had seen. Anything else? She tried. Robin, the skeleton, had been quiet up until now and spoke up. Master has given away knowledge freely, he deserves your mighty gifts and power freely given, or even the tidbit of free trade. Robin said haughtily, Jack winced and Delta blinked at the moment. Before she could answer, Doctor strode forward. His plague Doctor Mask looked more pointy than normal. Ah, I see this is a two-business transaction. Very well, we have nothing to offer and desire nothing of yours. Please return to the dead-end hole you reside in, and we shall brick up you once more. Our apologies for disturbing you. 
The gargoyle said with such a succinct tone that Dalta had to admit that he could make anything sound charming yet rude. The skeleton's blazing eyes met Doctor's for a long moment. Robin, knock it off, Renelick grumbled. The skeleton instantly backed off, bowing its head. Of course, my master, I shall flay the skin off my back as punishment for speaking out. It said gravely. Dalta stared, mouthing the words over as she tried to understand them. Forgive Robin, I made them with care and might have been too gentle in places. The demon said as he exhaled, May um, I have a drink before we talk? He asked Dalta and nodded, her faint form just visible to him. Of course, you're a guest, so no payment needed, and since you've been trapped, you can even have food if you like. Dalta beamed, Runelik's lips twitched. I hope you have a maiden running the bar. Being served by innocence is an added taste, he said with a glint in his eyes. Dalta froze. She thought of Vera, maiden. Vera, innocent. My bartender has never been with someone, killed someone, or even ripped someone off. Her virtue is unmatched, Dalta promised. Runelek perked up. Jack was grinning wildly at her. I need to see this, he told her quietly. Dalta covered her eyes. The bar service creaked, blood vessels popped, and bone threatened to give. The challenges of the children and Kemi all stared in horror at the scene. Vera was sweating and her eyes looked smoky as her body heat rose in distress. The giant muscle-bound form of Rudelik was also looking feral and intent on pushing his power deeper and harder, forcing the goblin to bend. Vera's hand budged slightly to the surface of Rudelik showed he had superior physical strength in their arm-wrestling bet. Vera focused and she activated an ability that she hadn't used before. By having almost all of the goblins in the room, her own power grew immensely, suddenly making the demon buckle in surprise. There was an almighty crash and the demon was flung across the room as Vera slammed him hard. Dungeon home team wins, Bran cried, toasting his mug to the shroom pop. Everyone cheered except the humans. Dio did, however. Well, Vera began, panting before mopping a frown with a rag she used to wipe the surfaces of the tables. I want those iron flagons and forks delivered before the week's up. She grinned in victory. Robin, I may be in lust or early stages of a crush. Make a note to forge a spite wooing mace for the goblin. The demon mumbled as he tried to extract his horns from the wall. He finally managed to sit down and dart to eye the group of the Durin's kids. She didn't want to discuss Silent's trouble around them. Fran seemed to sense her thoughts. Champions of the first floor, it is time for the second floor. He announced and Dalton blinked, barely seeing the smoky outline of the challengers. They had all moved so fast. She didn't even have time to stare at Kemi's staff or comment on it. The girl had been so adventurous. Dalta was proud of her growing confidence, if not worried about her style. She wasn't a bother, but the priestess was making my nose itch, Runelik admitted. Dalta chose to ignore the comment. Kemi smelled fine to her, even a little like a sweet nectar and chocolate. Dalta wouldn't mind that as a perfume. So tell me about the silence, Dalta asked quietly. The demon shrugged. He nursed his own drink, which seemed to literally be hissing smoke. Vera's concoction of fire crystals and spicy herbs. I mostly have second-hand knowledge. Buggers are immortal from age and general wear and tear. Not even a good lich style, but something else. They function off black ooze and something they call the black seeds. I always knew the vegan trend would be trouble, but I didn't expect this. 
Brudelnik sighed as he took a deep breath to drink and belched sparks. Dalton knew these were the little bros leftovers and people. The silence had been able to use their seeds as, uh, immortality power. But wouldn't that drain it or something? They had tons of people dragged into the deeps and to be, uh, used for something. I wasn't really out of the forge a lot, so all I know is what went down. Didn't come back up. Runelik said softly, Darta paused, Rennie's family and circus flashing to her mind. I heard something about that, she admitted. She was aware of how quiet the bar was, but chose not to bring it to attention. Her monsters deserved to know this too. I met the leaders once, but my forge was in the next fortress, so I didn't see the other three much. The one that rules where your dungeon managed to reach. I met her more than a few times. Runelik's nostrils flared. He slowly released the grip on his groaning wooden mug in his hands. So four fortresses in total that you know of, Dalta listed, trying to absorb all of this to memory. The more she knew about her foes and monsters lurking below, the better. The demon snorted. If only things were so equal, two forts, one castle, and a palace. Power in groups like this is rather skewed from what I saw. The leader, the one the others had to bow to? Yeah. He made my skin crawl, Runelink said seriously. He listed names. I heard titles. The one of the ending light, she of the settled darkness, and he of the broken silence. All led by one they only named as the deepest of shadows. Runelik leaned in, as if there to share a secret. Nephew. Her dungeon clenched as if the cold earth was responding to the intent behind the name. Delta couldn't breathe for a long moment before it passed. Siblings lost brother, and the leader of the evil cult went by nephew. Was... was the cult led by some demigod? How, if bro could make monsters while sis could open portals to gods, why couldn't little bro make a single kid? Runelik went on, not seeing Dalta's inner turmoil. The fortress you got to is led by she who settled darkness. A real piece of work. Had her name slip a few times. Princess Maria. Most call her Princess Marrow but never to a face if their rumors were true. The demon was served another drink. Don't suppose she's a weak little girl that uses weak monsters to do her work? Dalta asked, drawing a circle on the bar table. Wouldn't know. I'm bound to the honor of the secret fort. Some I asked who went by the name of Lord of Ending Light. He's like a young demon trying to be all blood knight. It's sad. The demon snorted. That's all I really know, like I said. Wasn't allowed to wander out of my forge for long. He grumbled, and Dalta let him drink. It was no big deal. The demon only alluded to the fact that Dalta might be facing the world's version of the Antichrist. I need to go do some things. Feel free to eat and drink until you feel ready to work. I'll uh, find you metal or something. Dalta mumbled, distracted. She had work to do. Her manor had consumed the leading rooms of the demon's forge, and by the time she returned to the third floor. You have absorbed six reforming guard golems. You have absorbed one iron spike trap. You have absorbed one forge room. New monsters unlocked, new upgrades unlocked, new room blueprint unlocked. The golems were neat, but the cost of her limited monster space on her first floor wasn't making her eager to make one. Between Jeb, Nashley, and her four gargoyles and her Libro Golem, she was working with a single space. She looked at the room before the forge and decided this could be a nice spawn room for the gargoyles. They 
had been without one for far too long, and they could help Runelik in the case of silence forces attacked for any future adventuring groups. In a way, it was two birds with one stone. Delta was going to hammer out an arrangement between her monsters and the blacksmith. She snorted at herself. New nearby grumbled at her, but he seemed to be absorbing the news of the potential nephew. She focused making large stone pillars rise with places to perch on top of. Her manner and DP were coming along nicely, her manner being full and absorbing the forge room making her DP increase. With some effort, the pillars of the stone grew and connected in the winding paths. In her mind, gargoyles lingered in the gothic high places. She made the stone dark, and the ambient light in the room became dull with some effort. She hummed as she worked, the dungeon process always relaxing to her. She made false windows that with silk curtains and materials she had gotten by absorbing most things on the third floor. If Dalta was being honest, she was pretending to be Dracula and trying to imagine how fabulous vampires would design his castle. Some suits of armor here and there, some cobwebs. Dalta wondered about the feng shui of floating Medusa heads but considered it going overboard. She opened her menu and grinned at the newly listed option. Foreboding Gargoyle Spawn Room, 60 DP. She purchased it and began to shift around her gothic groan, the colors fading to red and black. The sound of fake rain dripping out the fake windows loudly. The smell of the old European countries filled the air and Delta looked around. Was that faint pipe organ music? She spun around wildly as a bat flew past. The gritter made free from the purchase of screeching dramatically. What is a man? A voice called. Dalta pushed against the wall in panic. I am not Metrovania enough for this. She screamed in response. Man is the term for people, Jeb. Mostly the male variety, if you want to get into detail. Doctor's voice commented lightly. The large troll emerged into the room, confused, but interested, following by the golems. They both met Dalta's wide eyes. You heard nothing, she warned. Both monsters just nodded. End of chapter. Chapter 114. Suitable Upgrades. Once Dalta got all the gargoyles registered into the new spawn point, a weight that she hadn't even noticed on her shoulders lifted. The haunting organ music had happily supplied by Maestro, the musically inclined fungi, seemed to have Dalta's entire musical knowledge under his cap now, and was ready to abuse it. The forge beyond had been cleared out, and Delta felt that she had a solid amount of DP to spend. Max Mana, 350. DP, 842. Delta was sure in a short while that she could start stockpiling for her megastructure projects. A giant tower, some stadium, a space elevator. She spent the needed 100 DP to reform the forge in a repaired condition. The anvil was not made of steel and metal that she had seen in TVs and games, but a glossy black stone. The forge looked like she could bake bread in it and lose a few fingers. The once broken racks and the new and smooth and the ceiling was now decobwebbed. She brought up a menu for the room. Demon Forge, the den of the mighty creation. Allow the forge to burn at a much higher temperature, 10 dp. A stock of iron, copper and alloys form the shelves and ingots, 50 dp. Allows materials from the dungeon to form on the shelves for Runelik to experiment with, 20 dp. Creates a wave of soot sprites to aid the blacksmith in tasks, 30 dp. Click to expand. 
Do do soot sprites have big googly eyes? Dalton whispered in the screen in awe. The menu flicked as it edited itself. Creates a wave of adorable googly-eyed sprites to aid the blacksmith in tasks 30 dp. All items created in the forge will have a moat of Delta in it. Effects unknown 100 dp. That sounded like a gamble. That wasn't good. Delta had to think about her hard beth. Her finger purchased the last upgrade without her consent. I need child locks on the menu, Delta mumbled. The symbol that Delta blazed on top of the forge, but not much else happened. Delta shrugged and purchased everything. She needed epic loot to fight evil cold people. It was just a fact. Metal ingots swarmed on the shelves along with boar tusks, various flowers, blood of a frog, bark of a vine tree, arrow brews, bob pincers, ghoul teeth, and dark drake feathers. And of course, plump gut rot mushrooms. Delta glared at him with an evil eye. However, she was soon distracted by the wall leaking pure darkness. I don't think that's normal, he said slowly. Did she have to call the pest control guy? If it was dark, would an electrician for light be better? Soon, a dozen wide eyes looked up at Delta, one of the two who had been adorable and undulating mass below her, however, had hundreds of eyes that looked more like a single creature. Delta silently left the room. What is wrong? You look like you... you've... Had it seen a ghost, whose box appeared as Dalta swallowed. Tripophophobia. Too many eyes in dark holes moving holes. She gasped. She looked back and few soot sprites left the room curiously, their little hairy bodies and curious noodle arms wriggling. Her heart melted. The flood of them with their bulging eyes and masks followed quickly, swallowing the few isolated sprites like a creature whose function in parts and Dalta's heart screamed. A tremble went through the stairs and Grim frowned. His tongue felt tingly. Anyone else feel that? He asked as his noise sounded like a wail of terror. Everyone shared a look before Grim sighed. Must be nerves, he mumbled, as they reached the bottom of the stairs. A thick layer of roots and leaves combined with a forked sunlight dancing through the canopy above made for a breathtaking sight to welcome them to the second floor. The scent of the clean air and the peaceful tranquility overtook them. Grim remembered the giant worm, frogs, the mime, and such, and couldn't relax like the others did. All this moisture is going to ruin my pages, Tom the tomb told Poppy sternly. Kemi gestured to a few stumps of the fallen logs and vaguely looked like perfect camping site. Why don't we sit down and Grim can tell us what he remembers from his first trip here before we move on, she offered. While full of food and rested, it was a good idea. The dungeon wasn't going anywhere. Grim reported on the female frog, the giant worm thing, the bees, and the mime. The others digested this for a long moment. And that is old news. Dalta should have made tons of changes by now, Grim said bluntly. This is perhaps the oddest dungeon I've heard of, Tom admitted. Everyone turned to the powerful-looking book with a happy mushroom stickler plastered on its front. No one really dared to comment on it, since Tom had a habit of going off into angry tangents about defacing books and depressing novels with no hands. What do you know of dungeons? Poppy asked calmly. Tom floated up and stared at her. No, no! I know plenty. Ask away. Do you wish to know about the great swamp dungeon that produced toxic slime for miles? Do you wish to know about the great automaton dungeon who made nothing but puppets and things that pretended to not be puppets? I tell you, nothing quite makes the tale like getting up from what you thought was a kind bathroom break and finding you missing a buttocks from the toilet mimic. Tom harumphed. 
What about that silver one you went on about before? Puppy asked, bored. Tom sighed. I could, but it's a depressing tale. Much like the capital dungeon and the queen or the twin cause and their duality. Dungeons rarely give rise to uplifting tales. He said and then thought about it. The silver dungeon was a very old dungeon. He began. Grim wasn't sure where the story time came from, but he wasn't going to ignore free knowledge. Even if he had a weird craving to eat Tom to see what would happen. The dungeon gained its name from the theme of its avatar. The gleaming silver halls, the silver knights, the seeds, and the avatar of Silver Saint. Tom explained, voice gone from the whiny to a soft and enjoyable. The dungeon was said to have 50 floors on record. Each construct the dungeon crafted was solid silver, and usually warriors, knights, or majestic beasts. The silver dungeon was very pleasing to the eye, even as it tried to kill you. Tom chuckled. Over time, it began to make alloys from moonstone and milkstar metal into traps and monsters. It retained its glowing appearance whilst also becoming deadlier. It was considered the most beautiful place in all the northern lands. The book flipped its pages to show illustrations of detailed halls that gleamed in endless reflections and milky swirls. Kemi gasped a little as the picture moved to show the slight realistic viewpoint from the room. But one day, the unspeakable happened to the dungeon. Tom said slowly. The sudden tone shift shook Grimm as his entraptured tension. Did it get corrupted? Minster frowned. He had been mouthing Tom's words to Dio so that the boy could follow along. Smashed? Kemi asked quietly. Worse, Tom said gravely. The book leaned forward as if to deep grumble and spoke. It fell in love, he whispered. The silence was suddenly pressing through the group. With who? How did that do anything? Grim asked, and Tom flipped the pages until the visage of a young woman with a warm smile. Calloused hands and a worker's tan appeared. It all began with this woman, Tia Marie, he said, getting into the story. Ah, love is a terrible affliction, said a sage voice from the shadows. Everyone spun to see a large frog covered in feathers and dangling beads, whilst holding a gnarled staff with rocks and pulsing orbs dangling off the tops via strings and cords. On his shoulder was an orange bird perched. Did you have to hop onto our story time? Grim asked, annoyed. He was the sort of into the tale now. He then thought of how he was just said. The bird fluffed up and sensing the foe encroaching on its nest. Watch your tongue, the bird tweeted. Grim covered his mouth to hide the orange tongue, and he narrowed his eyes. Stick a feather in your cap and flock off. Grim said back. The bird expanded as if trying to appear intimidating. The frog looked pain. Children, she said with force. Grim and the bird glared at each other. I am Davina, your guide on this floor. I shall be following behind, escorting the injured, and making sure all goes well on your adventure. She bowed, and everyone nodded back. Davina looked like she had seen some things from the way that she went on to talk about the second floor. Unlike the first floor, with its straightforward passageways and single rooms, rewarded with warm food and comfort when you reach the end, the second floor is more open. If the first floor rewarded your courage to move forward, the second floor will reward you for how you move on out from here. There is no correct path, only one destination. Davina smiled, and she saw that it had their attention. The entrance to the boss room is barred by three doors. In the method of kindness, our mother has decided it kind to tell you of the keys before you reach that door and be forced to backtrack. I will not tell you where the keys are, but they are not buried randomly or in any tree. 
They will be in key points of the area, she said smoothly, and the orange bird cracked up its tweaking laughter. Divina closed her eyes for a long moment. There are six keys, but you need only three to reach the boss. Hints may be found in the doors themselves. Divina went on after a moment. What happens if we get all six? Grim immediately asked, and Divina gave him a look. He remembered this frog very well. Right before the giant worm nearly ate him. Maybe nothing, maybe something. Perhaps a lukewarm response that the trial will be a reward of experience. But that nonsense and boring. Collect as many or as little as needed. But a warning. On this floor, hidden in the shadows and the trees are terrible demons. If they know that you are here, you will find your time to rest vastly reduced, she smiled, and it looked like she knew what she was talking about. Delta wouldn't let demons into a dungeon. Well, besides Miss Ruli and Mr. Runelik, and I guess maybe that time the mime and I heard about, Kemi trailed off for a moment. The group went silent as they digested that. The dungeon was very odd, perhaps too odd for some. Any advice? Grim tried. Davina looked at the ceiling and thought. Try the popcorn, she finally said and walked off. End of chapter. Chapter 115. Vastly Giant Bridge. The misty bridge of the jungle was a thing out of a story. A rushing river below was hidden, the coding wisps of mist scattered across the bridge. Dio stepped on it as the jungle seemed to grow quiet around them. Divina, their guide, turned with a mysterious smile. I shall wait with anticipation for the results. She mused and leapt off the bridge into the mist below. The orange bird flapping after her cackling. Kemi rushed to the edge, her cloud-like robes meddling with the mist, giving an almost sensual appearance. But she shook her head. I can't see anything, she told the group. Grim sighed. She's a frog. She's a frog. She's as comfortable in the river as she is on land, and there is her home. You don't need to worry. He pointed out with a roll of his eyes. Dio pointed before anyone else could speak. We're not alone, he warned. The group snapped their attention at the far end of the bridge that had mist so thick that it looked like a solid wall. The clouds of fog began to thin as the being noticed made them shy. A large, kneeling giant appeared in the shadow of the first, kneeling before the mist peeled back like a curtain, revealing a large, dark-skinned figure with muscles bigger than their own head. A leather wrap around to preserve his modesty, he stood with the leather hands across his chest straining to the limit to contain the might of the frogman. He's big, Amonster whispered. The frog tilted his head back, black eyes looking them over. He pointed suddenly at the side of the bridge, in the direction of a point, a glimmering object that could be seen. A silver key. It was suspended far out and tangled by roots or by the handle. It dangled so dangerously close to vanishing into the midst below that it made the group nervous just seeing it. Toward the key. A challenge. The giant mumbled. Grum looked about. I don't see a puzzle or an obstacle, he pointed out. The giant smiled, the smaller upturn of his lips. He threw something and clattered in the middle of the bridge. Everyone stared down at a well-carved staff. It was smooth from one end, seemingly polished by some oily substance, dried out to give it a lacquered shine. I am the challenge, the giant acknowledged. 
He pulled out a similar weapon and smashed the butt of it into the bridge, causing it to shake slightly. The key rattled almost musically as it teetered from one side to another of its perch. One challenger may approach to earn the key. I must be removed from the bridge for five seconds. Unnecessary power or antics will cause the key to fall. If someone goes for the key, it has its own defense. The giant said, his voice smooth and deep, like a deep well. Like what? Poppy asked. The river below ceased its rapid flows as something erupted high above the bridge in a rising flop, screaming as it gnashed its pincers together, water cascading in its rainbow hue carapace. The thing vanished with an alarming crash below. Bob. The giant seemed to think of explained everything. Grim seemed to choke. That thing, he muttered, face ashened. Kemi also looked torn between trauma and hesitant, pleased hand wavering. Key is like a worm on a hook for a bigger worm, Vass commented, unaffected by the sight. Choose your warrior. The giant called out as he sat down, cross-legged and waited patiently. Dio took a step forward, Vass put a hand on his shoulder. May I? he asked politely. Dio blinked and then beamed. Of course you can. I believe in you. Dio stepped back. Grim frowned. Dio is the strongest of us all. He countered. Vass smiled as he passed his brown cap over to Dio for safekeeping. His hair, unnaturally smooth and flowing, framed his face. Perhaps too strong. My master has built me into a great self-restraint for my own power. Fail-safes in case I ever turned homicidal on him. He explained with a little bit of pride. Grim opened his mouth and then closed it. Can't argue with that, Poppy said and stepped back to clear out the line to indicate at the end of the bridge. Vass bent down and picked up the stuff. Vass has the power of heroism and friendship on his side. Leo warned the giant. Grim quickly spoke up. Not all of us are friends, but he also had a mild acquaintances, he added. No, sir, maybe a deeply hidden murderous rage. Poppy reminded. Kemi looked at him. Are you children okay? She asked the group with concern. Mostly, Dio was convinced animals can talk, and he just can't understand them due to the shape of their jaws. But Dio is just that kind of guy. Oh, and Grim once tried to pull a sword from a stone, and we found out his dad had stuck it there to plug a leak of the rock water, Amster admitted. Rocks don't have water, Kemi said confused, while Vass was walking towards the giant frog. You approach me, the giant rumbled as he stood. I cannot hit you from afar, Vass agreed with a polite smile. The giant suddenly moved and Vass raised his stick to meet the attack. The breach rattled. The force didn't seem to travel through Vass as one would expect. My master once traveled to a dethroat sirens in the Green Sea. I'm quite used to possessing sonic attacks at various frequencies in my body. These weapons are solid and the noise they make may strike together would be... Uh, alarming and potentially cause one to fall over. I cannot risk losing the key, Vass said as he pushed back as hard as he could. The giant budged just an inch. Ew, Poppy said as Kemi touched the throat with wide eyes. Sirens, aren't they the seducers of sailors? Hamminster pondered, Grim snorted. That's wishful thinking of ugly pirates and sailors who have to explain why they have no cargo on their dock. 
Sirens can be traced back to meaning binders or such. I studied them when I wanted to be a famous sailor. They use sound and music to paralyze foes or utterly decimate ships if the choir is big enough. Seduction is just rumors. A siren would kill you if you implied that they didn't anything like that actually lure men in. The male ones in particular, Grim grinned. Vas pushed back and tried to slip under the frog's pole to slam into his side, hoping to knock him off the bridge. The frog grabbed the weapon and instead flung Vas high to the air. If he lands on the bridge, the key will be lost, Kemi cried. Vas turned and landed with a grace on the bridge's railing. The bridge didn't move. The roots holding the key are tethered to the ground. These walls must remain solid to avoid knocking everyone off their feet with merely crossing it. I am a greater danger of falling, but oddly, in the most secure place to fight. Vass smiled as he brushed a lock of his hair out of his face. The frog joined Vass on the ledge as the single leap. Then let us spar on equal grounds, the giant said calmly. Vass lowered himself, holding the staff so that it held at an odd diagonal angle. The giant held his horizontally with both hands. The jungle was silent for a moment. Then the clashing of wood thunderous and furious. Giant moved with a swing suited for a great sword. Vass nimbly leaned one way or another, leaving the blows grazed past his missing him by inches. The frogman's attack pushed the golem back where the wall began to thin out. Vass suddenly narrowed his eyes and went perfectly still. Kemi gasped in horror as the giant's pole went straight through the side of his arm. The sheen on Vass's body took on what was to reveal, not that of trick of light, but the pole meant Vass's skin. The sound of wood meeting wood again sounded. The giant was rocked back by the sheer recoil of the resistance that he wasn't expecting. Vass lost the weird shine and the grainy wood material sank back beneath the skin. He lashed out, not with the blunt hits using the side of his staff, but the sharp jabs that felt flat end. Six or seven such jabs went into the giant frog's stomach. Dio cheered loudly for the golem, the giant's frog slipping backward, giving Vass the room he needed to step forward with his staff, swinging it around his body in a blur of arc of wood. The frog was not the master of the bridge for no reason. He took the hit on his neck directly, as bulging muscles doing their best to meet the challenge, as the frog pulled one leg towards his chest, narrowing his own eyes back at Vass. He then pressed his head against the side, trapping Vass's staff between his head and the meaty shoulder. Vass wasted a precious second trying to tug it before the giant's leg shot out. Vass sailed off the bridge and into the misty abyss below. Silence reigned as the giant frog rubbed his neck. He turned to encourage the next challenger, but froze as a strange sound began to echo back. It was the sound of a rock being torn out and splashing heavily into the water, of something creaking. Whoa. Dio stared at Vass, flung himself back onto the bridge, lashing tree roots piercing out of the back of his dirty white shirt like extra limbs. Four seconds, I assume, I get the same time limit. The golem asked blankly as the roots looked like liquid spider legs in the midst. The giant turned and answered by throwing Vassy's staff back. Vass began to crawl it between all four of his extra roots and hands. The staff was almost impossible to track. However, the frog merely met the whirling attack that came at his blind spot from the right. The giant blocked it without even looking. I've fought spiders before. 
I'm used to many limbs. The giant smiled, and then he leapt up high, his staff pointing down like a spear. But if we are resorting to tricks, I don't need to win. The frog called down as he fell. I only need to make you lose. Vass rushed to meet him as Grim asked something casually. Did anyone else know that Vask was a tree spider thing? He asked aloud. Dio thought about it. No, but I wish I did. That's so cool, he said, dancing in a little excitement. Mr. Japes really stuffed a lot into him, Poppy commented. I wonder if he comes with snacks, Amonster pondered. Kemi was dry heaving. She had no real comment. Delta swallowed slightly. She couldn't even muster a joke or something to snark at. This was too serious. The doors deepened floor three. Unconquered land shook once with a mighty rumble. The delta ruin on protection flickered as it tried to handle the strain. The gargoyles did their best to hold the statued forms against the door, adding bands for extra strength to the door. But it wasn't just pure strength attacking the door. The dark power was emanating the attack. Delta focused on the door and felt the stale feeling of the stagnant pull of power. She focused on it and it was greeted with an image. Down the hall, over the army of bone and dripping flesh, past the flies of gluttony, to the throne room where a little petite girl in a large, frilly dress sat on an ornate dusty chair. The face of a cherub surrounded by golden curls with a tiara and silver enlaced with a single ruby. The face of the picturesque princess, if not for the fact that half of her face was gone to reveal a black skeleton with ruins banded on the bone. Let's play, big sister Delta. She beckoned, her voice that of someone who had not spoken in a long time. And the image shattered, and Delta pulled back, her non-existent flesh crawling. Lovely. Creepy girls gone necromancer, just what the place needed. I assume we just met with Princess Mahari or Princess Marrow. New asked, focusing on the blue screen in the door. Something about the skeleton side of the girl's face. Inside the eye socket was... Something was moving. The fallen brother of the cult it was finally meeting her head on and Dalta was worried that she wasn't going to be strong enough to protect the village. Her hand clenched. No, Dalta was strong enough. Let's play Marrow, my rules, your game. She whispered, and the attack on the door stilled, as if hearing this before resuming with gusto. You don't have rules. Can't cheat if I don't have them. Delta agreed and began to pull off menus open. She didn't have much time to make her elite squad ready to fend off an army. And it all started where it started. With mushrooms. No, get the mushrooms ready, Marrow likes to play with death. I'll bring something that doesn't have a death in its cycle. Delta pointed and New shivered. Mushrooms and undead. A war of no one needed. But it's getting anyway. New muttered with this, but Delta was already flying into action. She had two rooms to visit and a special mushroom to create. If a foe was a princess Marrow, then she was the queen of fungi. Delta would embrace her demons to keep her children and the village safe. She'd even wear the damn mushroom cap into battle if it meant helping her friends. She just hoped that no one had cameras. Delta might have to seal herself away for a hundred years in shame. End of chapter. Chapter 116. Wyoming.
If Delta was going to be making something to tackle the armies of the unliving dead, she couldn't just pop monsters. Her third floor was quite full, and as much as Delta tended to ignore certain rules, this one was mostly solid. For now. So, if he was being honest, Delta was going to have to go the way of her nightmares, unending not monsters, mushrooms, growing everywhere, were considered decorations. Decorations sounded harmless until Delta reminded herself that her decorations exploded. Well, they almost smelled good and shot laser beams and generally did whatever they wanted, but the important thing was that Delta had unlimited usage of decorations. As long as they didn't attack or block the way of the vital room, then their Delta would reasonably and calmly spam them unchecked. She checked on the kids and found Vass exploding with tentacles and Giant doing some monk kung fu impression. She stared for a long moment before she moved on, shaking her head. The things you saw in the dungeon. Seriously? She flew to the secret garden where her shrooms acted against the nature that they were, were developed automatically with barely any oversight. Delta could just hang a white and red umbrella logo in the corner, and the effect would be almost the same as a certain evil corporation. The development speed of the new flowers and herbs had slowed down overall though, since you couldn't endlessly produce new strains without some major issues or needing a heavy dose of fire. She focused on the room and tried something she had never done before. Delta did her best to hold the images of two different rooms at the same time. Delta held the secret room and the mushroom grove on the first floor side by side. She used her dungeon sensors to draw two lines, one from each room, moving together the space between the floors. The feeling was intensely fierce, and she hoped that it didn't backfire. Sis felt that, on one hand, Delta was a favorite amongst the many dungeons. Every day there was a new event, always new ideas, new directions, new thoughts, and Sis loved it. On the other hand, a console of light magical screens exploded and sparks were sent everywhere as mushrooms grew out of the console, breaking apart devices that had taken very long time to make and sustain. Sis sipped on a cup of tea as she watched. Delta tended to have no brakes on her ride. She was an airship that went higher and higher, the boat that chugged on and on, a mushroom that grew and grew. Sis was used to the explosions now. Being an avatar of the one true sister, she had been given a limited amount of her real self-thinking space at the start. This was normal across dungeons. Now, she had been allocated more processing power and a bigger room. The amount of things that Delta broke did seem like something to worry about. Sis saw something after a moment causing her to not fear this new development. The mushrooms spread their thin threads into a singular unit, weaving in and out of the mess of defunct magic wiring and runic devices. Their threads began to connect where the wires were exposed. The mushroom caps replaced the buttons and the spongy material filled in the missing space. K was the reusing of old fuel and new growth. Sis saw this now. She could destroy this, revert everything to the old ways, but Sis and her brother knew that that was a dead end. Delta was the key. Delta was the whole reason that they'd even tried this. Sister and brother were such sadic old godlings, but most people's reckonings and the mistakes they had caused, the pain they had experienced trying to fix their problems, which would now be given new problems. They tried so hard to care for the life that they'd made possible. Sometimes they worried that they were becoming accustomed to being gods, 
brother was especially against the religion in their name. He got annoyed and tended to curse such buildings with taxes or infest them with goblins. Sis agreed with the sentiment, but more quietly. They were people too. They were just doing their best. However, Sis knew that they were stuck in the old methods. They really did need some young blood to show them how some new ideas. Someone who could think outside the box. She giggled as the mushrooms began to light up and hum as they started to mimic the various machines. Delta leaked happiness to whomever was willing to just listen. Sis. Sis would protect us. This world desperately needed a little bit more laughter. Delta brought more than just a little. The room snapped in between the floors and a single new room was formed. Delta gasped and then clapped her hands in the light. I did it! She cheered and did a little best fly in a new space to see the result. A room with no entrance or exit, but which drew upon the functions of two different rooms, the secret garden and the mushroom grove. The secret grove. Dalta stared around the cave-like room and tried to open a window, but the message appeared. Upgrades and progression are based on parent rooms. No upgrades present here. Ah, Dalta could see that being fair trade for ignoring the room count and using cross-floors cooperation. She focused her attention on the new windows and screens opened. Please choose base parent for the new breed. End result will always be a mushroom. Delta cracked her fingers and did the first stroke, and she selected gut rot. The list of potential matches and effects began to unfold before her. Delta swallowed as she adjusted her tie. I'm just a tough core doing tough things, she growled at the best army voice. Surely, if she did this carefully and weighed the pros and cons, she noticed a button at the end of the screen. Random selection. Delta stepped back staggered as she panted. What evil must I fall to? She demanded of no one, then looked around for a familiar blue screen. She pursed her lips. Maybe the first time for luck, she reasoned. She blew out a sigh after a moment. I'm alone. Who am I trying to convince? Got your time. She giggled and pushed the button and watched the options flew past like a slot wheel. Something cute, something cute, something cute, she chanted, and then the wheels began to slow, revealing a single image that was... Fudge, Delta said, voice sounding shaken. The gut rod match showed a picture of a curvy tree. Wyan, that's not good. Giant was not someone who would claim to have many fights under his melt. Besides the spider invasion and the scuffling with Rail, the only major fight had been against Quiss, and that fight had been more verbal than physical. This child, this being, was providing to be his greatest foe yet. He swung his staff around with a massive frame, slapping away three of the four tentacles made from the soft green plant material. The owner, Vass, moved in to swipe his leg hard. One wrong move and into the river they would go. The true challenge of the match was, of course, the fact that Vass had a means to return to the bridge, even if Giant did manage to knock him off. Those tentacles would have to be disabled. Giant moved in with his gun and flung himself over his head, Giant reached out and snatched one of the snake-like vines and yanked, pulling the golem in hard. He flipped the vine over Vass's head and under the other vine, the thing that went wild, tangled just as Giant had hoped. Vass made a palm strike to the chest and Giant gave a grunt of pain as the sheer strength was enough to match his own. He skidded back and along the rail and Vass eyed his two tangled vines with a curious expression. 
Logical, he concluded and reached for the tangled mess. But Giant was on him in a second. He would give the boy no time to right himself. He used his staff to vault up high into the air like a pole jumper, spinning to plant his staff into the shoulder of the boy. If he didn't dodge, then the worst that would occur would be a broken shoulder. Giant wasn't aiming to murder the children in his proper debut with Mother's Bridge Guardian. Vass decided to do something odd, however. He leapt back onto the bridge right into the center. The bridge shook a little and the stone binding roots that formed around the foundation of the bridge trembled on impact. Giant watched curiously as Vass turned back to his group and seemed to pray to himself silently. No words were heard and his lips moved softly. Giant could definitely guess that he was trying to communicate with his team, but he was not doing it in a way that Giant could see. Giant stomped hard after Vass, the bridge shaking with each step. Vass turned and used his remaining tentacle limbs, and he shot straight up into the air with an extreme force. Giant followed, knowing that the key would tumble out of the grasp should they both land, and he would win. Vass turned his plant tentacles to latch onto the foe suddenly. Giant was so surprised that he didn't react in time, as Vass slithered around the giant's body and onto his back. As my master would say, you've fallen into my grasp for the next hundred years. Cry for me. Vass stated pleasantly as with that, he began to spin them backwards, causing them both to dive towards the bridge, head first. But the key, Giant yelled as he tried to break free, flexing with all his might. The challenge is to no one can step on the bridge but one. However, if there is no one on the bridge, then they can rush for the key before it falls, no? Vass added the bridge rushed towards them, dizzingly fast. They smashed into the bridge and it reacted explosively. The edges of the raining ascended in the impact crater caused the bridge to fold in on itself. The giant closed his eyes as the mist rushed past. His head ached, but his skull was tough. He could just barely see the key being thrown high into the air as the roots let go. The sight of Dio leaping into the distance and catching it made Giant sigh. He turned to Vass and let him go. The golem looked sad as if the part of the journey had come to an end. Well fought, Giant praised and grabbed one of Gollum's arms. He twisted his body around and threw the golem back up to the valley and high enough to be caught by the cheerful redhead boy Dio. Giant smiled as the mist gave off a scream of someone named Wilhelm, or so Mother said. The river, the second home, caught him, resulting in a huge splash. He floated on the surface to let himself be carried along for a time, just enjoying the cool water and the mist. What a fight. Giant could only hope with all of them would be so grand. The bridge would regenerate and rebuild itself. Giant had no worries there. He bobbed along for some time before he figures in the mist, a dark foreboding shape gently pushing his barge along the dark river, like the specter of a ferryman coming to a lost soul. Delta's River Rescue Service at your service. My name is Rail. Do you have any allergies or injuries that need to be addressing? Called the cheerful buff frog pushing his log along with his trident. Rail, I'm a frog. I can swim. Giant sighed as a piece was disturbed. Rail huffed. I was hoping to rescue some humans, but you had to be a nice guy. Ah, well, climb on. We can go play some poker with the crabs. They're in the lead with 29 wins, but I think we might finally understand the rules soon. Rail said brightly. Giant just snorted and sat on the log while Rail hummed like a romantic boat driver, pushing them back towards the waterfall. Explain why I threw up this thing. 
and asked, Voice ever so gentle. Delta scuffed her feet in the grass around the dryer tree. I accidentally ra- You, science. Delta mumbled, Wyan pursed her lips, and then pointed at one of the thorny branches. I just orally projectile the mushroom, she pressed. Delta's eyed the now-rooted shroom. It was a weird-looking thing. The gut rod YM hybrid was an odd duck at first glance. The pale brown cap looked swirly like a varnished wood. The stalk was bright red with leaves hanging off at random intervals. The scent was, um, like perfume, a faint floral thing. It was a pretty mushroom, but, uh, like YM, the beautiful appearance had a darkened nature. Delta ordered one of the blood rabbits to poke it again, and the thing unfolded. From the tip of the cap, two thin coils of barbed thorns wrapped around it, unleashing like some kind of claymore mind, spinning the garrote anything that walked past it. Delta was glad that the bunny was fast before the grass, the soil, and even the air was punished cruelly by the mushroom as it launched out in its whips as its thorns rocketed like shrapnel. Wyam blinked as her own wooden form easily deflected the projectiles. It's called Wyam's Temptation. I want my name on it now, Wyam said, voice eager. Delta stared at her. Wyam looked dainty and feigned innocence. It's my mushroom child, she reminded Delta. Delta rolled her eyes. You're going to be happy then. There's literally like 30 different combinations with your name on it. Delta pulled up her list. In fact, like they included Maestro, Mushy, Missy, even let Delta combine things that she'd recently found in the laboratory. Slime mushrooms, Delta could make slime mushrooms for chaos' sake. The issue was that the production time for them would all take forever. Delta had no idea how to filter out what would potentially make the most impactful combo on skeletons. What eats dead things and bone really well? Delta mused aloud as she paced. YM spoke up distracted as she played with a new child. Men, she commented. Delta paused, turned, and eyed her flatly. Wyam coughed. Pigs, I mean. Pigs eat almost anything, she clarified. Delta opened a menu and scrolled. Sure enough, Maury and Bacon were listed as potential parents. Piggy shrooms? Unholy eatings of forces of fungus and animal kingdoms combined. Delta decided that if she was going to beat up some undead child, she might as well do it with riding a pig mushroom to war. She began to make a hungry, hungry army. End of chapter. Chapter 117. The Buzz About Shrooms Without a bridge, the group had to decide whether to backtrack to where the river was narrower. Mass had suggested tearing down one of the trees to make their own bridge, but Koth, Kemi, and Dia refused. That's just rude, Kemi said. The trees didn't hurt anyone, Dio frowned. Bobby just pointed at the overhanging branches. Then we can just swing on the vines, nya, she muttered. Everyone followed her finger, the thin green vines dangling above the river. Without the bridge, the gap really did seem huge. But one by one, everyone began to grin. Except Kemi. In other dungeons, uh, th- th- there'd be snakes, trap chains, curling vine grabbers. Too flimsy. She listed quickly with her fans, waving in panic. She brushed down her cloudy robe where her legs were just visible. Delta wouldn't do that. She'd have it if you swing the vines in a certain way. They produce a musical note and then a song, and it rains rainbows. Or something. Hamster snorted, Grim grumbled, and swept his gaze into the jungle. Or a summoner mimes, he gritted out. From the shadows unseen, Divina's chuckling could be heard. No time to waste. Adventure forth. 
Dio proclaimed and began to scramble up a tree like a crab monkey. Cammy's nervousness grew, but before she could do much, the vine lowered within reach of her. She blinked and saw no one else had gotten this reaction. We respect people and their modesty in this dungeon, Davina said calmly as she came to help Kemi tie the vine around her arm, like a tight knot. Oh, Kemi stuttered. Going pink and the vine began to carry her across as if she were no heavier than a cloud, her robe suggested. She touched down as the rest of the group grabbed onto their own vines and were crossing the space. Wahoo! For glory! Thank you for the ride, Jungle Vine! I'm too edgy to enjoy this more than a little. Exciting noises, yeah. Kemi covered her mouth as a smile burst forth. The group was simply too bizarre to be real at times. Delta raised her hands into the air. It lives! She howled into the abyss in between the floors. New was behind her. What have we become? Delta gave him a hard look. Hard dungeons are making hard choices. We need this evil to protect those we love, she reminded as the monster in front of them rose. The beast was about a foot in height. The mushroom cap looked soft and pink, with all four little stubby legs that made a snuffle about with a large, big snout in front. It sniffed, then in the little mouth with twine buck teeth opened up under the snout to eat a random experimental herb. Delta felt just a little bit, that the thing wasn't exactly, um, terrifying in conventional views. But its menu description would breed terror into all people. Picklecap, a harmless mobile mushroom that wanders about consuming any discarded trash or items. When fed directly by someone, it oinks a song of thanks. This is a critter. How do you go out to make something dangerous and do the complete opposite? News box jingled in disbelief and Delta sagged in failure. I don't know. I thought the mushroom and pigs would give me a screaming green spore bios or something. She admitted and then she poked up. I didn't check its upgrades. She said excitedly and brought up the menu quickly. Pickle cap, critter. Give a rosy cheeks one DP. Add curly tail one DP. Make it toot after eating too much. Sounds cute. One DP. Make it ticklish. One DP. Actually, this is turning out to be quite funny. Make something else. Dada glared at New with a scrunched-up expression. I'm a dangerous dungeon, she warned before she purchased all the upgrades for the pickle cap grew even cuter. Dalta had to admit she kind of loved it. New brought up the crossbreeding aspect of the pre-selected blood curdler. Now, if your experience is correct, you just need to hit the big shiny button that's labeled random, and we should have a dangerous weapon. It's a hundred that don't have blood. Delta remained in changing it to starlight. Her finger hovered over the button, but then she withdrew it. Gacha was a bad habit. But in this case, when she was told to push it, Delta didn't want to. For the love of all of them, I'll do it. New clicked the button with the second parent panel began to spin. Delta stared as it came to a slow stop. New was speechless. Delta was too. The image showed the pickle cap. The menu appeared to show a creation was already done. A second similar pickle cap burst into the secret grove soil and began to sniff about. Delta stared as this one was slightly more red than pink. She brought up the menu for the new creature. Black Hole Hog, unique single critter. This creature stores all items consumed in a pocket space inside its stomach. 
When enough mass has been crushed together, it releases a cosmic bang. Estimated time until stomach reaches full capacity, 999 plus years. Delta opened her mouth before she could say anything. New screen flashed, and the little piggy was reduced to dust with a surprised oink. Best we do that before you get attached and give it a character development. The screen explained in Delta's side. She was relieved that the ticking pig bomb was no longer an issue, despite how cute it was. She glanced at the upgrade menu for it to see if she could make it safe. Most were the same that had been the same idea. Reduce the needed time for the Big Bang by a thousand years, 5,000 DP. Delta shivered and put the giant bee along with the symbol of holy water. She could mix items, but she had so much junk in the menu that would take days to fully navigate. She cranked the lever. The room groaned before the new mushroom appeared. The mushroom grew on a tree in a weird hexagon pattern that gleamed silver. Delta prodded them with her power to cause them to do something. All five of the hexagons flashed with the surface rocketed forward with a spray of steam and heat. The stingers hidden underneath flew forward with the silver heads attached. When they smashed into the wall, they exploded into a steaming mist of holy water. Holy stinger missiles, Delta whispered. Stinger? Do cut himself off as a visible groan that shook his screen. A bee joke, really? I thought it was funny when I made them, Dalton mumbled. New looked ready to rant when he cut himself off and then slowly began to speak. Delta, what other funny joke combinations spring to your mind? Delta put her hands to her chin. I thought of a few, but I'm trying to be serious here, so I didn't go for them. The stingers were just to make me feel better, she confessed. The screen and her friend leaned in and said something that scared Delta. I want to see your jokes. The punnier, the better. Trudy, the dungeon had gone mad. Delta nervously began to select the next combination. The sight before them was beautiful. A large, colorful pools of honey that smelled spicy, sweet, fresh, and inviting. Swarms of bees moved with a purpose around the large stone pillars that seemed to tower the giants over the group. Kemi felt like she had stumbled into some untouched paradise as honey flowed like waterfalls into the smaller pools, causing new flavors and scents to rise up. From several stone pillars, the honey ran slowly down for some unseen plumbing that kept the honey from congealing in their pools. The buzz of the swarm was in a tempo of high notes and then low trills, followed by cheerful calls. Several workers brought in fruits and flowers that were delivered to the tallest tower of the moor. This tower was decorated in a solid honey gemstones and had the purest golden honey flowing from it. From this tower, the biggest bee Kemi had ever seen landed before them. The bee was bigger than a person and its stinger could have been carved sword. It buzzed a few times and waited. Everyone shared a look, except Grim. Ventures, we're here to explore. Maybe get a key, he said, bored. Kemi turned to him, surprised. You can understand bee speech, she asked in awe. He's being pretty clear. Everyone talks in this dungeon. Frogs can speak. Birds can speak. Why can't bees speak? He replied defensively. The bee buzzed and Grim nodded slowly. He said his name is Buzz Buzzy Buzz, and he can get the queen. We can take one of the rock cups and enjoy the free honey sampling while we wait. Grim continued to translate. Dio's eyes sparkled. What's his name? He pointed at a random bee passing. The bee buzzed. Buzzit Buzzy Bee, Grim said, already frowning. Dio pointed at another. Buzzing buzz buzzed. 
Another. Lord Buzzington. Yeah, I heard that right. Dio lowered his finger. Grim has the coolest power. He said in the deepest envy. Kemi had to admit that she wished that she could talk to giant murderous looking bees who offered complimentary honey drinks. The bee took off and the rock cups looked carved for people much larger hands. Still, Kemi went over with the soft blue honey pool and the bee took a cup and folded it for her as she failed to roll her sleeves up. She buzzed kindly and Kemi bowed back. She tried the honey for a long sip and uh, things were just fine. She started to hear her hand and wiggle her fingers. She had meaty thing grabbers. How had she never realized this? The bees around seemed to eye her, for they gently buzzed her over to the purple pool. Bees! It was so fluffy. She hugged one with its fluffy. It seemed to be except the motion as Kemi was in heaven. Bees were just big poofy dogs with ouchie butts. What's wrong with her? Poppy asked calmly as she finished the red honey sample. Kemi giggled as Poppy ears began to leak steam. I'm communing with the ouchie butts and their fluff, she whispered and Poppy winced at the volume. This honey is mostly untested on human consumption. Davina, the guide, appeared as if conjured. She eyed Kemi with amusement before gesturing to the purple honey. This is detox honey. It'll mostly cure anything in this jungle that binds pinches or stings, she explained. Kemi giggled and fell face first into the pool. She emerged a second later gasping and spluttering. I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to ruin the honey, she cried, and Davina scooped her out as the second giant frog burst into the clearing. Crimson shorts and buff physique made Kemi stare. I sensed drowning people, he panted. Davina had her side stiffened and then casually turned to face blank. Ah, Rail, do you always come running when people fall into less than solid matter? Davina asked casually. Kemi suddenly felt a bit nervous, but she had no idea why. Rail, the male frog, puffed out an impressive chest. Always, he promised. Davina just smiled at that, but that's when the swarm stopped. The buzzing that had become so easily background music abruptly stopped. The sudden silence was jarring, and Kemi stumbled again. The entire swarm of bees had all landed and gone still. From the biggest tower, a bee emerged. Not the biggest or the most dangerous looking, but this bee had something no other had. There was a power to her. She used it like a perfume, owned it like a possession, and used it like an accessory. This bee had more curves to her than most, and her posture had the sway to it that someone who moved elegantly. An air or land, then there was the ornate crown that she wore. Welcome! The voice that emerged was not harsh buzz or a garbled mix, but a breathy, soft song. The queen could speak and she seemed eager to show it. I am the queen mother, the guiding hand, Queen Elizabeth. The first of her name, the royal daughter of Delta, the mother, guests of my mother. You may also call me Queen Lizzie. She pronounced some of her words, betraying her natural tone and sensual buzzing. Dio waved. Hello, you have a very nice crown, he announced. The bee swarm seemed to grow stiller, and the queen touched one leg to the crown in question. She seemed to take a moment to respond. You have a nice soul pure as my honey. She complimented back before she stretched out her arms. Today we will begin the challenge that is our duty. We are not a swarms, but a queen. We are a key keeper and a challenge. Before us is the first group of challenges. Today is our day. 
She called to her children before, and all the pools of honey began to drain. The rumbling in the earth made Kemi stumble again, and the bigger stone pillar, the queen's tower, began to gush in all directions, and sides many hues of honey and caused the rock to glow in light. At the very top, a single golden honey gem became transparent. Inside was a faint shadow of a key. The group was all stared at the queen lifted into the air. Honey of help or hindrance, rock of strength or trap, reach the top and earn my favor. The queen said, and then the swarm all buzzed as one. Then the swarm took to the air before they began to fly in a circle around the stone pillar, obscuring the top and making any direct path with flight or some conjuring spell that would simply yank the key to them impossible. Don't like the blue stuff, it'll make you high, Kemi said in a whisper. Also, avoid the green, Hamster added. Everyone looked at him and he stared at the sky. What does it do? Kemi asked, feeding the dread in her stomach. Hamster blinked. Nothing. It just tastes like old sock, he explained. Ha! I wash all my old socks, so don't fear that. Theo grinned and took off the tower. His logic is backwards, but he's got a good heart, Davina said bemused. Kemi could say the same about the dungeon. And I thought this one would make me giggle, Delta said happily, as she chose one of her bats from the gargoyle spawn and one of her gargoyles. The result grew from the stone wall of the room and loomed like any tiny ledge. Delta activated it and the thing detached from the wall and landed with enough force to half bury itself in the soil. Then it turned soft and spongy before it flapped its wings back to the stone wall, becoming rock hard once more. We can put them in the jungle and be home for bats as well so that they can be in the night. Delta beamed. Nu looked at the sheer chaos in the room as mushrooms of all shapes, sizes, roamed, exploded, stabbed, melted, consumed, combined, and twitched. Nu, I'm repressing. This was your idea. He twitched again. I am also repressing the blame. End of chapter. Chapter 118 Hero The door to the surface, the barred path to the interloper. It should have been bent and buckled under the continuous assault. It should have cracked and splintered under their unyielding barrage. It should have crumbled under the hate. Yet the door remained strong, blazing with an accursed symbol, pulsing orange light that seared their sight. The forward vanguard captain eyed the door with uncertainty. I expect that you have a good reason for this hold-up, came the voice of the princess. Her voice, like fingers running through the inside of his skull like a bored spider. Enchanted door, brute forces having little effect, he reported. The sigh of the princess of bone was loud enough that all the marching dead around them rattled with uncertainty. Then use magic, or perhaps try one of the various alchemy solutions that our researchers spent many, many years making. The voice pointed out the sweetness that barely hid her annoyance. There was a strange noise like a creaking hatch, and the top of the door opened like a flap. Well, I suppose if nothing else, Big Sister will cull the idiots. The bone princess said, with intensive five strange things, were thrown by winged creatures before the door was rapidly closed. They hit the walls in various places, sticking instead of bouncing. They unfurled into strange hexagon patterns with a sponge cap underneath. It's a mushroom, rattled one of the skeleton. The forward captain would frown if they had any skin left. Are we being insulted? He clacked back. 
Then the mushroom began to explode with screaming stingers like that of a wasp. They ricocheted from the room and impaled many skeletons, carrying them around as a horrible, burning, bright, holy fire leaked at the ends to make them fly. More than a few stingers came to a stop in the evil fresh wall. To cover! The captain roared as his men took protective stance against the shields, walking back behind the fresh wall. The ten-foot walking nightmare congealed skin and muscle that soaked up any attack with ease. The captain felt confident that they would be safe behind it for now. The sound of the hatch opening again and the door made the captain pause. He peered around to see a ball of squishy texture roll to the top before the door. It didn't seem to be doing anything for the moment, but the flesh wall moved forward. Slowly, on its countless toes and fingers, the thing quivered as if in anticipation. A few dark archers smacked dark arrows into it, but it didn't have any reaction to being attacked until the flesh wall moved ever so slightly closer. Then it unfurled into a nightmare with a petite little mushroom child in the middle. It cackled, and countless barbed thorny spines rose up from the petal base. Hello, boys! This is one coming live from the second floor. The evil child spoke with a voice far too old for its appearance. The form shifted slightly, leaning forward with a smirk. And you can't forget the unforgettable maestro. The voice turned masculine and booming. The vines dived into the soil of the tunnel and began to shake as the creature's left eye became a black void with a deep orange light right before the deep amber. And this is the beta version of the mic room, they said in sync. Charge! The captain roared as the creature threw out a strange mushroom that looked like a coiled rope as spears of thorny vines tore the flesh wall apart like it was made of pillow stuffing. Sorry, boys, you made Delta mad, and she's got her favorite kids playing Dungeoneers. You aren't allowed to mess that up. You aren't allowed to make our mother upset. The hybrid roared as the vines began to shear the marrow off the bone warriors. One of the rogue bone warriors threw a flask of bubbling acid that smashed across its torso. The creature looked down at the mess. You know, Delta worked hard in this, the female voice said without any emotion. The orange left eye blazed. First, you come in rudely knocking, then you come near her with that freaky flesh thing, and now you melt to work, a male voice added. The eyes blended together and the burning orange amber. The captain felt his spine tremble. Despite having no nerves to transmit fear through some time, the being looked upon the thorns that grew out of the walls then began to vibrate with a low song. Of all things... A choir of people singing in some sort of deep, ancient language. It pulsed, and the captain shook harder. Tell your brat of a princess that we are coming. Your walls, your doors, your dead, your god. They cannot protect you. The mushroom creature warned as it rose up into the throne of thorns. Even a god will become food for the worms and mushrooms. The female voice rasped as the tunnel came alive with thousands of vines entangling the soldiers and beginning to rip them apart. The last thought the captain had was that perhaps they were not the scariest thing under the earth. Maestro will sing a song and Wyam will grump. It'll be fine, Dalta promised new. The box was silent as they stared around at the creations Dalta had invented. Spider shrooms latched to the faces and injected spores into the lung, 
that was being shelved because Delta felt like she wasn't quite ready to unleash that on people, and her true foes were undead with no lungs. Goblin shrooms were just statue-like mushrooms that occasionally farted. They had a strange thing where they occasionally changed facial expressions, but Delta didn't think that they were dangerous. Delta did hit upon something strange when she merged her fire and water crystals in the mushrooms, the fire crystal that she had so long ago gotten from the farmer and the water one more recently. Delta peered down at the mushroom that seemed to be burning and called upon its screen. Mushroom of Fire A mushroom that has obtained pure water elemental energy. This creation can be ingested to force someone to face their sorrows. They will be drowned in regret as they cannot find the will to carry on. Mushrooms that cause one to go on a spirit trip. Delta was making some real good stuff now. So, Delta did the only thing that was logical. She birched them. Mushroom of Steam A mushroom that has obtained a rare elemental energy of steam. This creation can be ingested to force someone to purge their impurities from their body. They will cook alive if they cannot purge themselves of toxic substances and become more. Oh God! Weak kids, how low chances of being a god with legendary techniques are going to invade me? Delta whined to New. Just reverse merge them. New sounded done with this affair. Delta did so and the result was indeed different. Mushroom of Hot Spring. A mushroom that has obtained a rare elemental energy of a hot spring. By soaking this in the water and bathing in it, your body will recover almost supernaturally fast from physical wounds and innate energies will return sooner. Delta tried mixing them next, both combos ending in the same product. Sauna Shroom A mushroom that grows to be as big as a tree. Inside a unique hot spring can be found. Some may help and heal someone, but others may be trapped and dissolve victims over time. The water mushroom looked like a jellyfish on a stalk, see-through and smooth. Steam Shroom looked like a little house with steam poured out of the little chimney and the hot spring mushroom looked like a basin on top of a boiling water and steamed. The sauna shroom. It was a giant smurse house with a cheerful wooden door that steamed fogging up and sap like glass. It looked inviting and Dato glared at the words that one might just be decide to eat people. It was something to think about later. Delta had an undead army to remove the offering free hot spring sauna trips wasn't going to do much. Sword shrooms? Delta asked Nu as she checked up on the various projects. Looks worse than Kemi's staff. You wouldn't want these kids to see them. Delta scratched that off the list. Any of the metal combos? She asked briskly as she stored the elemental shrooms in order. Quite useless, they can't move and they get too big. They seem to crush themselves under their own weight. They also don't reproduce. Delta bit the lip. And that? She asked softly. Lou took some time to float back to a response to her. They have a high compatibility to work better than anything else that we've tried. Delta gripped her hands into her skirts and swallowed once like she was drinking something bitter. She looked up at the pond in the secret room where the creature slowly crawled out of the sand, grasping and twitching. Am I a bad person for making this? Delta whispered with doubt. Lou moved in closer, and for a moment his screen flickered into a barely human shape as he seemed to put an arm around her. A frowning young man's face showed before he was just a screen again. No, 
If you made this for final kicks, you'd be a dungeon, but you made this to protect everyone. The creature looked up and the waves of mushroom caps twitched. Mother... It rasped. Dalta's face squeezed tight with pain and hurt at the word. She stood up and rushed forward, putting her arms around the creature's neck. I'm here. I'm here for you, please. Don't hate me. She begged. The creature slowly pulled its arms around her and simply spoke softly. I am ready to protect. It promised. Delta looked up and brushed a lock of sprawling mushroom that grew from almost every inch of its head and back. My hero! She smiled with a watery smile. With that, she stood up and planted a small press of the lips on its forehead. Hero, would you like that as a name? She asked, and the creature slowly smiled. An effort. I get a name, it managed. Delta nodded, beaming despite how her eyes leaked tears. Always, she promised, and the creature stood to its full height, and powerful muscles bulged. Then... I will be your hero, he promised, as a sea of mushrooms along with his back wriggled with separate entities. I will be your hero in the dark so that you may shine, he announced and began to walk towards the exit. Maestro knew that in most fights he and Wyam would cream those bone jokers, sharing a body that barely held a smidgen of the most fabulous selves. Not so easy, he had to admit. The Mike Shroom was a transceiver or an empty puppet someone who was hooked into the Shroom network could inhabit. So far, that was Maestro, Wyam, and the Pygmies, if they ever branded Trudy together into that, uh, unified Pygmy god Mindhive, Mushy, and occasionally Bori of the Grove. Missy was still a bit young to fully use it since she was a new kind of mushroom being. Wyam and he... They made a good couple in terms of battle, but Maestro was not blind. He knew the frozen tree in the north had her heart captured by the truly dashing knight. After all, Maestro was the one who gave Wyam live updates of the fight when the Holy Pot warriors were consisted of several people against Sir Fran. If they got this far as Wyam, Maestro may have to bring Mother into meeting to make her, um, chill, as a smooth youth would say. She held a grudge. Still, if a group that ever came through that beat Fran but Maestro really didn't like, he'd egg the girl on and whip them with gusto. That was the fun about Wyam. She put on a deep edge about herself, but she was so lonely that she would kill for Delta. Well, they'd all kill for Mother, but no one would just come out and say it where Mum worked here. They had all heard the chastising of the pygmies that had gotten when they messed with Jeb in the third floor kitchen. No one wanted that turned on them. Mother was such a pure person that anything she made, even if it scared her, she matured and made it sure that it was loved. Maestro, he had started out as an aggressive, angsty spitter and matured. Maestro guessed his attitude back then would have scared her, but his most recent transformation, she was all over him in love. To raise a murder-happy mushy into a gentleman... Bob into a human-loving worm and just wanted to be petted. Kui, who was an enemy, but now turned to a music-loving boy. Delta. Delta did that. Delta was their purpose. Her love for humans became their love. Her wish to protect the children became their wish. 
Mother's promise that everyone had a good in them sounded almost plausible in the dungeon. Then they called home. So, if this was his real body, Maestro would only feel pride as he began to fall. Only pressure that he was falling in the name of Delta. Only feel a bit of regret that he could not be with her too much longer. The Mikeshroom was heavily damaged with toxic-laced arrows and the mage that had a talent in black fire. The embers burned deeply and gave off a sickly scent as if the fire was infecting the flesh it touched. The gargoyles kept throwing the stinger missiles or the occasional jacks, trademarked explosive flasks. It wasn't enough. The army of undead seemed to put itself back together, appear from dust, truly seem undying. You've got moves, Wyam said begrudgingly. Maestro chuckled and sent a sonic blast into the approaching numbers, turning them to bone dust. The dust flowed like water away from them as the vines reformed into soldiers. Darling, I'm the king of grooves, but these suckers are making me look lame, he complained. Do um, you have anyone worth fighting for? Wyam asked as she broke apart three more flesh walls and a single spear effort of vines. Maestro knew that she meant someone besides mother, and he paused for a moment. Mushy, my naive brother who guides humans and likes it. He's so clueless he once let a human stab him, basically. Messy, she's a special crossbreed, but my little sister. He panted as he blasted ghostly wraiths away with blue jazz. He thought of someone suddenly. A human, he whispered. She sang with the voice of a goddess and the tones of a demon. She shook my world and we connected beyond love and lust, beyond right and wrong. We became the harmonious duet that made us complete. Maestro perked up and his songs became solid, almost rippling through the undead. You love this human, Wyam panted as she crushed bones under her fury. No, not love. She has her love, but we complete each other in another way. Something primal in the soul, Maestro admitted. Sounds complicated, Wyam mused. Just make sure that she doesn't use you to steal your domain and become a primordial tree. She scowled and slapped down several bone bats. Specific enough, what even is? Maestro was cut off as a series of black arrows pierced his side. The avatar that they inhabited knelt down and a result of the crumbling ability to fight back. A hatch opened up, but they ignored it, hoping it was a stinger missile or more bombs. Any idea of how we can take down these boneheads before we get out with a bang? Maestro panted, really feeling the feedback now. Kill them before they kill us, Wyam announced. Genius! Maestro's voice dripped with sarcasm. Something moved past them and Maestro looked up to see a tall creature with its back to them. It was... Perhaps once human, all skin and basic human features had been removed to a basic template. The back of his skull and all the way down his spine, like a mane, was a hair gleaming of golden mushrooms. I am here, he promised and turned to show his eyes with deep orange light. No irises, he gave them both a thumbs up. The mushroom-infested mass around the corpse turned and walked calmly towards the undead army. His fist pulled back and smashed through the skeleton warrior, who's unprepared for the attack. 
from the impact a ripple of muscles in the taut grey skin moved eerily until the burst of golden mushrooms grew down the skeleton. I am the only human that mother has ever killed consciously, combined with her hated slimers with mushrooms added on. The creature announced. The creature stood against the army with a lone turned ally. I am hero. End of chapter. Chapter 119. The Royal We. The squad of ancient guards wielding torn armor and rusty swords stood perfectly still in the dark hallway leading to the inner part of the master's domain. Their weapons had been carefully rusted with artful smithing to inflict plus three tetanus damage to invaders of fortress. The sounds of shuffling feet were approaching and the commander of the squad raised his dragon slaying lance. It was a famous for the time a dragon swallowed an ancestor and choked on the lance without chewing. The whispers of the princess of Marrow filled their heads. She wasn't speaking to them, to be fair, but as the necromantic lord and the undead army, her thoughts were hard to ignore. Non-verbal mastery of commanding the undead came with some unfortunate side effects, such as broadcasting. The days she had a song stuck in her head were enough to drive them to crack their skulls against the stone for five minutes of peace. I have this handled for the core. She is dangerous, but as a commander, she is greener than the slime that develops on my bone nights. I could take her. The prince's voice came across this petulant and furious. Whom she was speaking to was unknown to the undead minions. They would have to simply accept that it was another priest of the silence, or perhaps the nephew himself. I don't know, Gurnak. What does a skeleton tell his roof with? His princess asked in with annoyance. Shingle! There was a pause as the whole network tensed. I don't like you. She hissed, and the army shivered with displeasure. The little princess of death did not enjoy undead puns. They irked her something fierce, something that they had learned when a few skeletons resorted to comedy to handle their new existence. The undercurrent of the report came through, the attachment of the zombie priest on the throne room. They had functional eyes and could send funny jokes that they read in books or snapshots of what they saw along the network. Every one of the dead saw the princess surrounded by two mirrors, and a few of them silently groaned. It was the monthly tea time with the princess and her siblings. The princess's face was half rotten and half beautiful. The prim posture shifted as lounged with a smirk. Only via zombies sending their senses could the voice be heard since it had no control over the princess's network of death. Can't take a joke. I was working on that one for like two minutes. The princess complained as she picked her remaining nostril. It shifted and her bony hand smacked on a fleshy one. Don't be disgusting, the princess said with distaste. Her expression dripped from the blank stare at her mirrors. I found it funny. The voice came quite quiet as the princess scoffed at the mirror. First, I find Konak funny if he burps or snores, she chastised. Well, Mera, we gotta find our kick somewhere since you murdered us to use my soul and Tursa's body to become immortal monsters. Konak said calmly at the bony first smashed the right mirror. I warned you not to call me that, the princess said in a deadly tone. We'll never call you by your name. You will never get that honor again. Tursa said the second mirror just collapsed from the floating spell on its own. There was a silence in the throne room. The princess stared ahead, as if taking a moment to collect herself. The death of two siblings will give a rise to a third. 
Can no one appreciate poetic symbolism? She demanded, and no one that could be seen. She turned to the staring zombie. Well, are the invaders dead and becoming food for my worms? She asked the priest. The zombie checked quickly. Not quite, he admitted, though missing a lower jaw, a talent that took years to master. Define not quite in a more useful piece of information. The princess waved her hand as if wanting graphs and diagrams. The zombie smoothed down his moth-bitten robe and tried to think about how to put what he was going to say in a more digestible manner. We are slightly boned, he said, and the princess's lips thinned before a massive screen filled the network. The dog skeleton shuddered as the hero released them from his grasp. The necromantic energies were replaced with a network of golden mushrooms. He flexed his hands and he felt his fresh bonds to himself. Unlike Delta, unlike her power, he could not make it this last. The mushrooms were, in the end, neutralizers, energy feeders that would render all that they infected back to an inert stillness. This was its purpose, and he was not something to make or give life. He was here to restore order. His own body was a thin suit hiding a complex system of mushroom threads surrounding a human heart. It beat with a soothing rhythm. That beating noise echoed out in the infected undead that he had converted. Every golden mushroom, including his own mane, beat and echoed with the time with another. The song of life, a proclamation of war. The drums of Delta. He stared at the large hallway with the torn paintings and ruined smashed treasures in display cases. He closed his eyes and offered a prayer to the god that he had... Uh, the farmer Dill had worshipped when he was alive. Two left-eyed one, guide me to goodness of this chaotic world. He mumbled and then opened his left eye. May Delta's kindness save them where I can. He finished. He marched as his squad of thirty strong skeletons stepped in time. They drew their aesthetically fitting rusty weapons and clattered as the mushrooms filled the hall with a hot yellowish color. He held the mushroom close and felt no need to infect it. It was a kin that held two stronger beings than he. I appreciate the marching theme, though it is perhaps a bit dramatic. Hero said and Maestro stopped the song for a moment. We're marching towards a princess. Imperial march is perfect, darling. One of the voices promised. The other more feminine voice scoffed. Why not? Hi-ho, we're off to cut the wench, she asked sarcastically. Delta would never approve of those lyrics, Maestro responded aghast. Hero had a feeling that he had been ignored for a moment. And some boot and capes walking theme for some man-child that wears a bucket on his head is appropriate. Wyan demanded, It's a helmet to cover his burned and betrayed head, his human self-hidden. Maestro began with a huff, but it was cut off. He has a cape. He wears a cape besides smug pricks. Wyan fired back. Hero watched as his army began to break down the door that had been barred with iron. Capes can be nice, he tried to offer, but Wyan was on a rat. No, capes. They tangle, they flap in your face, they catch fire and get stuck in a trap. She began to list. Oh, here we go. Maestro sighed almost to himself. Can spread stone curses, can be telekinetically used to choke you, can be animated to betray you, can be out of season, and worn by murdering usurping pricks who take their own power and kingdom. Wang concluded, sounding like she was this close to frothing at the mouth. What if they have little detachable bits? Hero mimicked, touching his shoulders. 
acceptable, but it doesn't reduce the jerk levels that they produce because people will assume that you have a collection of them to replace the ones you lose. Capes only work in fairy tales or with serious cape magic involved. Why I'm admitted. The door broke down and something wielding a staff pointed and let loose a stream of fire into the tunnel. Maddie's skeleton simply collapsed, but Hero walked forward. His skin began to peel and crack, but from those holes, his true form was revealed as his human body turned to ash. The heart protected and connected to the living mane of mushroom hair. He slithered into the crack and latched onto the skeleton, depositing his heart into the mage's ribcage and reforming the human appearance almost instantly. Holy frick on a record. Maestro's voice came from the crack where the hero had left the mushroom behind. I mean, I could do that, but uh, he did make it look effortless. Ewyan agreed. Hero flexed his new body and saw the barricades and the wall formations the skeletons had formed to hold them back. He stared as one pointed staff and a sickly green energy was smashed into him. Half of the mushrooms withered and rotted, only for the rest to devour and grow over them in a nauseance of life without end. What was dead would be consumed for the next cycle. What was living would feed the way for the next generation. He frowned at the number of enemies and how his army had picked off easily from arranged fire. The moment the space to cover was immense and the hero had a feeling the numbers weren't the key here. Hero flicked his hands once and then simply collapsed into a pile of mushrooms and mycelium. Then he consumed the room, his mushrooms exploding into endless splits of lions and creeping life. Whatever they touched was covered in a coat of mushroom heads. His human heart beams dragged into the shadow alcove and out of sight as the skeletons were hoisted into the air and broken, looking like grim bird cages protecting the fungi inside. Magic was fired and curses were launched, but whatever was infected was surgically removed and left to perish. Hero was a monster, an existence that could become a plague, a beast that would use all life as a breeding ground. This tenuous cycle gave him a soul and yet he refused. He was not a beast, mindlessly feasting and piercing innocent existences together like a fleshy tapestry. He was a hero. He was a hero. He focused on the room and was just a room once more. He pulled every spore, inch of flesh, cap, thread, every atom of himself back together with a single thought. Delta expected better. Besides, he was scary if he wished to be sure. But Delta could make hundreds of heroes if she wanted to in the years to come. If hero was scary, Delta was nightmarish. Rise, my army of little piggies, Delta announced as five little piglets casually sniffed the second floor. One was immediately jumped on by the pygmy and rode into the underbrush. Delta pursed her lips and silently made a spare to bring the her piggies back to five. It was made in the secret garden and imported to the second floor. A neat workaround for the whole low-making things when people were on the floor rule. The downside was that it worked on cheap items and critters. Trying to teleport a monster over had it, um, smear, to put it lightly. Poor goblin that she hadn't had a chance to name, but she did purposely make it brain dead to avoid harming anything alive. It wasn't splattered like it had hit the ground hard. It was like a coating and the dungeon had just bugged out and its 3D spacing and caused it to spice for the tree, rock, and some ground. It was like a Jeff Goldbroom and that darn fly. Nasty stuff that Delta had repressed with expertise. All right, so, uh, your purpose is to... Delta trailed off as all the piggies' little button eyes focused on her intently. 
distract people by being too adorable for words. Dalta put her hands together as if the business meeting which led her to think about the pickle caps and the little suits and nearly made her inhuman noise. The critters shared a look and then one simply rolled over in the dirt. Okay, maybe Dalta should have invested a little more in the brain department. But this was fine. Nothing about these pigs could go wrong. Another one was snatched out by a passing pygmy. Delta silently made another and moved it over. One nibbled on a flower that might have been a magical flower, or Delta beamed. There, this was more like how she liked it. I better check on the kids, she mused, and then had to decide if she meant the kids going the quest, or the kids down below waging biological warfare on the undead. She took off, leaving her adorable piglets to have fun. They'd be fine on their own for some time. The pickle caps sniffed the greenery and began to lightly eat what they went. One found a large fruit and swallowed it whole, ballooning for a moment before it burped. It was still for a moment before it passed gas and relaxed oink, and the pink spore landed on the soil behind it. After a moment, a spore sank into the soil, and the pickles watched it. Oink! 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 Tiny little snout pushed itself out of the soil a minute later. The watching cabal of pygmy shrooms all watched with utter delight. Eo was so close, he watched as Kemi's floating head passed into the pulsing air, singing a song that he couldn't hear. It looked like a goat opera by her lip movements, but he licked his lips, the tangy taste of the weird honey still strong. He used his astral tree stumps to move deep into the twisting tower as he was, was supposed to climb. All around him, flying syringes hovered nearby to catch him if he fell. Dio had never minded syringes, but now he definitely liked them. They were so nice, but he had to focus on getting the key. It was right there, like a, like a cookie. He was so close. Grim pursed his lips as Dio clung to the small boulder near the pool. Grim pursed his lips as Dio clung to a small boulder near a pool. Upside down and reaching for his shoe that he had lost, he turned to the confused bees. No, I don't think it's a rogue sample. Dio is just super affected by drugs, it turns out, he said with a pinch of his nose. His own vision was slightly blue and his toes felt ticklish. That was the extent of the honey's effect on him and the rest of the group, but Dio. Grim watched as Vass vanished and returned from the climb, soaked in various honey, but holding the key. I'm falling up, Dio said a moment of the mellowest voice Grim had ever heard from the boy. He simply flopped on the ground and hugged himself. I'm a bee now, he said with a profound wisdom before he began to just vibrate on the ground. We could leave him like this for a while, Grim suggested as Cammy moved around with wide eyes. That's rude. Don't be rude. Gotta be honest, gotta be fast. She zoomed past as her robes were cleaning themselves and the last of the yellow honey. Poppy and Amonster were watching all of this with a mellow amusement as they watched their limbs move in the air. Only Vass seemed unaffected. I am lubricated beyond measure, he reported as he handed Grim the key. Give it a minute and you'll get gunked up, Grim said distractedly. There was a rustling in the bushes and everyone stared at the tiny little creature. It walked over, simply enjoying itself, before it walked and fell into the yellow pool that had caused Kemi to become hyper. What was that? Amonster asked lazily. A pig with a hat, Grim said, confused. The pool exploded and something yellow zoomed past with a loud noise, knocking Grimm's feet out from underneath him, and Dio reached up with an oar and damn blur dragged Dio into the underbrush. 
The pig with the hat just kidnapped our extremely high DPS. Grim yelled in a fury as he took off after them. He was quickly outpaced by another blur. He stared as Cammy leapt over the fallen log and was easily pushing through the thicket forest. It was so cute! Her war cry sounded before he lost sight of her and the pig. Delta made a note. Put fences around the pools to prevent piggies' exposure. Also, she could be concerned about the bee population were basically becoming a drug cartel with all the natural ingredients. She watched where Dio was being dragged, the honey gluing him to the piggle, who was now gas-propelling itself into almost flying. If she was guessing right, he would end up, um... She winced as the pig and Dio went into the pygmy entrance hole to land in the squishy soil at the bottom. This would end well, right? End of chapter. Chapter 120. The Great Dio. Hero? A prophecy told to people long ago spoke of tall beings, those that came from the outer world. Every existence made them stand out like a red beetle paint against pale wood. Some tall beings had already long disappeared in the distant past. These most well were occurring in the many tales of the Dark Warrior. Unlike their race, the close-knit community with minor variants, the tall beings came in many extreme shapes. Some had curved jaws like animals, others had fibers in their head and bright as gold, and some defied comprehension as they donned a truly alien form. Their language seemed to be a crude version, or perhaps an imitation, of the Great Mother's voice. Unlike her soothing, direct connection, the tall ones used harsh words and volumes to transmit their intent. What exactly that intent was would never be clear, but their actions were sufficient to understand the fundamental aspect. They sought to challenge their world, perhaps out of pleasure or due to some instinctive drive, they played the puzzle, somehow impressed the brave Sir Fran, and now some were here once more. Unlike the dark warrior or the burning gold or the flowing ice, these tall beings seemed uh, weaker, unrefined to an extent that made the whispers of the prophecy ring louder. The thrum started, merely distracting by the new seeds gifted to them by the Great Mother. Those who would be addressed soon, but the entire grove was gathered in the city. A shuffle of the heralder and the first of them all stepped towards the plateau that overlooked the majority of the city. He waved a hand at the priest, at the tinker, and the fungomancer, and stood guard behind him, his loyal advisers. From his hand, smalls came out in distinct patterns, and it was increasing frequency before abruptly slowing. The language of dead people was not something anyone could learn, but they also admired the way their demigods seemed to be able to converse with the Tall One's language. The King, Bushy, was able to even match the Tall Ones in power and keep them safe. The Dark Whisperer, Maestro, could not be ignored, and if the Tall One stumbled upon the dark dreamlike domain, their escape was not assured. And the creator child, Missy, spoke ready, but with great wisdom. The elder spoke of the great mother's relic, and how it was vibrating, a hint that the time of the trials was upon them. Their holy duty was finally here. 
The elder waved a hand and intricate spore patterns revealed that the last testing of the gold firefighters were complete as he looked at the priest, who nodded, her own pattern expressing complex ideas and notions. Most didn't quite follow the gestures of the priest to explain how fire was the burning of the air. The priest was the expert of all things magical and mystical, but she also seemed to draw on a hidden wealth of knowledge from the Great Mother. Usually, this kind of babble came from the tinker. The priest must have been their cloud and confused spores, because she sighed and simplified her message, her spores making much greater sense to the viewers. She had discovered a way to use the fiber on the tall being of the burning gold to unlock the hidden potential inside themselves. She was able to tap into the network of the mother and saw a path not yet taken by them. The path of the purifiers. The elder nodded before he turned the conversation back to the main topic. The prophecy. The great words that were told to them many, many days ago, passed down by oldest to youngest through spores, taking many hours to spread through the four corners of their people. The words of Great Mother. Only the elder and the priest could quite understand it, and the translation was not quite simple to spore. From above comes a great importance. Outsiders beyond the world arrive with unforeseeable souls. Reflect them like the moon and reflected on water. They will seek the treasure, halt them, but not, but test them so. Kill them not, but slow them so. If they reach the key to the underworld, they must pass because their end is assured. Grieve for them, for they know not their doom. These words were held with great importance. In actuality, what Dalter had told them was this. If people come in, treat them like they treat you, and if they get the key after passing your non-lethal tests, just let them go. They're going somewhere far worse. Then she chuckled nervously and left. Many of the deep people had peered inside the sealed chamber. Using their blessed tunnels, they saw the great evil that rested there. The wither. Some scholars debated if it was called the wither or the wine, no one knows since none had dared to get close to the doom, and it had become a taboo to mention the wither outside circles of Delta Bloom powder. A cult dedicated to the Dark Singer would slyly tell others that their Dark God and Doom speak like old friends, since the Dark Singer Maestro was quite popular in the cult, were, in truth, dedicated lovers of music who walked around with decorations of a single eye or paint that matched Maestro's dark design. They even tried to mimic using a cane just like the giant singer. The elder raised his hands and public watched in interest as the immortal elder, priest, tinker, and fungal mancer spoke as one, reciting their prophecy once more. No one knew if they were immortal, but in the ten generations of the deep people since their creation, these unique beings had not withered and died, returning to the earth. From above comes a great importance. Outsiders would play. There was a loud thump and a yelp from the tall being that etched through the tunnels that were dedicated to the funneling sound as an early warning system. There was silence as everyone looked at the elder, who was just nodding, a puff of spores and his slightly nervous energy. The prophecy had arrived.
Dio licked his lips and felt strong craving for cookies and some fried meat. The ride through the jungle had made his odd mood fade as the strange little pig in his arms, exhausted, was dragged him the whole way. He stood up slowly and winced at the way that his rump felt and he had been dragged across the wild bushes, rocks, herds and thorns. He had fallen into some hole on the way up and seemed far away, but the image of a soft-looking cave with moss and flowers growing in rings all the way up to the top where sunlight generally filtered down made the place look really nice rather than terrifying. Delta was like that. She made things nice even when she didn't have to. Hello, he called, feeling the vibrations in his throat as he spoke. He went for a gentle and quiet as not to spook anything. He looked down at the cute little pig with a mushroom cap on its head. Hello, I'm Dio. Sorry for making you kidnap me. I wasn't quite myself. He told the thing that seemed to be sniffling at him. He wondered what it sounded like. Was it oinking? It was making some noise as it vibrated in his arms. He felt a slight shake in the ground, and he turned to the source and saw a dark wooden door concealed in the shadows, opening down the middle. It swung towards him and split in two doors. Dio's mouth dropped open as the envoy of little mushroom people walked cautiously out before three groups burst into twirling dancers with long banners weaved through their plant stuff. The group on the left seemed to be waving little flags showing the symbol of black mushrooms and mushrooms with light in them, joining one and light firing into the sky. They danced shyly and away from Dio. The right group were mostly dark mix of purples and elegance. They strode towards Dio with little twigs and bowing and elegant moves, their flags showing blazing eye of the stick. The middle group was the strangest, but at least the best. The little legs carefully shuffled left and right as they hid inside the little jars and pots, making them look like those funny crabs that live in shells. One jar had a flare glued to the pot that showed the crown on the pot. Dio began to clap and applaud, but they weren't done. He gaped as something began to weave around the group. It was like a long sheet of yellow-painted mushrooms glued to the back like giant worm mushroom made of gold that, at the very front, made a single little mushroom posed with his hands and his hips. It looked really new and some of the paint hadn't dried yet. This was like a surprise event that people stumbled across in dungeons. Grim had told Dio about them. He fished around in his pocket and pulled out a honey-coated coin. He presented it slowly with both hands, and the little heroic mushroom took it slowly in return before it held it up with a squeak and a puff of spores. Dio inhaled slightly, and he felt a relic, gift, tall, success. Dio blinked back and rubbed his nose so the strange cloud seemed to go right to his head. Mum always told him that he could smell out any flower in the gardens blindfolded. He guessed that that was working against him now. Just like when he was always new when his dad had drink before coming home, or when he could taste when mum used the cheaper chocolate in her cookies. His senses were top-notch, except for the one that wasn't. But Dio always said that you should appreciate things that you have, not those you didn't. That's why he loved hugging people when they spoke. He could feel their words. The puffs that were coming faster as he inhaled them seemed really orange. Trial come for the maze of doom?
It was a many spores, and it was slightly confusing, but Dio was smelling words. He focused and tried to make puffing noises with his mouth, and they all looked at Dio for a moment as if waiting. Dio had one eye closed and was puffing his cheeks as he spoke. Hello! He puffed and waited. The priest watched the strange tall being seem to have some sort of inner organ failure. She conveyed the sadness to those closest. He was as puffles expected, but it still was sad to see. But she was gifted with the power of understanding tall beings, somewhat. She walked closer to the elder to listen. Listening with their bodies instead of feeding the emotions tinged in the air with intent via the spores that entered the body was always uncomfortable. She leaned in and the tall being tried to shrink down to make itself less intimidating. A gesture that would go over well as the hidden spear warriors above the flowers would have easier access to the back of his neck if it turned out to be a trick. The young outsider seemed to be saying, Greetings, she quickly told the people. This was they all danced and waved, making the outsider bare his teeth, but also with a nod. She informed her people that he bared his teeth like the great mother, friendly, not threatening. The mothers always shined her love and affection, so her expression was also clear. Not these beings. She winced as the being spoke with such a force that the spore cloud was momentarily disrupted. It deafened them and caused a moment of disconnect that was quickly re-established. The elder looked at her and she sighed. Right. She had been one keen to practice the actual speaking of part of all tall ones. She inhaled and bloomed out in a mighty tone. We, ca we camel, tall being, she said regally. To most, it sounded like a little squeak that should melt most hearts. The tall being didn't react at all. She shared a look with Alda, and he looked puzzled. The priest flushed, and the spore showed I was getting flustered. She had been practicing. The tall being inhaled and looked strange. Having had one hand spoke quickly, the priest stared at him closely. Do not sad, I hear not. It was a terrible translation of the massive speech, but it was the best that she could do. Curiously, she sent a direct puff at the being, usually considered highly rude, as it excluded one's fellow deep ones out of the conversation. She used it now to send a message. Slowly, the being inhaled through the strange little beak mouths. Then he spoke back in his own language. He was clearly now trying to select his words carefully. It was almost like he had experience talking to someone who didn't understand his language. I consume your song, I hear you. The priest moved closer, transfixed by the talk of the outsider. She puffed and vibrated back, her language at his. Communications. I am zero. No. The thing had a name itself and it stumbled back in shock as the sounds most likely lined up translation. The tall being was calling himself Hero or something so close to it that even spore talk was making it sound the same. The elder frowned and told her it could be Dero or Neo, but the priest was having none of it. The chances of a being having such a name arriving on the same day as the god of devouring evil was too much coincidence. She turned and spoke to her people. Dia was so happy to be making new friends with these cool little guys. He chuckled as he ushered them into a cool, amazing city 
and was building to the walls of a large underground chamber. Thank you, thank you, he said kindly as various little mushroom people dropped petals in his path or tried to offer berries for him. They directed him to three carved statues of mushroom people that kind of looked familiar and a false statue above them of the cursing snake of a mushroom looming down in a scary snake. Can I wait here for my team? he asked as the spores were almost dizzying in praise, excitement and something about freeing his heart so he revealed its glory. Ah, that must mean a trial of some sort. The Fungalmancer and the Tinker shared a look privately using direct puffs to share words. The Fungalmancer was sure that they should tell people that the tall being did not simply remove their hearts. Tinker scoffed. The hero wasn't so new that it wasn't sure that it was exactly was, but the priest was going overboard. The Tinker knew the best way to build a trap to actually hurt tall beings. Fungalmancer knew how to breed and cultivate both healing and poisonous skills, able to draw on the Great Mother's knowledge of uh, biology. Diology, the tinkerer corrected, for knowing how to kill tall beings was only reason to know the stuff. The fungalmancer decided not to get into this old argument. The tall being was in danger and Great Mother would not be pleased, but trying to overthrow the elder and priest would basically incite civil war between believers. Harm not didn't count with the tall being to just pop out his heart like a hero and be fine, but trying to convince people that he would die, it would need proof. Tinker was the most direct. Just get the great mother here to sort it out. Fungal wanted to push him off the ledge, as if that was so easy. They were a group monsters, and their actions only counted as a group, and such division might mean that they won't reach the mother unless they were united. Tinker, again, was direct. Then find someone who wasn't so limited, leave the city, and speak to the frogs, the great sea serpent, the silent ghost, the bees... Fungal was concerned. Their traveling speed and means of communication made it difficult, and the bees might understand, or they'd just spend some precious time trying to explain as a priest removed the being's heart in some misunderstood way of trying to see his real form. So, a plant or a mushroom would be better. The tinker was almost casual when he spoke with backwards answer. The doom would understand them. Fungal froze and then nodded slowly. The doom would, but would they survive the return? The tinker was rather blunt. Their lives meant little. The life of the outsider which swore not to harm was in danger from their own blind worship. Disappointing the great mother was a fate worse than an unknown earth. Bungalmansa agreed after a moment. They were quick to move as a wreath of golden flowers was placed in the tall being's head with a great purpose. Unseen by Grimm and the exhausted Kemi, the tunnel opened up and the two pygmy mushrooms rushed off into the jungle on the newly obtained steed of Picklecap. Hero hide the cloud of waning despair and sickly fumes, some of the ghosts of malicious energy that slowly moved towards him like a mist. Sets of armor in the hall hissed and melted into pools of silver and rust as it passed by. Physical attacks and corruption would be pointless here, and the thing might actually outpace his own regeneration if it had him at the center of its mass. He flexed his hand as he had time to call upon the system to relay his information to him. Hero, wandering raid boss, conditions have a force identified as an invading army with intent of harming the dungeon core attack the dungeon. 
This dangerous life form is able to infect and corrupt different strains of life to serve his command and turn wasted resources into the enemy back at the foe. This being was created by a dungeon called Delta with great emotional conflict and deeply wishes for your forgiveness. Known powers include infect body, infect a body and overtake it for yourself. Alter appearance, appear as a human or another. Infection, infect a target with spores and have your will overtake theirs. Calamity wave, give up all pretense of humanity and spread endlessly. Inheritor of Delta's heart, a blessed by Delta, you. He smiled as he reread the last line and rolled his neck. Sorry, pal, someone's counting on me. He pointed his hand as coils of mushrooms from the main wrapped his arm. They began to slowly light up with a mix of light and black light. The deafening peal of the air vaporized sounded out as Hero pushed his hand forward. The ghost shrieked and Hero twisted as he plucked the mushroom off the back and transformed it into a familiar grey mushroom. In the other hand, a mushroom turned dark red and began to burn. He threw both of them, resulting in an explosion, dispersing the ghost back into the ether. He saw metal suits of armor being controlled by more ghosts marching towards him. He grimaced. They had stopped throwing skeletons and zombies at him, and now he had to work with automatons, which aren't exactly corruptible. With the narrowing of his eyes, his entire back turned to cutrot mushrooms. Save for the expedition in the middle, most mushrooms which burned red. His body shot forward as his heart erupted out of the back in an escape motion, quickly spawning new mushroom tendrils. His whole body exploded against the rushing metal, igniting the tunnel and shaking the entire fortress. Without a body, he changed up his tactics. Eight main tendrils thickened and became the center heart, guarded by eight legs. Focusing on the drain of his energy was immense, and each knee joined one of his new body. A tiny mushroom splitter monster formed. The glaring creatures that once upon a time turned into mushy and maestro all rotated like turrets to target the surviving armors as the sickly green eyes lit up. He scuttled up the walls until he was hanging above them, and his new monsters began to rain down acid on the battle melting them as he plowed through the remaining resistance. Hero moved down the hall and increased speed as a massive door tried to block his path. The acid seemed to make runes light up and just run off, using protection magic against him now. Wise, but perhaps too late. He looked around and broke down, reforming into a massive boar with large tusks. He charged and the physical blow shook the door hard and tore open tiny crack. Hero saw it repair itself and couldn't be too mad. After all, if he was allowed to unfairly regenerate, then he couldn't be mad when others did it. But it did leave him with a slight dilemma. Or did it? He frowned as he hit upon the mushroom blueprint Dalta had used outside testing. He shrugged as he was sure that it would do the trick. Inside the room, the Bone Commander rattled orders and the mages to keep the spell going. They had to stall the beast as long as they could. One of the mages gave a warning of alarm as the chanting magics became erratic. The door that was a target of many protection, warding, and repairing spells was decimated as something continuously ground it down. 
A chunk of the door peeled back and a show, a massive moor of mushrooms in the darkness. An unnatural wind sucked the room of contents as it pulled the door apart. The darkness was even consuming the ambient light somehow. Mages were drawn in, magic and airflow and even sound. None escaped the hole in space. The commander slipped and was gone. Hero lowered the tiny black piggle that was attached to his mane into the thin rope and stared down in awe. He held up the pig to his own face and smiled. I am humbled to know that Delta can end even me if she tries. You are something I cannot fight. He nodded and felt better knowing that he was not unstoppable, as arrogant as that sounded. The pig blinked. Oink. It said back. Hero put it under his arm, not wanting to end it so soon. It was good company. Brother was amused. He watched the skeleton bits, parts of the door, and a few other things that were shot into the abyss like cannon fire, raining down on his personal space. He melted down everything for mass. The creature was amusing, but losing mass from his body world to a black hole would cause weight issues down the line. Brother did not fancy being a size zero at the end of the day. A slight tweak and a boom, and it was a wormhole back into the world. He picked up a skull that had yet to be consumed and tapped on it. Black, heavy sphere floated into the air, and Brother held it. Is this bad? he asked aloud. The seed turned slowly, the energy almost hissing at his appearance. Yeah, yeah, but you thought you'd be safe from us, idiots. We're trying to save you. Being part of Little Bro isn't exactly going to be a fun experience, he told the seed. The seed from a member of the silence didn't answer since it wasn't actually conscious, nor truly sentient. It was what one would consider a cell of a human or a beast, a mindless little worker. And if these followers were cells, then the leaders of those endurance would be akin to embryos or clots. He crushed the seed and slowly the black powder turned back into inert colorless dust. He focused on the dust shot off into the wood tunnels around him. From one twisted talented mage, four to five average kids would be born. Then again, they could be five amazing kids if genes, luck, and mana got involved. But who really knew? He eyed the tiny ball of blackness that their brother was left behind. From parent to child, a seed reproduced, but it was a needy thing. It wouldn't reproduce if the potential child was weak, and once a healthy and potentially strong child was conceived, the seed infected them and enhanced their potential to fearful levels. If two parents had three children, and two were normal kids, and the third was some strange savant with magic as such, then that child had inherited the majority of the child's seed versus the tiny portion of a normal child that had managed to absorb by luck. The seed drove them to constantly seek more challenges, to sharpen their powers, to gather with the other infected over time in groups. Most ended up developing strong skills or talents or even new fields of knowledge. However, most seeds would be taken by monsters or dungeons over time, the true issue was the pure seeds, the strongness remnants of little brother that don't reproduce so much as jump hosts. These caused people to actually feel the abyss and the space between, to feel him. Those were the nutters who formed cults and ended up being a damn pain. 
Brother sighed, shaking his head. Silence was only alive for a short while, but his creations were still making a mess. Pure seeds felt his hate and madness. They went insane and wreaked havoc, started up groups and gathered ripe seeds. The whole purpose to slowly create a whole race of powerful infected humans who could be bursting with ripe seeds and when enough seeds ripened, a whole new birth would begin. He sat down with his fishing chair and stared at the large cavern. He closed his eyes and felt his skin breaking as he was mined. He felt that the trees were in the hair being brutally burned or cut for material. He felt pockets of poison seeping into him and making him itch. He felt the damn tree digging deeper and deeper like a parasite. He felt more and more of himself being lost in its shape as the dungeon spread to more land. Soon, maybe not too soon, brother would just vanish. He would not be himself anymore after this original shape was gone. Sister was giving more and more to make more dungeons, establish safe connections to other dimensions where the gods and goddesses could be called upon each connection costing her a mote of her own light. They were both sad candles, giving it all to repent for the fact that they were lonely and just wanted a little brother. He nodded once. If you break it, then you fix it. Running away is kind of dickish, he stretched. Besides, if he did fade, he left a bunch of super critters around the world for people to fight. That should be fun, right? He felt a tug on his fishing line and began to whistle a jolly tune. End of chapter. Chapter 121. Rooted in her ways. Hero was somewhat of a mana drain on Delta. She watched her streams of orange mana that usually spread out and conquered rooms to subsume into the dungeon twist like lifelines into a hero's body. If she hadn't visibly shut off her other streams, the first and second floor would have been running in life support mode, where only the bosses and some rooms would be operational for adventurers. Hero was amazing, almost unstoppable, but Delta couldn't actually afford to keep him going for much longer. He was an incremental cost raid boss, with more and more mana being pumped into him on the account of his tricks that he was coming up with and the distance he was making. There was also the fact that Hero was also given a personality and developing intellect, which, in terms of the system, made him more costly than a simple war engine than most raid bosses would be otherwise. Yet, uh, even with all of that in mind, she watched with the barest of awareness around Hero since he was so far out of a dungeon that only the immediate space around him was revealed to Delta. She could only look at a monster who was slammed into a wall of dilapidated mana foyer. It was a rather strange and bizarre for such a normal thing to be seen in the deep fortress of the dead. Hero grunted and his arms exploded into slithering bulbous mushrooms that sunk into the joints and gaps, but the creature, flexed and cutting metal edges, simply sheared off the invading vines. The colossal metal light that reeked of twisted mana raised a battle axe to one arm and stumbled back as Hero's new little black hole pig companion began to suck at the night as hard as it could with the tear in space. Delta couldn't even be worried about it right now. Hero needed any help that he could get. Nu could just deal with the other consequences later. The knight lashed out with a metal foot that was hollow on the inside. The pig squealed and had to run for cover, releasing the pull on the axe as the foot, while also being pulled, had enough force to swipe through the edge of the black hole. 
It was enough for Hero to get loose and begin to form mushroom spitters to try and dissolve the metal shield it had on its arm. The acid hissed, but the metal refused to warp as the black energy rushed in to protect it. Delta felt sick as the energy sounded as it was, um, screaming. If her foe was a necromancer of some kind, and given the fact that the hero had literally bashed a skeleton through a ghost into a zombie not long ago, Delta was inclined to believe that she was correct. Then that energy would be some tortured force of souls and dark magic animating the night. A metal foe with no flesh and enchanted with energy hero wouldn't be able just to consume. The princess was adapting and it made Delta nervous. Hero formed a mix of gut rot and burning mushrooms, throwing the volatile mix at the knight in hopes of just blowing the evil scrap. The knight just raised its shield, but pulsed with a sickening crack. The projectiles were coated in a thicky, sloppy ectoplasm, causing them to fall to the floor inert. The knight stepped on it, and the mushroom squelched as he swung his axe at the hero's head. Delta's monster grimaced, his entire arm began to grow more muscle and fiber, then he lashed out with a punch that would make Lord Mushy proud. Enchanted fists collided with brutal axe and there was a pause as equal forces clashed, before the axe split into the hero's hand in twain. However, the two halves rapidly grew up to the weapon and pulled it at it. The weapon left the knight's grip and briefest of moments and the energy surrounding it vanished. The hero crushed the axe before, using vines to pull the blades across his own arm. Delta was on the edge of a metaphorical seat as the hero flexed his new weapon. Come on, do a cool heroic quote, she cheered, and the hero's smile twitched slightly brighter. He pointed his new axe hand at the helmet of the knight. I'm gonna break your face, he challenged. Delta really had to stop her creations getting bad movie quotes from her head. And don't call me Shirley, Wyam said bored. The fungalmancer shared a look with the tinker who was hiding behind the rock halfway across the room. Bloody coward, fungalmancer tried to explain how perhaps the death of the boy would not be good for anyone and perhaps letting the other pygmies gain the habit of sacrificing humans would be a bad thing. His paws reached up and Wyam reasonably read his intent. For the ultimate fiend and demon on the floor, she was actually quite pretty. However, Fungalmancer knew the prettiest things in the nature could be so because they were too dangerous to tangle with and had no need to hide. And how am I supposed to do anything? I'm quite rooted on the spot if your kin are, uh, well, they're in a dirty hole and I'm a lady of culture. You don't expect me to go down to some hillbilly hole? No, she said aghast. Well, if she could perhaps pass a message on to the Great Mother. Delta? Wyam asked bluntly. Fungalmancer waved his staff in panic and the audacity of the birch-like treat before it. One did not simply say the name of life and joy. Oh, you mean Delta, Delta, Delta? Delta with a big D, Delta with a Deltaed, and Deltaish thing over the Deltaed. That Delta. Wyam went on a heresy, almost made Fungalmancer charge in with a war cry. She smirked. Her wooden face was features moving like liquid wood. So easy to rile up. Ah, you must visit more. Fine, fine. Let me see if mother is free, she said as she closed her eyes. The fungalmancer held its hands up in prayer. Please hold, Wyam said calmly as she began to make a strange, harsh, screeching noises. Fungalmancer did as he was told and kept his arms in the air, holding. Whatever the howl that Wyam was needed was calling. Delta, not there, not there. Hey, maestro, no, I can't talk. Got two pygmies on hold, but I can't talk. 
Wyam said as she eased a manner, flexing her long branches as she was baffling her nails too, to the dark singer of Mother. Fungalmancer's little beady eyes were about to pop out of its livestock. Wyam went still as the rock bounced off her face. The tinker looked at its hand in horror, as if unable to believe what it had just done. Maestro, um, I'm gonna have to call you back, she said emotionlessly. The silence stretched on for a moment. That was a rock. You just threw it in my face, Wyam said, then took a huge tree and deep breath. So, um, what can I do for you again? Wyam's smile seemed to crack loudly. The child, the fungal mancer puffed at her numbly, decided he might as well die doing his loyal duty. Dio accepted some more herbal soup from the gracious tone. He was a bit full, but his manners meant he would refuse until he was utterly full. He could hear his team coordinating ropes and ladders to climb down, and he couldn't wait to show them all the cool face paint and flower crowns the little friendly mushrooms had put given him. One especially liked feeling his pulse, a little priestess one of the Dio could sort of communicate with. They lived in the heart of the underground, right? Then that was just the cutest thing Dio had ever heard of. As the ground began to shake, the entire tunnel seemed to rock back and forwards as a deep, primal scream in the earth seemed to come closer. From one of the tunnels, two pygmies ran inwards. Dio frowned as the puffs came rapidly. An old, smutty driftwood. One yelled back in the darkness. Wouldn't even use for kindling fire burns cold. The second with goggles taunted. The tunnels exploded with writhing roots and branches. Get back here so I can squeeze you until your little head's popped. The feminine voice traveled through the ground, clear enough that even Dio could read it from the shaking alone. The root paused and as it poked at Dio. Ugh, I stepped in human. The voice went from murderous to disgust so fast that Dio was impressed. Hello, I'm Dio. He introduced himself and the root tried to snake away, ignoring Dio. You're a tree. Fran said he knew a lady tree down here. Do you know her? Dio asked as he crawled after the roots, avoiding the running pygmies with little homes. There was a pause and the root curled around Dio with a caressed movement. Oh, did he? The voice traveled into Dio's body, shaking his bones slightly. The voice sounded much happier now. Let's see. You're the child in trouble. Very well, I've saved you and thus you owe me a debt. The roots rumbled. Dio blinked. He'd been in trouble. No one had told him. I was fine, really. He tried to explain, but the voice turned flat. Oh, me, a debt, she insisted, as she began to gently pull Dio through the tunnels that she had expanded with her roots. Come into my lair, little human. We have much to discuss, mostly about me and what that gorgeous Sir Fran may have mentioned about me. He did mention me in a good way, yes? The woman insisted. He saw the tunnel exit in the village being collapsed just in time for Grimm to show up with his hands. Stop getting kidnapped, he yelled before the earth fell in. Dalton frowned as she felt a low ping from Wyan. A quick glance mentioned something about the pygmies and some type of request. Wyan didn't seem too concerned, so Dalton put it to the side for now as Hero cut one of the knight's arms off with a mighty rend of his power. The back hole pickle cap, adding a force to the blow and focused pulls of the portal. The night fell apart, the energies holding it together freed as they rushed through the ceiling and out into the world. Delta tried to applaud, but she felt uh, clammy and slightly tired all of a sudden. Warning, mana levels are critically low. Regeneration is unable to match the growing costs. Hero! She groaned and the raid boss looked up in concern, and he saw the flickering and thinning lines of mana to himself. Out of time, 
he said calmly and picked up his pig and began to walk back with his axe hand. They began to break apart and reappear as a secret garden before they even got ten feet away. The secret garden was such a cheat. Since it didn't exist in the dungeon or the actual world, Hero could reside there until Delta could recover without cost. He was less than a soul but more than nothing while there. Delta saw the fading double doors and would lead to the throne room. Soon, you brat, Delta grumbled before the signal vanished entirely without the hero to act as a proxy. It's free real estate, she announced with a grin. Sure, the rooms and space closest to the throne room were already getting boneheads and rat boys and stern mobility, but Delta was just as equally making banking claims. Then Delta finally took a look at a dungeon. She stared, rubbed her eyes, and didn't actually exist in the space and looked again. I was gone for an hour. Tops, she moaned and flew off. End of chapter. Chapter 122. Trees Accompany. And that's why you don't remove people's hearts in an attempt to honor me or them in the image of a hero, Delta said briskly, foot tapping on the ground below her. She stood there, having to the entire cavern of pygmies staring up at her in awe. Delta pointed to the shaped manner that she had floated over them all. One showed a heart floating over a dead stick man with X's at the eyes and a massive cross over it. Heart outside for visitors, bad, she said firmly. She moved on to the second image of the heart inside a person and then smiling, and a little happy figure of herself giving them a thumbs up. Hearts inside, good, she stressed. The pygmies all started to do the strange wave left to right, little arms and spears in the air. The chant started not long after, their small language and puffs coming in excited exclaims. Heart in, good. Heart out, bad. It was a little cultish, but the message seemed to be taken well. Delta really couldn't ask for more than the little devils that she found too adorable for their own good. New folded himself in since he was quite clearly done being Delta's blue board for the demonstration of why sacrificing guests was not productive to the dungeon experience. If they weren't such little stab-happy creatures, I'd advocate for clearing them out. New glowered at the pygmies, starting to bow at him, while two fiber threads were already planning the creation of the fungi thread mural that Delta squished the blue demon of New into the learning oracle. These fellows were, um, intense, if nothing else. Rom overzealous to undermining. Let's go yell at Wyam. Kidnapping adventurers is bad enough. Ignoring the potential sacrifice of one is quite another thing entirely. Delta sighed and decided to check on the rest of the party before she left. They had entered the maze beyond the pygmy village. The twisting, narrow passages had tiny holes for the pygmies to fire blunt darts or make noises from little across the mural surface. Only a few starlight mushrooms dotted the place to show the way and help illuminate the mural, which showed Grin screaming when a pygmy touched his neck as he turned the corner. Kemi hyperventilating as the wall slid in closer and in her mind. It actually wasn't in her mind. The pygmies were very slowly had the hall narrow at one end over time, using devices Delta had installed out of sight. Amonster twitched on a very noise and poppy. She actually wasn't bothered, but still... Delta hadn't expected to make a spooky maze, but there it was all the same. It was just missing some proper shifting walls, mist, and spooky noises. They'd be there for a few moments more, and then they'd all have the keys necessary to reach Wyan. Delta really needed to sort out the tree before the innocent children fell into her grasp. She took off, giving the second floor a once-over as she flew past. 
Monsters looked settled, Bob was upstream sunbathing, Gramps was meditating in the frog spawn room as always, Rennie was um, teaching his spooky skeleton crew how to perform a circus act. Critters ran wild, chasing each other, mimicking the prey and predator act until one gave up and the other one was caught, then they both nod and clock out, like the wolf and the sheepdog clocking out of work in the end of the cartoon. The first floor was a misery and a fantasy. The second floor was a paradise. In Dalta's biased opinion, the pure, unfaltered best parts of nature. Nothing would eat you if you respected the rules. No insects would bite you. The fake sky was just warm enough to be soothing. Sure, the pygmies might rip out your heart, or Davina might be spooky, and Rennie didn't help, and Wyan was Wyan. There might be a few black spots on Dalta's lovely banana fun, but nothing was perfect. Delta, especially, wasn't perfect. The very gods of this world had been blunt about telling her how badly she messed up. They still liked her, though. She stepped into the bathroom when seeing Viam sitting on a mess of roots in the shape of a table and Dio cheerfully devouring honey. Different plants and slabs of meat cooked by Jeb and the floor below. Vera and Wyan didn't get quite on. Oh, you little dewdrop, tell me how lovely my eyes are again. Wyam almost sang. Dio nodded enthusiastically as he swallowed the chewy meat that was barely not burned. Jeb was improving. They're like the amber and the sweet honey. You have the best eyes in the trees I've ever seen, he beamed, red hair flopping across his brow as he nodded. Wyam made a chittering sound like a small bird singing in delight. Dalta was pretty sure Dio had never seen another tree with any body parts, let alone eyes, but she didn't bring that up. Wyam paused as she saw Dalta standing there. Dalta mentally gave herself a check over, trying to not gasp with the unbeknownst to herself. Her avatar had gained more definition. Was this because of the hero and the efforts that he made on the third floor? Her business shirt remained crisp and wrinkle-free. Her simple tie reached down to her stomach and looked the same. But the long skirt that brushed her shins remained fashionable, at least. Shoes were a new addition, and on the other hand, sensible short heels and barely visible ankle socks. A watch in the same orange hue had appeared on how that she noticed. She heft was comfortable. The face was simply a reed all around the circumference, delta time. Was she some uh, receptionist? No, the idea felt wrong. Delta didn't feel that she was in the position of the admirable workers who balanced income requests and their bosses' orders and still managed to look amazing at the end of the day. Delta was... Uh, she was... Um, Listen here, she said, voice serious, demanding Viam's attention. The tree woman stiffened. Oh, Delta, I didn't see you there. Viam managed not to be simpering. Dio snapped his head up, looking around in excitement trying to spot Delta. Oh, I know you didn't see me. You also seem to have forgotten about me and my clear instructions and requirements for this dungeon run as a happy place where we all don't die. Dalta stressed the last bit, taking up the metaphorical gloves off for the first time since the pygmies needed the dressing down and bothering Jeb. Wyam brushed her head, face, and branch, not quite meeting her eyes. The boy's fine, she gestured to Dio, who waved frantically. After you were forced to intervene after others had come to you for aid, which you ignored after you had a temper tantrum. That's a lot of afters, Wyam. Floor blasts on the second floor. My agent on this floor, Dalta said, voice like steel. Wyam dropped the innocent expression. I didn't know my task was to protect every idiot that wandered into the floor. 
It also is a bit harsh to blame me for what the little pests decided to do of their own accord. She said, perhaps sulking a tad, They're learning. You know better. Delta cut the argument off before it could take root. It wasn't a guess. Wyam was simply formed with a far more logical mind and greater intelligence than most of the pygmies combined didn't possess. The woman was quiet for a few seconds. Then perhaps I should not be a boss you need, she said, with a turned face, detaching herself from the conversation. The words should have made Delta soften her words and perhaps decide something was up. But something inside her, an urge of old swift thoughts rose up. Stop running. You hide behind cruel words and barbs, indifferent and snide comments, when you need to stop running from anything you see that could actually hurt you. You will not be released from your duty, because we both know it's something you enjoy. A measure of pride. Viam, spirit of old and new, grown from outside the dungeon. You feel like an outsider. Dalta's voice took on a strange hitch, and Viam snapped her head to her. Those amber and honey eyes were wide and angry. No, I just don't fit in this world because every damn plant and rock loves you like the sun shines out your back end and your words can make miracles. I don't have that love. I don't have that devotion. But you know what? I wish I did when it would all be so much easier to be here and maybe you love me back. Wyam snapped and silence filled the room. Delta closed her mouth which was firm set to her jaw. If I didn't love you, then you would have been demoted or shipped off by now, Wyam. Delta took a calming breath and walked forward as Dio looked between Wyam and where she was looking with a deep frown. I do love you, but I also know that how fiercely you value your sense of self. Delta began, which had always felt true to Delta. I don't treat you like the others, that's true, because I don't want to erase the part that came with your creation. A part that isn't my dungeon, but it is just as essential to who you are as Fran and Bacon or Rennie and his circus. This is a learning thing from both of us, and I'm sorry if you feel like I'm isolating you, and in truth, I'm just giving you space to figure things out. Dalter admitted, All I figured out was that life hurts and everyone discards you in the end. Wyam said quietly, and Dio looked horrified as he read her smooth, wooden-like lips. That's wrong. Family and friends are until the end. I'm broken inside, but my parents didn't give me away. Steo exclaimed fiercely. Wyam let the boy jump down from her roots without a fight. Then you are fortunate enough to have a better life than I did. Be this one or the last. I messed up with the last one, and I keep pushing the envelope on this one. There is a sickness in my mind, little dewdrop. A little voice that keeps telling me to push and push until everyone is gone. That voice is me, Wyam said, sounding serene in her sorrow. There was no actual curse or sickness that Delta could detect in Wyam but she understood what her boss was saying. Some people created a void of loneliness in their life and having nothing to fill it but self-loathing and hate. Dalta's hand brushed Wyam's trunk softly. Maybe you're pushing against the wrong thing, but I think that's talk that we can have later. Just between the two of us, and then we can have it often, Dalta promised, and Wyam didn't look at her. Sounds like a lovely time. I'll save my enthusiasm for it, perhaps. The tree said softly. Dalta would take that. You couldn't handle a fix of trauma and issues with one talk or a single song. Although Delta was an idiot sometimes, she wasn't foolish. Grim looked up and down the large gates underneath the giant tree, the roots winding down and forming a gate frame. Beyond the first gate were two more, and Grim hoped the one key would had would burn fakes. He really didn't want to go back to the little mushroom people cave or the bridge that was unstable. 
or the bees. Never the bees. They never stopped talking. In one way, Grimm had also glad that Dio had been kidnapped. Not only did they make Grimm his dashing knight if he rescued the idiot, but they also passed a strange hot spring that they'd stayed clear of. But if Dio had been there... Ready? He asked the others. He shivered slightly as in many of those little mushroom people clung to the Kemi as she was like some idol they refused to part with. She smiled nervously, holding the key of the pygmies. Vass held up a key of the giant carberry. Grim held up the bee's key. All keys were the same shape and size, just one faintly smelled of honey. Grim inserted the key in the gate and went from wood to metal to golden metal, honey, and it drained away into two holes that one had seen before. The key in Grim's hand likewise melted. Really? He demanded as his hand was now dripping with more honey. Well, you do like to loot things, so sticky fingers isn't too strange, Amminster commented with a wicked grin. Grim made a note to let Amminster get smacked around a few more times in the coming fight before helping out. Kemi went next and her gate was pulled apart by bar by bar by tons of pygmy people in the walls, using the mechanism to reel the bars in. The group of three walked forward and pointed the key at Kemi's hand. She squeezed it as the key wriggled and unfolded itself and to show it was just another pygmy using some magical skill to pretend to be a key. You sure don't want these keys being reusable, nya? Poppy commented dryly. Grim was beginning to see that the pygmy key was also able to know if there was earned fairly because itself was a pygmy. A spy. Bass went forward and inserted the next key. He paused and Grim saw that he had really give the key a proper twist for a click. There had been a long creaking noise as the gate before them shattered into dozens of pieces. The lock suspended in the air by Vass's grip on the key alone. The key shattered next. It is so very dramatic and lovely, Kemi said as after a moment, every the optimist. Holy heroic pots, move in. We have an idiot to rescue, Grim commanded. His eye twitched as the group casually walked in the disorganized manner ahead towards the open tunnel. He sighed and stumped after them. No one heard or saw the gates sliding back into place behind them and reforming. These gates demanded the three keys untouched for entry. Delta's secret trick had finally been revealed in rapid succession. Three keys were used up and the next group were forced to get three untouched keys. And once all six had been used up, three random keys would spawn in. The treasure hunt and the jungle remix. After all, what was the point of making six challenges if the groups kept taking the same three every time? That was boring. End of chapter. Chapter 123 Grim swallowed once he stepped out of the tunnel of roots behind the rest of his team. He turned his head, noting that the roots snaked closed, blocking the way back. That was expected, but Serena's normally only had two ways out. Victory or death. Well, those used to be the only options. This dungeon is abnormal, just like Durance, he thought. Slightly annoyed at his very first dungeon run was in this weird place. Annoyed, but also a little relieved that he wasn't going to die at the first mistake he'd made. Grim had made uh, a lot of mistakes. But there he was, staring into a large chamber filled to the brim with mist. Dio! Amonster called out, his voice carrying into the space. Well, that the big nasty didn't know where we were here, he does now, Poppy said dryly, as she pulled her hood down tighter as her eyes searched the mist, sniffing like some animal. 
Kemi bottled up as she waited for some response. He could be dead, but it doesn't match what we've seen so far, Bass supplied helpfully, his column nature making him even the blunt speaker. Not dead, came the amused voice. It was like honey spread across a dagger, sweet and dangerous. He merely understands the rules and he knows the place. A woman's voice sounded out, somehow coming from behind. There he is, from the mist itself, from the very room. Show yourself, Kemi shouted, taking the lead as the adult of the group. Her staff was gripped tightly, her cloudy dress no longer amusing, but billowing dramatically as she held her staff forward. Reveal your true form, she commanded, a light shining off of her, repelling the mist like a barrier as it erected. The woman's voice laughed, a deep, throaty chuckle, causing the mist to swirl over the grass, small, bubbling brooks and creeks. Sweet maiden, I'm not hiding, you're just not looking hard enough. The voice promised as Grim turned to check the exit and paused. Despite somehow not taking a single step, the exit was now to his right, not behind him. Was the room able to move, or uh, had his balance tilted him slightly? Igram opened his mouth to warn the others, but they all saw the dark shape looming in the mist, moving like something exotic, tempting them to come dance with the confusing mist. Without any warning, the mist peered back and like a curtain on a stage. Before Grim and the others, a tree rose up in the center of the room, a tree thick of wood and roots from the ground up before the bark smoothed into slender legs and knees halfway up. Dozens of branches swayed as flowering vines grew over where anything indecent would be visible. Still, Grim flushed at the slightly curvy and round stomach, then looking up at those thick lips. Her hair was spread between fibers and branches, every single one of them covered in some flower of sorts. It was mesmerizing as no flower shared shape or color with another, like the tree woman collected every beautiful flower in the world for herself. She turned her eyes to them, as if just noticing something interesting, and despite the vision of summer and spring before them, when Grim looked into her honey-amber eyes, he felt the sting of winter staring back. My, my, such a, uh, interesting collection of people. While I may not be that impressed, you collected the keys, you reached my gate, and here you stand, she said and turned her body sensually to them as she did so, in her hidden hand, tightly woven branches into a rough hand shape. A cage made of roots and flowers came into sight, dangling from one finger. Inside, the sleeping form of Dio was visible, like the colorful bird inside a birdcage. Dio! Cammy cried, reaching out, but Poppy kept her from running in. He's not dead for a reason, she said darkly. Her eyes slitted like some cat's creature. The tree woman noticed the expression and smirked. Oh, quite. One, Delta doesn't kill, therefore I do not. Be grateful for that. Two, I'm experimenting with themes and ideas for my fight. Lovely Sir Fran is forward and simple. Fight with your heart and be brave. Myself, I believe I might be a trial of the heart as well. She mused and held the cage up. I recently found the issue of one's heart and the feelings it invokes troubling. Perhaps I'll learn more if I see your little hearts flutter and need to protect this one. She hummed, drawing her words out in a slight song to an extent. Grim looked at his team with a frown. They all looked upset, 
except for Vance, who looked like he had shot through some awakening, had three breakdowns and was now looking upon his goddess, that he was also wanted to set on fire. If only I could be so grossly magnificent, he said with longing. None are as beautiful as I, child, of earth and soul. I am a Hawaiian, and once great tree of legend back with a blackened soul. Fight me, reveal to me your heart's light, she commented, holding Dio's cage aloft as root snaked vines obscured their teammates from his view. Poppy didn't hesitate, throwing herself forward with mobility a human just did not have. Her fingers wreathed in dark flames. Wyam smacked Poppy with a whip of a vine, her trunk barely scorching. Grim winced as she landed in a roll into the mist. I've embraced hell. You'll have to go much hotter, little lovebird. Wyam encouraged with little care to her voice. The truth cuts deep, Cabby chanted, holding her staff aloft as blades of glowing white sheared through the air at Wyan, as horns of some instrument that sounded electrical in nature blazed into the dramatic battle cry of them. Vas, Amonster, back up, Grim yelled as he went in from the side, his sharp knife in one hand. As Wyam turned and danced around the lycrosins that Kemi conjured, some of her flowers and bark were chipped away. Grim used the distraction to leap off a slightly jutting rock in the ground towards the birdcage, swiping where it had connected to the rest. His hope for a quick and easy cut was dashed when his knife got stuck in one of the fingers. He felt his foot being snagged and he was flung high into the air with a yell as the tree woman was multitasking with attacking and defending from all sides. Amonster was using long coils of hair like writhing snakes, empowered by necromantic energies, to try and tie down as many of Wyme's branches as he could. But there were far too many. Vass had two vines in each hand, pulling and slightly bowing Wyme's towards him. Her face a grimace as they matched in pure strength. Grim turned, managing to angle himself towards Wyme instead of the pond that she threw him towards, crashing into a mass. She snapped a few branches and found himself above to where her shoulder was. I hate pests in my hair. Wyan warmed around him. Her hair tried to wrap around him. Grim managed to reach into his belt and pull out a ragged cat doll from the pouch. He hadn't found much use for this weird reward and had gotten from chasing that mouse on the first floor. Come on, ghost cat! He chanted out from the doll, and a blue cat snarled into Wyam's face, yowling and hissy as Wyam let loose a screech of indignation. By now, Poppy and Kemi were winding up another barrage of attacks, and Amister was chanting. Grim pulled himself through the branches to his trapped knife. He began sawing with a grim determination. Al hovered over the outside of the bore of the cave, he felt a pull with every fiber of his being as if something was inside that was. Al took a step back, panic rising and the fear sinking in his hymn on the system pinged again and again. Al had stopped even reading the subject lines on them now. If he just worked harder, the system would stop. If he was the strongest, he'd be fine. He clutched at his head, as his quest log was almost empty. He needed quests. If he didn't find any soon, he'd have nothing to do with what the system pulled the plug after that. What if that was the last straw? You going in? came a relaxed voice. Al turned with a gasp, his squire uniform from the kingdom rustling slightly. Some kid was roasting meat over a fire. 
his youngish face seemed at odds with the easy-going nature. Alpha felt like he knew this boy, but after so many quests and so many jobs, he wasn't sure. I don't think that I should, Al said quietly. I think you should. I'd go in, but I won't be here long. I'm a wanderer. The boy grinned at something amusing, and Alpha didn't get the joke. Al's powers didn't register the kid as anything, so he was either too low a level or unimportant or not relevant to the system. Alpha hadn't seen that happen too many times, but decided the boy was a nice distraction from the choice of whether to go inside or not. I am Al, he said quietly. The boy paused as if not expecting the need to introduce himself. Leather, Leather's the name, he said, and his name appeared above his head like a whenever someone revealed their name to Alpha. His detect lie was pretty high as a skill, so he didn't think the boy was lying, or he was maybe a god of trickery. Again, it didn't matter. So why the hesitation? You look sick and like you're expecting to die at any minute, Blether said, changing the subject casually. Alpha sat gingerly on the nicely shaped stump and the other side of the fire. I feel cold to go in, and that's dangerous, Al explained. Why? the kid pressed, chewing some weird fish that was hard to look at, and the system labeled it as a fish? Definitely some being able to bypass Al's senses and detection skills. This might be a good chance to get an epic quest. No, didn't matter. Only quests. You didn't set off any of my, um, powers. It's something I can't explain, and embracing it could be a mistake. He told the kid logically. So unknown, unknown, and unknown. Hecking heck, you're really messed up. How do you ever leave the house? Brother asked to the shake of the head. Alpha looked at the fire for a moment. Fear, he summed up. There was a pause in the conversation for a second. So if it doesn't appear to help you with your powers, it's a trap, pointless, or wasting valuable time. Fear of dying is worse than the joy of living. I see, Brother frowned, throwing the cooked stick away, somehow even managing to eat the fish bones. Ever think of why you were chosen for this? Brother asked abruptly as he pulled a knife out into a piece of wood, whittling it away with a skill beyond any child. Random selection, cruelty, simple logic, Alva shrugged, still feeding the pull of the cape, a warm thing that made him want to give in so badly. Doubt it. Have you seen this world? It's messy and already way too cruel in some places. I don't see the point in throwing you into all that just to add to the existing problems. No, I think it was something else. You don't get powers and purpose by chance, Brother promised. Alpha supposed he could have given other people some blessings of power himself as, uh, whatever he truly was. Let's say I can see things and I saw you when you first came here, like memory foam on a really good bedspread. Love that stuff. Blether smiled whimsically and Alpha frowned, wondering if the strange place called Durance had memory foam, or even foam for that matter, already. How strange was this place? You were curious and bright. I saw the first few days. Awkward as hell, I think. I just don't think. Listen, Al, uh, it wasn't your fault, the kid said, and Alpha stood up so abruptly that he nearly stepped in the fire. Don't, he warned, voice crackling. You did everything you could. The silence, brother began, but Alpha painfully squeezed his eyes shut and tried to cover his ears like he was a small child again. The boy's voice seemed to echo out in his bones. The silence took that village to preemptively stop you. In a way, 
They succeeded. Blethers said bluntly, and Alpha reached out his weapon, drawing it as angry tears welled up. His best weapon felt too heavy in his hands. Good. Making a choice without a promise of reward and for the sake of it. I swear, I didn't want to step in, but enough is enough. I'm not trapped like she is, but this has spent my strength on top of Dalton needing help from the old bastard tree. The creep grunted and stood up, more like an old man. Alpha, get your head out of the damn sand. Also, answer your damn letters. There's like a bunch of rare mounts and costumes that sis tried to apologize with. The kid said as he faded away, crumbling into the earth as if time was devouring him. It also left Al with a burning campfire and a strange feeling that he had been talking to death, and yet, and yet it felt good. His tears fell and the sword clattered to the ground. He hesitated, and then without being able to take it back, opened the most recent letter. Dear Alphonse, I wonder if you'd like that name, or you said you didn't like your actual name, so how about that one? You're really close to Delta, and she's really nice. Please say hi. I've been busy updating some systems around the dungeon sphere, but it's a little hard. Delta's code seems to work on wishes and mushroom powder. I got a few quests that I can offer for cleaning up Delta's dungeon and helping her on the lower floors. It isn't much EXP as you might like, but I'll keep making more, and also the people of Durin's should offer some. Please feel better. It's very hard to see you so upset. You used to smile, and I'm very sorry that I might have had a hand in taking it away. If you wish to hate me, I'll accept this. As all my letters, I never blamed you, nor do I think that you are a failure or imperfect. I cannot be perfect. Please be kind to yourself. Signed, System. Please call me Sis. Letter since your last open letter, 301. Al tried to put his hand on the screen, but there was no resistance. Letter 300. Oh, on your way to Durance, I'm so happy. You'll finally get some nice friends, and there's someone very important to meet there. Letter 246. You seem to have stopped looking to die, but you aren't alive. I feel so hopeless. 180. Please stop this, please. Quests won't make you feel better. Head to Durance. Head anywhere. 100. Happy 100 letter. I put a nice little ritual circle in the letter to conjure a cake. I, uh, hope it tastes okay. I got the tips from Delta's kitchen. Please eat. Please. On and on they went. He skipped dozens in numb manner, flicking through them to the point that there was less emotion and more simplistic messages. He reached the last letter that he had ever opened. The tone between the newest letters and this one was stark. Letter 10. Alpha. The village of Mayuri is gone. No trace can be found. It would appear that the cult called the silence attacked there to get to you. This was beyond your control. You need more strength. This will not stop. The silence will always be your concern. You need more power. Keep moving and you will be instructed on where to proceed. Soon Beta will come and your fear will end. Then Gamma and your doubt will cease. Then Delta and your weakness will be removed. System. It hurt and it burned now. Alpha saw every word as a warning, every name as a nail in his coffin. Without his fear, what was Alpha? He feared the day heroes with those names rose up to make him obsolete. And now, Delta was a dungeon. Beta was a monster that devoured monsters that revealed silence members. Gamma was... 
Well, according to the last letter he skimmed through, which was quite a while ago, according to its date, Gamma was being used in some underwater rebellion led by the Shark Prince as a sword. Since then, Alpha had so many letters, and it was like the system changed. No longer some ambivalent deity judging him for his weakness, but someone with fears and doubts of their own, and it made him deflate, and his fear took an uncertain step back. Again, because there was still no answer from when he first asked, without his fear, what was Alpha? Slowly, he looked up at the large puzzle door that it had taken him a single attempt to open, lining up the symbols for Alpha, Beta, Gamma, and Delta to make the door slide open. There was one way to find out what life without fear was, and it laid inside that door. My beautiful face! Wyam howled as she ignored the others attacking her and sent dozens of thorny snaking vines after Grum, who screamed in terror. It was just a cat! He yelled back as he jumped over the ground, exploding in the wrath as Wyam glared. Three claw marks on either cheek scratched downwards, giving her a whiskered appearance. It was more than a damn cat, doubters howling in laughter and telling me to believe it over and over. I'll show you, catty, Wyan promised in rage. Grim just ran faster, hoping that Amonster and Poppy were nearly done popping the birdcage open with their combined powers. Grim was tiring and he did not want to know if Wyam would see what was inside his heart the good old-fashioned way. Dissection via being pulled apart. Not the cleanest way to go. He scowled at the feeding of vines on his heels. If anyone told him that trees needed to be protected ever again, he was going to strangle them. End of chapter. And that, my friends, is the end of this video. I hope that you enjoyed if you did, please consider supporting the channel. There are numerous links down below. The easiest way would be to share this video and this channel to as many people as possible to help this channel grow. Your support is very much appreciated. And I will see you all in the next video. Cheers.